Hello, Legionnaires, and welcome to episode 169 of RPG Digest. I am John Maxley Auschlo, your favorite curmudgeon, critic, and judge. Along with me, as usual, is Legion of Miss, updated errata, Brett, Heathen Dog Grissomer. How are you today, sir? I'm the guy that makes you buy five books, just to understand <laughs> one. That's, that's what I do. <laughs> that's my job. I make companies money. <laughs> I tell you what... <laughs> If you want to find out how to do Palladium Combat, you are going to make Palladium rich. Because <laughs> everybody's got a different book that you're supposed to look at to get it right. And we'll talk about that when I get to segment two, because four days, four days it took me. That's kind of more because uh, it was two full days and then four half days it took me to get segment two right. And I know all of you can be like, well, actually. <laughs> all right, all right. But, but we should let everyone know that uh, segment two, the example combat is going to be in two different parts. One yes. part is as much rules as written as a human being named Max Liao can do. <laughs> and then part two is all of the house rules and, and griping and bullshit about, about, about part one where that lives. All that lives in part two, not in yes. part one part two there'll probably be a couple of places in there where heathen dogs like oh that's not you know but uh it, it, we're gonna save that to part two because really part what two. i want it to be i want the how-to to be this is what the book says and this is what we're gonna do and i'm also gonna show why a uh, simultaneous attack is stupid um but uh but other than that no i mean it, it was fun to go through unfortunately i want to do that and melee combat today but there's no chance i don't even know when the next time i'm so burned out of just doing this hand-to-hand -hand thing that i don't know when melee combat rage combat oh vehicle combat and so forth hand is gonna hand happen and melee combat the only the, well, not the only okay that was that was stupid i i just i, I just tried to do an absolute with palladium combat and that was dumb okay i'm gonna walk that back right now before i even finish <laughs> that sentence no the most significant difference is that instead of a lot of your natural bonuses and abilities augmenting your attack yep. and defense roles you have your weapon proficiency and that's a mistake a lot of people make. Yes, that's a mistake a lot of people make. So your weapon proficiency takes over a lot of, say, your physical prowess bonuses. So what my plan is for melee, so the one today, and again, I'll talk about you in segment two, is going to be, basically, it's going to be a ring fight. It's going to be effectively two MMA fighters going at it. I kept it as simple as I could because I wanted to start simply. The next one was going to be a three-on-one combat, and the, the guy with the one, he was going to have paired weapons. And then the people with the three were going to be attacking, uh, you know, in bad Bruce Lee style one at a time. Um, but uh, so it could make it a little more complicated each time uh, to show off the paired weapons and what it's like to have uh, more people fighting you, et cetera, et cetera. And then I was going to add, then the next one is going to be range combat and then vehicle combat, aircraft combat, spaceship combat. Sometime this year, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty burned out after this after first doing, one. After doing the first one, the other five now seem like pipe dreams. <laughs> yeah yep um now to be fair though everything i just said there also makes palladium combat a strength and i'll talk about that in the second part of segment two yep. so um i don't know how you guys are hearing heathen dog he was a little quiet to me a little bit ago he's still kind of quiet but uh uh if, if he's if his volume's good just let us know in chat if he's like way too quiet let us know um well, and and to help everyone out i'll talk about my segment today yeah. uh i'm gonna have two segments today one is going to be the game system and the other is going to be character or, in this case, investigator development. How do you make your investigator better in a non-experience-based system? It's a, it's a skill-based system. 
So what? Do you just get skill points? How does that work? I, I don't know. I don't know how to increase that. What, what we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. The game system is probably going to be one segment. It's oh. only it's only uh 13 pages. See, so I, I already I built it for two. No, no, I told you it might be two. Told you it might be two. But depending on I don't know how dense and how much I'm going to have to explain or talk about each sure. one. So I have a mark. You know, where if, if I don't hit the halfway point by this mark, then I'm not going to make it. So, yeah, it's going to be that. It's much easier to go from two to one than it is for one to two. So I'm OK. Yeah, with that. Definitely. definitely. Um, let's see. What, what else is going on here? So uh, Friday sucked. I was sick in the morning. Called in sick to work, got an hour of sleep, took a couple Advil, drank a ton of water. And, dude, I felt better than I did the rest of the week or like previously. So I actually sent work a message saying, how about if I telework instead? Nobody responded back, but I just decided to telework. So, and I have the email chains to prove it. So if uh, anybody says you, uh, you have to take a sick day, I'm going to be a little angry. Um, but uh, yesterday had an absolutely fantastic game. Uh, those of you who watched it. Cool. Uh, Bear the Gen X GM. Uh, Cody's in chat, you know, GM Cody's in chat right now. Yeah, he was part of the game, did a fantastic freaking job of hurting those cats. Um, uh, I, uh, my, my character is still coming into his own, a little interesting, had a couple of good one-liners in there, but uh, everybody's fantastic. It's just an amazing game, and it was online. I'm saying I liked an online game, so uh, go figure what happened. But no, it was absolutely fantastic. I'm, the only thing I'm sad about is we only get to play once a month. Fortunately, it's probably all I have time for anyway, though. But uh, if you haven't checked that out, you can check it out on pretty much everybody's channel. Uh, you can check it on Legion Myth's channel. Got some timestamps in there. You can check it on Bear the Gen X GM's channel, GM Cody's channel, Leo Geek's channel. Who am I missing? I'm missing people. Uh, I, I can't remember, but uh, check out their channels and uh, and you'll see it. it. The first 30 minutes or so is is the finishing up of character creation skip to, I think it's about 33 minutes in when bear starts talking about the land. And from there, just, just run with it. It was absolutely fantastic. A hunger. There you go. Right. It was on hunger. Channel. I forgot. Yeah. Fry, Friar Philip, the one who's going to marry me. Uh, <laughs> oh, Malachi was there too. Jesus. I'm forgetting everybody. Sorry. Uh, well, Malachi, what was cool is he's playing a really quiet character and he did it really well. Not in like the boring way, but he's actually, when he had to say something, he said something. And, you know, he, he gave character to the quiet character, if that makes sense. So yeah, it was good stuff. Everybody, everybody knocked it out of the park. I felt like the scrub there. but uh... Oh, I do want to tell you something. Um, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if I told you this uh, last week when I, when I wore this shirt. My, my wife commented on it when she saw mm -hmm. it. It's like, oh, that looks really good on you. And then uh, I put it on the next day because, you know, why not? I'm not going anywhere. It's Monday. Just put it on. I'm, I'm retired, so I don't care. And she came home. And it's like, that thing really looks good on you. I'm like, holy shit. A woman gives you a compliment on something twice. twice. Once it's because she feels obligated, obligated. that, that you're your husband and you got to be nice and stuff like that. So she tells you one time and it's over. But if a woman compliments you twice on the same thing, She's truly and utterly impressed. And if it's clothing or hair or whatever, she's hot. So strike while that iron is that way. So you need to get your RPG Digest hoodie from Redbubble. I'm not saying it's going to fit all of you the same way. I got, I apparently He's got the real Legion of Victoria's Secret. <laughs> Legion of Victoria's Secret. That's it. But I also want uh, more, more hoodies and, uh, and sweatshirts that are, that fit like this on the store that I want to buy. So everything should be, it should be have hoodies. 
it should it should but it doesn't you, you should have and hoodies that, and, and, and sweatshirts with with this all the same stuff as your t-shirts i do but that is not my experience I'll, I'll go check. There's a couple that don't, but only because the, some of the hoodies go down the middle uh, and I didn't want them zipped apart. But no, uh, they all should. Uh, if OK, I'll take a look just to make sure. But they all should be in hoodie format. If not, that means Redbubble did something or the one problem with the Redbubble site compared to like all the other ones is it can be a pain in the butt to try to find a specific thing. Like it shows you a sticker and you're like, I don't want a sticker. I want a hat. And you try to find the hat and you're somewhere else. You know? But um, I'll, I'll look at that. So. Um, I already said that Friday is the members only live stream. But I think I'm going to have a public one after it. I did so well, like two, three months in a row, but I think I'm gonna have a public one after it. Um, and it's going to talk a lot about uh, the game we played yesterday. And then, oh, and then one last time last week, I did it on uh, discord this week. I'm going to do it as a stream members only stream, but as a stream uh apparently uh, people really enjoy the work that i do behind the scenes <laughs> so uh to get these videos up and running uh, that's I not why to... you're doing it tell the truth tell the truth why you're doing it because why when you were streaming it it was the most streamlined the process has been in at least six months no i completely no. screwed up how uh, okay so the discord one went really well that that is true the discord um so the one i do on wednesday I said the same thing. I'm like, guys, I got to keep streaming this stuff because apparently when I'm talking to you all and, and working through this, I get it done like half the time. This thing's working perfectly. And then I completely didn't do the second half of everything I needed to do. So on Wednesday, what I do is I prepare the live stream itself, get all the advertisement ready, so forth, right? The other part I do is I prepare the post stream stuff. So most like when you change from two streams to one, I have to go, okay, so how do I merge those together? Actually, again, that's easy. It's when you go from one to two that I'm like, boop. Now I have to do all the all the work work with that. Um, I forgot to do that on Wednesday, so I had to do a whole other stream on on Thursday, which was almost two hours. So if you look at it, it's like an hour and a half and then two hours. So that's what three and a half hours. That's about how long it takes me to get that stuff done. And then what I have to do, what you'll see today is the the last part of that, which I'm hoping will be an hour and a half since everything is already preloaded. But we'll see. Uh, so if you figure that another hour and a half, that's what five hours takes. Yeah, it's about right. It takes me four to five hours after every one of these streams. If I do none of this stuff to get everything up and ready for the week. And the only thing I'm waiting on, uh, cause you know, it isn't time for him to give it to me yet is heathen dogs, uh, quiz question. Yeah, that's, that's coming tonight. Yeah. Well, yeah uh, after what, the... what I want to do is the, for the quiz questions of the week. I want them to pertain to the video that's coming out that week. And I don't, yeah. and I told you guys, I'm not going to read any of this that I don't really, really have to. So I don't know anything. So at the end of the stream, I will know things. And then, I, <laughs> and then I will put those as quiz questions and whatnot. Sounds good. Uh, anything, do I have any other notes? So those are notes for later. And that's notes for Friday. So um, I've given up all the notes I need to do. Did we ask? Did I ask you how your week was? Do I even care? Probably not. No, you don't. You don't oh. care. That's yeah, fine. I don't care. Let's move on. No. <laughs> so how's your week? Okay. <laughs> it was fine. I mean, uh, well, okay. One one thing happened. I'm I'm a little I'm a little upset at my wife. But she liked your hoodie. That's true. That that's why I didn't want it. I wasn't coming up and saying it wasn't the top of my mind. But now that you dug it out, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> instead of digging for gold you dug for poop and you found it good job yeah but uh what happened was uh 
I don't, I don't know uh, in the I don't know if you guys know depending on where you live, but uh, in the Midwest we had lots of snow this past week, and it got worse because we had two inches of snow, and then overnight it got above freezing, it melted a little bit, and then refroze, and more snow got on top of it. So now you got snow ice on with you know ice on top uh, snow on top of ice, which sucks. And my my wife did not shovel because she she shovels. I don't shovel. She shovels or service shovels. I, I told her that when we were married. And she said, okay. But uh, she shoveled the sidewalk and the walk for the for the mailman, but not the driveway. This is important because five days later, I had to go out to the store. And we have a two-car garage, but her side of the garage is centered on the driveway. So she can just go straight out. Mine is over here, which means I have to do a severe S turn to get to the driveway. Well, I did my S turn. I'm only going like four miles an hour, right? Because I'm coming out of a garage. I'm I'm not I'm not you know Hot Wheels this thing, right? So I turn, I come up, I stop. My back wheels stop, but my front wheels keep going, just sliding on the ice. And then it hits a pole in the chain link the neighbor's chain link fence. Boom! So my my front passenger quarter panels crumpled in. I had to I had to come out and pull it out so it didn't pop the tire. Oof. I had to I had to bend it outward so it didn't pop the tire. So now the quarter panels all all crapped out, and that's going to cost God I don't even know how much. I got to get it. I got to get the car repainted because everyone knows if you paint one part of the car, no matter how well they try, it'll never match. It'll never match the rest of the car ever. So I get the whole car repainted if I if I want to do that. And that's going to cost even more. I'm not going to some cheapo place either because that paint job only lasts two years. That's bullshit. I'm not doing that. So it's at least 500 bucks. At least. And I hate it. I hate I hate spending money. I don't have to. God, I hate it. Oh, Mac Thompson's, I'm struggling with the man not shoveling. <laughs> no, there's no injury. There's no injury. Here's the thing. Taking out the trash. Mowing the lawn, shoveling. That's woman's work. I don't do that. I do men's work. I do laundry. I do dishes. I clean the house. I do all that stuff. That's men's work. Now, a lot of you grew up with that backward, right? And that's on your parents. That's not on me. It's on your parents. Because your father was dumb. Because what they call woman's work is the easy stuff. Who wants to be out? Shoveling snow in like negative 10 degrees. Not not the smart guy. Who wants to be out mowing the lawn in over 90 degree weather? Not the smart guy. No. No. Flip that shit. That's me. All right. Well. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting. <laughs> oh, son's work. Oh, yeah. He's, he, he's, he's 12. He's 12. He doesn't have the stamina or the strength to actually shovel. Now, mowing the lawn, whenever my wife decides she she wants him to mow the lawn, I'm fine. But I told her he has to be at least 14 years old. The reason being, my dad was waited until I could, I could uh, see over the bar on the mower before I was mowing. So I was mowing at 10, and I hated it. And it really destroyed the relationship with my father. So I'm going to make sure he's a little older to where he can understand a little better and do it a little easier. 
Yeah, just, just, just understand, folks. I don't agree with Heathen Dog on this either. So it's like I was I was mowing at six. Well, I was partially mowing at six, and I was full time mowing at eight and shoveling. Everybody shoveled in Minnesota. There was no age yeah, well, gap. You even fair, had the yeah. little plastic shovel. Your butt's going out there and doing a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and I and it. I was shoveling the walk by myself because you know we have full time jobs. You just have school. Uh, I know I was in grade school, so yeah. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, when when I when I got married, uh, my mother in law found out that Kara's the one that's shoveling snow. She's like, "What? Why? Because I don't want to do it. Why don't you want to do it? Does it sound like fun to you? I'm, I, am, am I missing something? I mean, does does anyone really want to shovel? I don't get it. No, no one does. So she bought my wife a snowblower. Now, to be fair, I asked her if she wanted me to buy her a snowblower. She said, no, no, waste of money. But presents? Well, okay. Take them all day. She almost never uses it. There's got to be at least five inches of snow on the ground for her to use it. It's a waste. It's a waste. That's not how snowblowers work. It gathers the snow until there's enough in it to blow it. It just does that. It does it on its own. I don't. I, mm, I, but I can't get it through her head. I, I I found the snowblower to be more of a hassle if there wasn't a good. good yeah, but chunk her of idea snow. of good amount is not is not everyone else's idea of good amount. I mean, like I didn't measure the inches, more, but yeah, if you have two inches or more of snow, you can use a snowblower and it'll be it'll be it'll be more. Uh, I, I just push. I just push it. Take the shovel and push it down the driveway. It depends how wet the snow is, how uh, heavy fair. it is. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But uh, my parents would get in trouble a lot because I'd push it into the road and you weren't allowed to do that where I live. No, you're not supposed to do that. Well, especially if you push it into the road and then the snow plow comes, it creates a wall in front of your hey, Look, look, I want it out of my yard and it's fucking snow. The city can get over. Oops, that's what's, uh, <laughs> the city can get over that. That that was really annoying to me when uh, the cops would come by. Like, you push the snow in the, in the, in the road and they'd be like, oh, like if John did that, like I'd be like, yeah, it's snow. Who cares? Like, do you want me to put it on the sidewalk? You can't put it on the public sidewalk either. Well, I'm not putting it in my freaking yard. I'm trying to get rid of it. That's the whole point of it. And it's water. It's frozen water. Deal. And then my stepdad got a fine, and I got in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care. I don't, those dumb city ordinances. I don't follow any of them. Oh, I I got fined twice for the length of my lawn. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't even pay it. Put, get, get a warrant out for me. I would not pay it. Like, mm. not that nonsense. I'm glad I live. God, I'm glad I live where I live. Oh, <laughs> like there's none of that here. Like this uh, this uh, spring, we got to get going here. But uh, this spring, yeah, I've I've already got the, the seeds over there. I've decided I'm done with grass out here because the grass doesn't. I, I hate this Bermuda grass. It doesn't want to grow. I'm growing clovers. Okay. So, uh. I, I'm waiting for somebody to complain about that. It's also better for the lawn. So, all right. Um, the, the, there's one last note I had to write down when oh. you're talking giveaway. People who are here who are expecting giveaway prizes, um, Crafting Gamer, Shadow and Sun. I forget who the third person is. They have not been mailed out yet. I did not have the opportunity last week. I'm going to try to get to them this week. They are. They're labeled. They're ready to go. I just have not got to the post office yet because. Post office closes at dumb times here, and the one on base gets a little weirded out when it says Legion of Myth on there, not somebody's name. So, you know, <laughs> are you doing this for personal business stuff? Well, no. 
What do you care? You, you fucking mailman. Just mail the mail. I pay yeah. you the money. Get the package. It's the government post job. Even though I'm still paying full price, not like I'm doing the military. Yeah, you're not. You're system. not getting a discount. What the hell? Yeah. All right, let's um, let's uh, say thank you to folks that are here and actually get uh, uh get headed with the. But I'm guessing it's going to be a long day today. So I want to thank all of you wonderful people who support us monetarily. Your gracious donations help us provide giveaways, produce more content, and generally give back to Legion with the community as a whole. By the way, by the way, Rumble now integrates with StreamYard. So I have not had a Rumble rant yet, but uh, we may be able to read those on the screen like we do everything else. But I know I can see Rumble chat because that happened on the worst live stream ever on Friday. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, so yeah, and remember, Rumble gives 100% to creators. I know there's a little caveat to that, but it gives 100% to creators. So uh, please member member up and and rant up, however that works over there. But uh, now, and if you know, we have a fairly big giveaway going on. No, it's not even close to over. I haven't even got halfway through the stuff yet. I've just been busy slash lazy and have not got to the next giveaway. I hope to do that sometime soon so there will be another giveaway starting up for another three games i'm doing it three games at a time uh, of the here have max's crap giveaway to thank you folks for getting to five thousand subscribers so stay tuned there is a lot more i've got at least 10 15 more boxes sitting out on the table in my wife's way right now so uh so you know and we also do the giveaways on uh on friday night chill stream if we make a hundred bucks so the point being is we try to give back to you guys so Check the description below for links to the various Legion Myth sites, social media, Discord merch, get Heathen Dogs hoodie. You want it, apparently. Etc. <laughs> I have to say, you can't say that. You can't say that. It fits me. I got lucky. Medium is perfect for okay. my body frame for some reason. It was the, the stars. Now you're going to delay the episode because I have to correct you on this. Victoria's Secret decided to get fat chicks as models recently. And guess yeah. what that, how well that worked for them? Lead balloon. Right. You know why? Because every fat chick looks at those skinny chicks, those tall 15-year-old skinny chicks that are pretending to be 22 in those. I'm like, that could be me. That's how you advertise the damn hoodie. Okay, <laughs> like, fair enough. So fair enough. it makes Heathen Dog, apparently, look really sexy. So you want to look really sexy, too, apparently. So go get your hoodie. There we go. <laughs> All right. All right, whenever you're ready. Okay. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Call of Cthulhu 7th edition. And today we are going to look at the game system. How does it work? How do the dice work? When do you roll? When don't you roll? What happens when you roll? We're all going to find that out today. Come on, stay with me. We're going to go for a ride. And I clicked the wrong button because I wasn't ready awesome we welcome all people regardless of background belief or identity to play tabletop role-playing games let's engage our imaginations pull a veil over reality and immerse ourselves in fantastic worlds don't be a disruption at the table and always remember it's just a game the charity we support is the wounded warrior project a national, nonpartisan organization whose mission is to honor and empower wounded warriors. Please refer to the description below for the link to where you can make your hopefully tax-deductible donation. Join us Thursday and Saturday evenings on twitch.tv slash legionofmyth 
to watch Heathen Dog and his team of dirty casuals play multiplayer games for your mockery and enjoyment. Here on our YouTube channel, you can watch these game-related segments live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Central Time, or check out the Friday Night Stream, where our panel of guests opine, comment, and editorialize on the TTRPG hobby as a whole. Please leave us a comment with your thoughts and experiences. If you enjoy our gaming content, please be sure to subscribe to Legion of Myth. That's like some ASMR stuff that's just like, night night. Yes, it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> but we are now here, Chapter 5, we're at the game system, so let's figure out exactly how this game works. That is not how that works. That is still not how that works. What the... I asked Ethan, like, hey, did you fix... Uh, do we have the... We the... No, I, I, I just yeah, I had to click on the thing first. Okay. <laughs> All right, this chapter details the Call of Cthulhu game rules that are used to ensure fairness and balance, as well as to resolve conflicts and challenges as they arise in play. That's what a game system is for. I mean, that's pretty much all you need to explain it. Can you zoom in on that little notepad, note card there? Like, to zoom as big as you can, even bigger. Make that so that nobody can ever miss that. Yeah, the, the most important words in this book, those five words, that is five, right? One, two, three, four. Yeah, those five words are the most important. Whoop, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> words in the book. The keeper's decision is final. There it is, right there. I want everyone to understand that because the reason the keeper has this power, he may be wrong. He may be wrong. But stopping the game and verifying the rule at that time will slow down the game and ruin everyone's fun. After it's over, you come to you come to the keeper and you go, "Hey, this is what I was talking about. Here's the rule." He goes, "Oh, okay. Well, next time we'll do it that way." You know, and you're probably not going to be screwed. And if you were screwed, if he's a good keeper, okay, well, you're right. I was wrong, but I couldn't stop. I'm going to make sure you're not as screwed as bad because I didn't I For didn't your next character, don't be a dick. <laughs> there you go. Don't don't be a dick. That's how it works. All right, here we go. When to roll dice. Well, that'd be fun to find out. And oh my God, that is so slow. There we go. There's a large amount of fun to be had playing a role-playing game. Oh, good. And much of it is derived from the discussing your character's actions with your fellow players and the keeper without rolling any dice whatsoever. Players declare what their investigators are doing and often speak in character to better express themselves. The keeper states what the non-player characters and PCs are doing and describes the world around the investigators. So far, so good, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone accepts what everyone else says and builds upon it to create an interesting story. Until see this. This is where this is where uh, uh, table larpers have a problem. Their, their their ideas go off the rails. They don't accept what someone else is saying. For example, an investigator doesn't believe what old man Marsh played by the keeper is saying about the whereabouts of the missing library books i don't believe that old coot when someone said something you don't like or don't believe you can ask for clarification or you can disagree but ultimately if you don't accept what someone says about what's happening in the story the situation can be resolved with dice someone someone makes fun of your mama you want to punch them dice old man marsh is lying to you you want to grill him well, guess what? That, and that's going to be an interrogation. That's going to be dice. Would have got away with the two if it wasn't for you kids. 
exactly. You pull off that thing and he'll be taken by the cops and everything will be fine. Nope, this is Call of Cthulhu. There's no pulling off the mask. It's not <laughs> I'm mask. pulling, I'm pulling, I'm pulling. He's just <laughs> laughing mask, at brother. me. I don't get it. <laughs> Likewise, you could simply say that your investigator managed to climb to the top of the church steeple in the pouring rain at midnight. However, if there's no dice roll to test your investigator skill, there's no tension or drama either. Now, it gave that specific scenario for a reason. Climbing a tree or or climbing to to a top of a tower that has a ladder in the middle of the day, sun shining, no wind, no roll. In the middle of the night, pouring rain, chased by someone maybe, yeah, you're rolling. You're rolling. You're in a hurry. You're rushed. It's wet. It's dark. Things can happen. Equally, there's no need to roll dice for everything. For example, each investigator has a drive auto skill, but dice don't need to be rolled every time an investigator gets into a car. That would be dull and stupid. If you say your investigator is driving to the local historical society, unless someone takes issue with you, it's done. Simply move on with the story. Normal day-to-day stuff like everyone just does should be just that. No dice needed. I don't have to roll dice to tie my shoe? No, you do not. However, if the keeper describes a car full of cultists attempting to push the investigator's car off the road, the player may object to this. Well, guess what? If you object, there's a roll. Uh, But the keeper may insist the cultists are still barging the investigator's car off the road. There's a disagreement or conflict reason to roll dice and see whether the investigator's car is needed is indeed pushed into the ditch. The story has reached a moment of tension that requires a definite outcome. Time to reach for the dice. Okay, this, I believe, was explained very poorly. So I'm going to try it again. That whole car situation. You're in a car. Cultists are in the car. They're trying to bash you off the road like like in a lot of movies out there. If you want this to happen, if you are if you are completely fine with that, you'll just go off the road. But if you say, well, I don't want to go off the road. Well, now you have a conflict with the world or NPCs in the world. Now there's dice rolls. Now there's now there's tension. Now there's drama. Now there's dice. There's there's an easier way even even and a lot of games are kind of picking this up. Uh, this this mentality is is uh is the outcome unknown? Number one it has to meet both of these standards versus the outcome unknown and is the success or failure of that outcome meaningful? If yep. the outcome is unknown, obviously the outcome of somebody smashing into you is unknown. You don't know if you're going to spin off or you're going to take it or give it back, whatever. Is it meaningful? Well, it probably is meaningful because if your car flips, that changes what the dynamic of what's going on right now. Yeah. But, Everything changes at that point. Yeah. yeah. So let's move on to skill rolls. These are, <laughs> these are the, most, uh, the most common things you're going to be doing. The word roll is used in conjunction with the appropriate skill or characteristic. Thus, the keeper will, for example, call for a climb roll or a strength roll. The keeper has the final say about which skill or characteristic is appropriate to the roll, depending on the situation and the nature of the opposition. The term skill roll is used regardless of whether a skill or a characteristic is used. The reason being is that if it boils down to a characteristic role, you take your characteristic times five, and it's exactly the same as a skill role. So they just call them all skill roles, which I can get behind. I mean, I have no problem with that. And I think that's the end of the Yes, it is. All right, so what do we learn so far? So far, we have learned that uh, if, you, if you disagree with what's happening, you roll a skill roll. Got it. 
Yes. Okay, let's make sure I'm at the same place. Here we go. All right, decisions keepers final. We already know that. All right. The player should be clear about what they want to achieve by stating a goal before rolling any dice. If the goal isn't acceptable, the keeper should help the player to rephrase it. The goal should define the player's objective clearly and concisely. Okay, example. Harvey Walters wants to force a door open. The keeper might assume that he is simply bashing the door and creating a loud noise in the process. If Harvey wants to open the door quietly, he needs to state that this and his goal. Thus, break the door down and lever the door open quietly are two different goals, mm -hmm. and the keeper will consider the complexity of the goal when setting a difficulty level. Now, that's a good blurb. Yeah. What could be the difference between levering a door open and bashing it open besides noise? I mean, the both are probably going to be strength rolls, right? Yeah. But the lever is a tool. Mm -hmm. A tool usually makes tasks easier so if the keeper wanted to make a task easier he could do it like that if you use a tool it's easier using a lever you can create more strength on an object that's how it works and he may do that or he may have you roll something else not your strength characteristic if you have another skill that is now more appropriate you may roll a skill instead i don't know what that would be in this case but we haven't gotten to this whole skill list yet, but maybe there's something in there. Note to self, always bring canned WD-40 with you. WD-40 and a small uh, crowbar. Yes. <laughs> skill roll, determine the difficulty level. Okay, we went over this a little bit last week. Regular difficulty, hard, and something like extreme. There you go. Yeah, it's like your, nor your normal number, half your number, and what was it? Half of the half, or was it one-fifth? One-fifth. One-fifth, that's right. So here we go. Regular difficulty level. An average example of what would challenge a competent person. This player needs to roll equal to or below their full skill or characteristic in order to succeed. This should be used in the vast majority of cases. The reason being is because if you have a lock-picking skill and you are using lock-picking tools to pick a lock, and it's not some kind of super high-tech biometric nonsense. It's a normal role. You're doing exactly what you were trained to do. That's great. Well, let's move on to hard. How does hard differ in this? Well, let's find out. Hard difficulty level. This task would challenge a professional. The player needs to roll equal to or below a half of their skill or characteristic in order to succeed. This should only be used occasionally. Now let's go back to the lock picking thing. What if you had to pick a lock, but you didn't have proper tools? You had to use like a couple of sticks and a bobby pin or something. You had to, you had to MacGyver that stuff. Well, that's going to make the task artificially harder beyond the scope of your normal lockpicking training. Therefore, it's half. Or you have your lockpicking tools, but this lock has a special biometric type thing. Well, it's half again. All right, it's half. It's going to be half. Well, what happens when it's like some kind of super duper thing? Let's find out. Extreme difficult, oh, extreme difficulty level. This task would challenge an expert. It is on the border of what is humanly possible. Wow. Yeah, I know. They're getting really hard on this. Player needs to roll equal to or below a fifth of their skill or characteristic in order to succeed. This should be reserved for the most extreme situations. Okay, going back to the lock picking example again. Not only is this a biometric lock, not only do you not have tools except for a bobby pin and some gum, you're also getting shot at. 
That's extreme level. That's what this is. Remember, the vast majority of your roles are going to be average level. I'm glad the book says that because I know a lot of game masters, at least in my past, would artificially inflate difficulties just to because he wanted, just, yeah, just, just to make the roles harder. Yeah. 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 Just cause. No, no, that's garbage. That's garbage. Don't, don't do that. Keepers. Don't do that. If you as a keeper feel that the task is easy, then don't ask for a dice roll. Save dice rolls for challenging situations. Okay. Back to the lock picking thing. You lost your keys to the shed. You have a lock picking skill of 50%, which is the bare minimum of professional level lock picking on your shed is a crappy little $5 master lock. I'm not going to make you roll. No keeper should make you roll that. Number one, it as as Max said, the outcome is not in doubt. You're getting in that crappy master lock no matter what happens. There is no detriment to failing. You have all the time in the world. There's no reason to roll that roll. Right. Don't make it. Don't don't make him roll that roll. Uh da da da. If the investigator is facing a living being, the difficulty level should be set according to the complementary skill or characteristic belonging to that being. Hang on. It is up to the keeper to decide which skill or characteristic would be used by an opponent to counter the investigator's actions. Examples can be found with each skill entry. Oh, good. That's good. Okay, let's let before we get into that, let's read some of these examples. If the opponent's skill or characteristic is below 50, the difficulty level is regular. If the opponent's skill level or characteristic is equal to or above 50, the difficulty level is hard. If the opponent's skill or characteristic is equal to or above 90, the difficulty level is extreme. So it's still you... a player-facing role. Yes. The, you're, it's not an opposed role. It's not opposed by successes. It's opposed by difficulty. Here's the deal. Okay. Here's an easy example. There is a doorway that you are trying to push through, but there's someone on the other side bracing it. You are going to roll your strength. They are not. It depends what their strength is. However many people are holding the door. Let's say it's, it's one person. You're one-on-one. Let's make it easy. That person's or that creature's strength is uh, 10. And you would, okay, you would uh, times by five, that would be 50. Okay. It's 50 or higher. The difficulty level is hard. That means with your strength roll, you roll half of your strength. That makes sense because the bracing person has advantage. The person pushing on the door has, has disadvantage in leverage and whatever. So it makes sense. Let's try it again. Let's do something else. Something a little more difficult. You, uh, The NPC plants a booby trap on the road. And they have uh, some kind of IED skill of 64. And they, they succeeded in placing the trap. You have a detect IED score. Again, I'm making up skills, but this is for the thing. Of 55. Their skill is 64, which means... It's a hard difficulty level for you to detect. And the reason they chose 50 was because they decided that 50% is the demarcation between amateur and professional. It's going to be hard to counter a professional. It's going to be harder to counter a professional's actions than an amateur. And the difference between 51 
or 50 and 90 is professional and expert. That's why if you're going against an expert, you're going to have a bad time. Now, I personally would add some other caveats and addendums to this. If you're both experts, why should it be more difficult? I'm having that question in my mind right now. Maybe, maybe they address that later on. Maybe the book addresses that later on. Let's find out. In the case of non-living opponents, the keeper must act as judge, weighing up the pertinent factors. A standard challenge would be of regular difficulty. Where the challenge is clearly beyond regular difficulty, the keeper may use the hard. If the challenge is exceptionally difficult, but still within the bounds of what is possible, the keeper should use extreme difficulty level. Okay, this is against a non-living opponent or an, an opponent that, that hasn't set an action against you already. For example, your opponent is the cliff. You have to climb the cliff. It's broad daylight. No wind, sunny, beautiful, regular difficulty level. It's nighttime. A it's sheer dark. ice you wall. Can't, you can't see anything. Maybe it's raining. Hard. The cliff is covered in ice and snow from a, a nor'easter from, say, Maine or something, and you still have to climb it. While humanly possible... <laughs> I wouldn't do it. Nope. <laughs> I, I, I just wouldn't do it. But it is still humanly possible. But that's going to be extreme difficulty level. Whenever possible, the situation should be framed in such a way that the dice are being rolled by the player. Players won't get much fun out of watching a keeper roll dice every time. That's why they. <laughs> that's why this game apparently doesn't like opposed rolls. The skill of the opposition dictates your difficulty level, not your not your target number or anything. That's that's an important thing to do. Players won't give it that right. If the investigator is attempting to use their stealth skill to for, uh, for furtively follow a non-player character, the player would roll the dice, and the keeper would use the non-player character's spot hidden skill to set the difficulty level. Less than fifty, fifty to eighty-nine. 90 or higher average hard extreme if the situation were reversed and the non-player character were following the investigator the player would roll against their spot hidden skill to see if the tail is spotted and there and the non-player character's stealth skill will determine the difficulty level remember uh, according to this no one else should roll dice in in, in skill checks except the player now, obviously, in combat, that's going to be different, but this is for skill checks we're looking at here. See Chapter 10, playing the game for more advice on setting difficulty levels. I, th I think we got it. I think we got it. Remember the, the GM chapter, right? Or the yeah. keeper chapter? Right. Remember, only roll the dice if it's a moment of tension. Dice rolls are not needed when characters undertake mundane and everyday tasks. I, I, I like it that they say it several times just to yep. beat it through bad people's heads, but yep. you shouldn't need it. Rolling the dice, success or failure. There are two possible outcomes of a roll. Oh my God. Success or failure. That's it. That's super success and horrible failure? No. Well, hang on. There could be caveats and addendums later on because I don't know if there is critical failure or critical success. We'll find out. The various divisions of skill, fifth, half, full, 
do not equate to graduations of success. The player states a goal and then rolls the dice. If the dice roll is equal to or below the required number, the goal is fully achieved. If the dice roll is below half or a fifth, the specified skill, the goal will not necessarily be performed to a high standard. Any further interpretation of the role is at the discretion of the keeper. Okay, so no matter what, if you say, I want to climb this cliff, you roll your climb skill, you succeed. You have, you have climbed the cliff. No one can take that away from you. You won. You got up the Ooh. cliff. Now, let's see what happens during that if a player has rolled equal to or under the target set by the keeper their investigator has achieved the goal that was set and agreed before the roll the player should be encouraged to participate in describing the outcome this can include aspects of the story beyond his or her investigator such as the actions of non-player characters and the environment mm, i'm not sure about that one however such things may be moderated by the keeper thank you thus both player and keeper are involved in describing the outcome of a successful role okay soft stop on this one You've already won, all right? You've already won. Don't try and do a victory lap. Don't spike the ball. Don't, don't, don't be a D-bag about this, all right? If, if you've won, you've won. You've done exactly what you wanted to do. Don't try and do more. Don't try and slip more in there. The keeper is just going to get pissed. And that's why I love this last one. However, such things may be moderated by the keeper. Again, if you start if you start doing uh, you know, spiking the ball in the end zone, doing a dance, all that crap like that, you're going to piss off not only the players, you're going to piss off the keeper. Keep it simple stupid, all right? Don't 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 do that. Don't do that. It's just it's bad juju. All right, failure. Let's get that over here. There we go. The player stated a goal and has failed to achieve it. But exactly how the player's investigator has failed is entirely up to the keeper. Remember, you've already failed. You have no say in what happens next. Because you know players, when they fail, will be like, well, I failed, but I, what ended up happening was... I got I real close. Yeah. <laughs> I only missed it by 2%. Well, you know what? So I was able to get my leg over, and so that means next round I should probably be able to pull myself up. No, shut up, player. You failed, and yeah, now it's failed. up to the keeper. Like I said, this is a binary state. You either yep. succeed or you fail. That's it. And when you fail, the keeper will tell you how you fail. Completely up to him, apparently. Though, of course, the players may throw in suggestions. Yeah, you can suggest all you want. Initial failure at a skill roll should not usually inflict damage or sanity loss, but that depends on the circumstances. Which makes sense. You don't want failure to be so extreme that you lose sanity or you kill yourself. Unless you put yourself in a situation where you're disarming a bomb that's a timer. And a failure, well, you, you die. Failure means you die. Most likely. Because the bomb blew up. In your face. A failed roll could represent failure to act rather than a failed attempt. You, you could have froze. You could have froze. That's in, in Call of Cthulhu... That is completely fine. No one's going to yell at you for that. Number one, the keeper made you do it. And number two, everyone's going to lose enough sanity at one point to freeze or pee themselves or cry. It's going to happen. Suck it up. Worst things may happen if the player chooses to push the role. 
yeah, that's a, that's a whole thing that I'm not on board with yet, but we're going to, we're going to find that out. Uh, and fails the second time. Save what's the worst that say, what's the worst that could happen style consequences for pushed roles. Okay. We went through pushed roles last week, but now I have to give you a little sum up. If you fail a role, you can decide to push it. If you fail it again, the keeper now has full control of your fate. This failure has dramatically bad consequences. Hey, you wanted it. You wanted it so bad. You were going to put your body, your soul, your mind, whatever on the line. And you failed again. Well, now it's going to hurt. Harvey fails his climb skill as he attempts to descend from an upper floor window to the street below. The keeper describes the lack of handholds and that he, the nearby drain pipe feels loose. Harvey's goal was to get safely to the ground, and this has not been achieved. Harvey is still stuck where he was before the dice roll. Remember, a, a single first failure doesn't mean he falls. He made no progress. His goal was to get to the street safely, and he failed. He did not achieve his goal. The keeper doesn't have to drop him. Doesn't have to, and probably shouldn't. Because Harvey's going to do something really dumb. I got I to gotta think right after this. <laughs> Note how the keeper did not take the situation to its extreme, that of Harvey falling and suffering harm, as it made sense that Harvey would hesitate when he realized that he was in real danger of dying. So you froze. In you action no happens way. a lot. Exactly. You got out there. You, you looked out the windows. I can make that. You got out there, and then you were like, oh, no, I can't make that. And so nothing happened. That's completely legitimate. Completely legitimate. Okay, we got pushing the roll here. Okay, good, good. I was hoping we would do it again. Pushing a roll provides the player with a second and final attempt to achieve a goal. A pushed roll is only allowed if it can be justified. And it's up to the player to do this. Whenever a player asks, can I push the role? The keeper should always respond with, what action are you taking to push the situation? It is not for the keeper to simply say yes or no. It is for the player to describe the extra effort or time taken to justify the pushed role. If the player is stuck, other players or the keeper might offer suggestions. Okay, now I know a lot of players like, yeah, you could do it, man. Yeah, just jump. Just jump, jump. <laughs> Those aren't people that are helping you. Those are people that want you to die. For example, Harvey Harvey gets out onto, onto the wall of the building and he finds he has no handholds to go down and the drain pipe is loose. So he, fa he failed his role. He wants to push the role. He's like, screw it. I'm going to jump on the drain pipe and slide it down like a fireman's pole. Keeper's like, wow. All right, roll. Harvey failed again. Oh. Well, guess what? It you didn't come sliding down anything. <laughs> nope. I, I want to disagree with you on, on one thing there. I don't think that that's players wanting to see the character die. That's players wanting to have the opportunity of their two-dimensional push roll of you know, sometime in the future. Well, you gave him, you just let him just try to jump. Player, players are thunking forward. They 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 want to find a way of manipulating and cornering you into a situation where it's just as simple for them as it is for Harvey. Okay. Now, in the case of Harvey, if he makes his push roll, then he succeeded. He rode that drain pipe down just like a fireman, 
and he makes it to the ground safely. If he fails, if you fail a push roll, you're at the mercy of the keeper. You just jumped. You are now in the air grabbing a drain pipe. The drain pipe breaks. You have no handhold. You fall. You hit the ground. Oh. That hurt. You're taking damage. That's how it works. You broke your tailbone. All right. Uh, here we go. It is important to note. Is it though? That a push roll is not simply a re-roll. Time always passes between rolls. It may take seconds or hours. Oh, this, this, is, this is a good thing to say. It's not a re-roll. The first attempt happened. This is a second attempt. This is your next action, not a redo of your failed action. So much different than uh, Free League, which actually it's a re-roll, redo. Yes, it's a re-roll, not, not another attempt. This is another attempt. Got it. So time has elapsed. When making a pushed roll, the goal must still be achievable. The skill and difficulty level normally remain unchanged, but may be modified if the situation changes. For example, me as the keeper may decide that Harvey jumping to the drain pipe increases the difficulty from average to hard. That's that's up to the keeper, and it's completely reasonable. Unless you grew up like Tarzan. That's completely reasonable. So your next role may be harder depending on how you worded it. So be careful how you word your pushed roles because they could get harder surprisingly quickly. Only skill and characteristic roles can be pushed, not luck, sanity, or combat roles, or roles to determine an amount of damage or sanity loss. So only skill and characteristic roles, nothing else. That's important because you, you're probably going to want to re-roll sanity a couple times, but it's not going to happen for you. But Foreshadowing I really failure. Stay- Foreshadowing failure. Before rolling the dice for a pushed roll, the consequence of failure may be foreshadowed by the keeper. To foreshadow, the keeper says, if you fail, dot, dot, dot. Followed by as much detail as he or she desires. The keeper should highlight things that would be apparent to the investigator, though perhaps not considered by the player. Things that the investigator would not be aware of might only be hinted at, at the keeper's discretion. This is if the keeper is trying to help you. You know you know the old saying that if a dungeon master asks you if you really want to do that, you don't. <laughs> this is it. This is This is that right here. If the keeper, if you ask to do something, and the roll, and he says, okay, it's going to be a jump roll. And the keeper follows it up by possible consequences. You probably want to really rethink your life. Do you really want to do this? There are two reasons why the keeper should foreshadow consequence. The player requests foreshadowing to clarify the dangers okay. so that they can gauge the risk. Fair enough. You as a player do not know what your investigator knows. Do not have the experience your investigator does. If your investigator is a professional athlete, you can ask the keeper to foreshadow success and failure for you because as a professional athlete, your your investigator is going to know more than you. Fair enough. That's great. Or the keeper chooses to foreshadow to highlight the danger or to increase the drama of the situation. The keeper's, he's helping you 
without helping you. Okay? It's the whole, like, uh, if God did his job right, you wouldn't know he did anything at all. It's kind of like that. He's trying to help you. Don't smack it away. At least take it into consideration. It is imperative that the keeper focuses on an interesting consequence rather than a flat failure. If you, if the keeper, if you as the keeper choose to describe possible failures, don't do it unless the possible failure is interesting and or debilitating to the player in some way. You might get hurt. You might get hurt. Whatever. You know, great. You might break your leg and you won't be able to run anymore. Or you might break your arm and you won't be able to get in the car and drive because it's a stick shift. Whatever. Or you might crash through the floor because it's looking pretty weak and you don't know what's yeah. down there because you hear the scuffling and skittering of little things, denizens. Exactly. Yes. If, if your investigator has carpentry, if your investigator is a building <laughs> inspector, if your investigator has any skill <laughs> involved with rickety buildings or rickety structures, you can take one look at that and ask the keeper, hey, is you think that's strong enough to take my weight if I fall? Keeper's going to say no. And you're going to go, okay, then. Plan B. That's a good one. Plan B is usually the best plan. Okay, and we have here. Okay, pushed roll success. This is just going to be success. I mean, that's pretty much it. The player's goal is achieved and would have been, been for the original roll. None of the consequences of failure happen. But nothing special happens either. Nothing good, nothing bad. You tried again and you did it. Good job. It just took a little extra time. It just took a little extra, a couple minutes, couple seconds, couple hours, depending on the action, whatever. Right? Fine. Pushed roll failure. Here's where your life starts to get bad. Failing a push roll grants the keeper free reign over the outcome, including damage, sanity checks, loss of equipment, isolation for the rest of the investigators, capture, and so on. The keeper can even incorporate the player's goal being achieved but at some form of cost, usually like a Pyrrhic victory just to piss you off. I don't recommend <laughs> keepers do that. That's just mean. Just fail them. Don't have them. Okay. Stupid keeper nonsense that they can use with a failed push roll. All right. Example. Uh, you are trying to uh, do a an Ace Ventura uh, a parallel parking job in a parking lot. I don't know if you, if you haven't seen the movie, he spins out and then ends up perfectly parallel parking every time. Okay, you want to do that? I don't know why, but you do. You fail the first roll. You push your roll because you want you want to look good. You want to look good to this girl who you're who you're going to park next to. And if you do it right, the passenger door will be right in front of her. That's what you're going for. And it will impress her. It doesn't matter how feminist she is. She's going to be impressed by this. You fail again. You fail your pushed roll. So this is what the keeper does. The keeper says, oh, no, you parallel park. You don't hit any. You, hit, you, you, you thread that needle. You do not hit either car. But you go up on the curb and you hit her. <laughs> he could do that. to get your attention. Yeah, he could do that. That's a completely completely legitimate for a failed a failed push roll. You got it. You won, but it was a pyrrhic victory because your goal was not achieved. So think of it that way. When a player fails a push roll, he or she is giving the keeper license to make the investigators' lives more difficult. A consequence should steer the game towards the theme of horror, taking the investigators one step nearer to their doom. 
A player gets a push roll, and if he, he or she fails, the keeper gets to push the horror back in the player's face. Okay, that's fair. And what are the what are the some of the examples? A setback, loss of equipment, or death of an ally, or you know you're not you're not getting any you know fun times that night because you just put your girl in the hospital. A deal. Rather than killing the investigator, the enemies offer a pact or deal. Fainting. It is perfectly Lovecraftian for a character to faint, only to awaken later to find themselves unharmed and the situation radically changed. Failed dice rolls and sudden endings. Ooh. Where possible, try to avoid an outcome that will end the game, unless you wish it to, of course. Try to be creative and describe an outcome that allows for play to proceed, but not in the way the players intended. Rather than sudden death, consider other options as. Okay, right now, I want to think of it, why don't you think of it like this? Uh, you have to smash this crystal to stop the summoning of the demon. And when the demon is summoned, the demon will start destroying the world. You take your hammer and you go to smash the crystal. You miss. Well, you got to smash that crystal and the demon's almost summoned. So you push your roll again. You fail. Now the demon is summoned because your goal was to stop the demon from being summoned by smashing the thing. You didn't smash it, so you didn't get your goal. Demon is summoned. Now, at this point, the keeper could say, oh, well, I told you when the demon is summoned, the world starts to end. Now the world starts to end, no matter what happens. Even if you kill the demon, the magic is already released and the world is ending. Sorry. Don't do that. Don't do that. Keep the game going, but make it all very harder from now on. Now that this eldritch power, this dark energy is now suffusing the world, all of your roles are one difficulty level higher no matter what. They go from average to hard, hard to extreme, extreme to impossible. And and then there's just going to be other things that happen in the world. There are going to be more cow mutilations, more three-eyed yeah. fish. Uh, yeah. There's going to be more rain clouds floating over individual people's heads. And Exactly. Even if you win after this, the world is still radically changed because of your failure. That is a good failed push roll. It didn't end the world. It didn't end the game, but it made the entire world worse because you suck. Hey, and it gave you more adventures to go on. And it gave you more adventures because now, now you got to try and fix what you broke, like the world. More than one player rolling dice. Oh, let's look at that. In some circumstances, two or more characters may work together towards the same goal. The decision of how many investigators may be involved in a situation is up to the keeper. All right. He's there cute. It was cute. Yeah. Examples. Researching a single book. One person may examine the book at a time. You, you can't have two people doing reading the same book. It doesn't work. I've tried it. One person always reads faster or slower. They got to wait for pages to turn. It turns into a fight. Picking a lock. One person can pick a lock at a time. Sorry. <laughs> Delivering first aid. Two people may assist each other, both rolling first aid skills. A success is granted if either succeeds. That's cool. That's good. Because number one, you don't want to fail a first aid roll. Because you're probably going to have to push that roll just to keep someone alive. So having, having a second free roll is a good deal. Could Carrying you end up body. with a tourniquet around somebody's neck? Yeah, you could end up doing that. And the other guy will be there. No, 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 no. Bob, Bob, what the, what the, what the, what? <laughs> arm bob arm not neck oh right 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 
carrying a body. The keeper should use the size characteristic of the body to set the difficulty level. Up to four people, each taking one limb, could assist, in which case a roll would only be acquired if the body were exceptionally heavy. Okay. Uh, it depends how heavy the body is compared to your strength or the strength of your group, if even if a roll is necessary. So I could probably carry Schlow for a, a decent distance if he were unconscious. Fireman's carry, yeah. Fireman's carry, I could do it. But if it were, say, a 300-pound guy, I couldn't do it. I could drag him maybe a little bit, but I, I couldn't pick him up. If I had two, three, four people helping me, we combine our strengths together. That will tell us the difficulty level. And if it's average or less, I'm not, me as a keeper, I wouldn't even ask you to roll. Really? Because all four of you should be able to do it. The reality of the situation is that he'd grab me by my feet and make sure my head hit every rock while he was dragging me. Well, the, yeah, that's, that's flavor. <laughs> <laughs> library use in a public library. All investigators in the library may conduct research and attempt a skill roll. Only one skill roll is successful. This is awesome about Call of Cthulhu. If you have more than one scholar, if you have more than one smart guy, you can have them study something in a library together at the same time, each using the same amount of in-game time, each making a roll. Doesn't matter who succeeds, as long as one person succeeds, everyone wins. I love it. You're not assisting someone in the same in the idea that you're helping their role that's not how this game works everyone makes their role every target number is the same but only one success is required spotting a clue everyone who's in the right position to view whatever's in question may roll spot hidden only one success is needed unless you're a d-bag and decide i'm not going to tell the party what i found don't be that guy <laughs> that guy does not get that does not get a pushed roll on his next first aid that guy is also a cultist that you're trying to kill yes he's on the side of the cultist and we gotta get rid of him all right let's get some more um the examples above are only attended as guidelines for tasks in which the number of participants is limited further attempts may be made by other investigators but such attempts will take additional time it may not be apparent in some situations whether another skill roll should be allowed or if a player is required to push a skill roll, the keeper must decide. Okay, it all depends on how much time you have and how important the task is. If if you have a month and you are studying, you're, you're, you're trying to study up on uh, the history of this cult, it takes two weeks to make a skill roll using the library. You fail. Why would you push that role? You have two more weeks before you need the information. That's another role. Why push it? Just do it naturally. It's still going to take two more weeks. Because remember, it's not a re-roll. It's another attempt. So pushing is stupid. But you have time. You have time to try again. Sometimes you don't. So it's, it's up to the keeper to adjudicate that. Uh, let's see here. Physical human limits. This is important. The investigators are only human and there are limits to what they can achieve physically. 
as has already been stated, the difficult level role of extreme when opposed by a characteristic of 90 or above. The upper limit of what can be faced with extreme success is 100 plus the investigator's skill or characteristic. Anything wow. beyond this is impossible for the character and no dice roll is allowed. For example, if you are pushing, trying to push open a door that is held by an immensely strong supernatural creature, this creature has a strength of 125. You have a strength of 40. <laughs> um, okay. You're not going to make it. There is no human way possible that you could, you could beat this thing in a feat of strength at all. It's not going to happen. Can't win. Sorry. Things like that. Or if, if, if someone planted an IED and has an above 90 skill, whatever. No, I'm sorry. Above, above 100 skill. I don't know how. Magic. Whatever. You may not be able to even roll to find it. It's just too well hidden beyond your human ability to detect. Or hidden by magic, maybe. I don't know. Could be anything. But you cannot detect it. You're only human. The only way to exceed human limits is for multiple investigators to combine their efforts. Hey, if you can't push open that door that's being held by the supernatural creature, maybe you, Bob, Jerry, and Jimbo can all get together and push on that door and win the day. That's possible. Probably still be an extreme effort, but that's possible. But only one of you has to succeed. One. That's the cool thing. One. Someone can roll a natural one. And just win the day for everybody. But they wouldn't have even been allowed a role unless they had help. See? Work together. Teamwork. Makes a dream work. Can we uh, can we take a, a, a bit of a break here to go through some of the super chats that's already happened? Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, what page are we on? We're on page... Actually, no, we are... Nope, this is a this is a good place to stop. Okay. Uh, all right. So most of this is from uh, a while ago. So he not guaranteed success with women. That's what I heard. That's about your uh, your your yeah. hoodie. The hoodie. Yep. Uh, Malachi, are they available in zipper? I don't do pullovers. I think I answered that. One. I didn't. Did I start that one? I don't remember. No, I, starting I did because you didn't answer it. Oh, I, I typed it in chat. Oh, okay. Um, there should be some zipper ones as well, but they are. I do limit the zipper ones a little bit more. Those I actually do pay attention to. Yeah, it depends most... on the symbol. I mean, if you're going to break it in half and yeah. it's important, then no, it won't be. I I would do those with zipper, but like some of them, like your your sign, you know, player agency not allowed, or oh my, one of mine says like mockery is not hate or whatever. I wouldn't do those in the middle because they look silly separated. But yeah. Um, I love Heathen Dog's mastery of PDFs. Yeah. Uh, again, this is my first time. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, third first time book. now. Well, first book. First, but there you go. Uh, Heathen Dog, use a tool, no strength roll, roll, use stealth roll instead. This is about that lock picking. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Hey. You, it, again, it's up to the player to describe the action and the keeper using that description tell you the relevant skill. And the difficulty and the difficulty level. Yeah, the geek has a series on Call of Cthulhu as well. Oh, good. Uh, Darthiac says, "Well, I'd call for a strength stealth with hard difficulty." 
And in chat, they agreed like, hey, that's another way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Again, uh, it it gives the keeper a lot of leeway in adjudicating what difficulty it is and what roles actually make. And remember, we, we talked last week about making uh, two two roles that are related and only one needs to succeed for the whole thing to succeed. That's, again, up to the keeper. Okay. Uh, then we get gross. What about locks made of tentacles that use skin chemistry as a substitute for a key? That would be extreme difficulty or impossible. And finally, now this one, you actually addressed this already, but uh, I thought it'd be good to bring it back up again. Uh, Anonymous says, uh, I would add, depending on the situation, a player might be able to change the difficulty level. In the example of climbing the cliff, you give PC happens to have some pitons and cleats. Absolutely, yes. Normally, uh, at night, blizzard, ice wall, extreme difficulty. But I have a climbing skill of at least 50%, and I have tools. Well, that brings it down from extreme to hard. If you are an expert climber, 90 or more, and you have tools, I would say it brings it from extreme to average because you are an expert climber. You have ice climbing tools. You've done this before. You've been to K2. You've been to the Himalayas. You may have been to Antarctica at this point because that's how you get that good. This is not something you haven't done before. So yeah, the Andes is just a stroll for you. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's all I had. All right. Next time we are going to continue with the with the game system, and we are going to look at critical roles, critical failure, critical critical success, and stuff like that. How does that change something? How does it not? But we will find out. Until then, we'll see you. No, I, I didn't know you were going to actually end this. <laughs> <laughs> the segment there, but the- well, it was, a, it was a good way to go because I yeah. was on page, yeah, I was on page 89 and I had gone through nine pages. There is only five pages left, but it would have gone to an hour. That, that's cool. I, I'm good either way. I might have to wa- step away for two to five minutes during this segment. I hope not, but uh, if I do, well, I'll be back. So, of course, okay, so. Let me get you your little thingy back up. And this time I will be prepared. Theoretically. I'll still screw it up. Okay, I'm kind of prepared. All right, give me give me a sec. Yep. <clears throat> All right, welcome back to part two of Call of Cthulhu's seventh edition game system. In the last section, we learned all about skill roles, characteristic roles, pushing your role what constitutes a success or failure, and the difficulties thereof. Today, we're going to talk about exceptional successes and exceptional failures, what that does for and to you as an investigator. Role-playing games thrive in fantastic worlds and at inclusive tables that embrace these core values for the most positive gaming experience. Donate to the Wounded Warrior Project via the link in the description below to help honor and empower our wounded heroes on thursdays and saturdays watch heathen dogs dirty casuals play multiplayer video games over on twitch on sundays and fridays join us for tabletop role-playing game content on both youtube and rumble 
Finally, please take a quick moment to like this video and share it with both your friends and on social media. If you have not done so, please subscribe to Legion of Myth and activate that bell icon to receive notifications of new content. All right, here we go. Fumbles and criticals. Let's see what they define it as. Very high or very low die rolls are unusual and signify good or bad fortune for the players. The impact of fumbles should take place immediately and may not be negated by pushing. Oh, <laughs> there is no there is no retry with a fumble. You okay. done messed up, son. That's good and to it's know. Immediate consequence. But first, let's see what happens with a critical success. Let's start with the good and then go to the bad, because that's how Call of Cthulhu works. Always ends bad. <laughs> a roll of zero one means that something beneficial occurs beyond simply achieving the goal. The nature of the good fortune is at the keeper's discretion, although the players may make suggestions. In combat, for example, a criti critical success means that the character has hit a vulnerable spot and causes maximum damage. It's just one example. Or if you are climbing a rope and there's cultists behind you, you got a zero one. You climb the rope so fast before they even get to it, or you climb the rope in such a way where it loosens the rope. Luckily, when you get to the top, the rope falls. They can't climb after you, or they can't climb after you using the rope. So that could be a, a critical success. Super good luck. Okay, what about Fumbalaya? Let's this is happens. ridiculous. But no, no, go back to those numbers. That's ridiculous. 96 to 100? Yeah, yeah, a 5% chance of fumble, one little percent chance of critical. Yeah. This is Call of Cthulhu, man. You got a helmet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at this. All right, a fumble simply means that something really bad occurs, something worse than a straight failure. The return of the misfortune or had luck is the keeper's discretion. Okay, well, let's. that is not very... Uh, descriptive let's get if the die roll required for success is 50 or over and the dice read 100 a fumble has occurred if the die roll required for success is below 50 oh. and the dice read 96 to 100 a fumble has occurred okay that makes sense that's that's better because if, you, if you're professional then yes. you have a very low chance of fumbling but yes. if you're not a professional that i'm, I'm with that, that now okay. i, actually I like can that. get behind that now exactly right yeah it goes five times the failure well if you're a professional you're not going to have five times the failure rate of a you know of a non-professional so okay you know that that's fair i can i can get behind that brian encounters a ghoul making his sanity roll he rolls a hundred a fumble he automatically takes the maximum sanity point loss for seeing the ghoul Okay, that sucks for him, but <laughs> I get it. Luck. Luck rolls. Luck rolls may be called for by the keeper when circumstances external to any investigator are in question and also when determining the fickle hand of fate. Don't really get that so far. Let's keep going. If a skill or characteristic is applicable to a situation, then it should be used rather than luck. Okay, sounds like luck is a replacement attribute. Let's keep looking. If the keeper calls for a group luck roll, the player with the lowest luck score should make the roll. <laughs> Not the highest, the lowest. If something bad is deemed to happen to one member of the group, the keeper can simply ask who has the lowest luck score at that moment and have the individual suffer that unfortunate. I event. like it. I see. No, I mean that. I like it. That's good. 
Yeah, that is good. Because like, okay, you're you're walking over a trap. The trap only hits one of you. You can't immediately determine logically which one it's going to be. The guy with the lowest luck. That makes sense. That makes sense. I can get behind that. Intelligence rolls and idea rolls. An intelligence role may be called for by the keeper when an investigator is attempting to solve an intellectual puzzle of some kind. By rolling equal to or below the investigator's intelligence, the player will receive a solution from the keeper. This might include solving a crossword puzzle or answering a riddle. This is important because, again, your investigator knows things you as a player do not. If your investigator has a theoretical mathematics skill of 70, He's a professional mathematician. He's going to know how to start and end a problem more than you, unless you are also, you know, a theoretical mathematician. He's got those Sudoku numbers. He's got that down pat. He knows exactly the steps to do and you don't. So you roll your intelligence to prove that you know what you need to do, and then you can go do it. This is something that, that I'm not trying to get off topic here, but in a lot of other games like D&D and so forth that it really irks me. I really hate puzzles in games like D&D because, you know, the game master read it in a book somewhere or, or, you know, as a Mensa student or some nonsense, whatever, you know, and just trying to be like, look, I'm smarter than you. Yeah. I might not know how to solve this thing. Move one matchstick to change these eight numbers into one number or something, you know, uh, but my character would be able to figure that out because he understands symbolism or, yeah. or he's a stage magician. Or right. he's a mentalist or something like that. He knows the trick, right? He could just know the trick. I'll just sit here and wait to see if you guys figure it out. <laughs> yeah, dumb. Yeah. Make an, make an intelligence roll to see if your character has this knowledge that you don't. That's fine. That's actually weighted toward the player's benefit yeah. because the player can use his knowledge and the player can use his investigator's knowledge. So two sources to get an answer. So that's just, that's the way it is. An idea roll is different than an intelligence roll, although made in the same manner by rolling equal to or below the investigator's intelligence characteristic. The idea roll is usually proposed by the players when the investigators have become stuck at a point in the investigation. Perhaps they have completely missed a vital clue or just don't know what to do next, so the game is stalled. The outcome of the idea roll will get the investigation back on track. However, the success or failure of an idea role determines whether the missed clue has been obtained easily or at some cost to the investigators. Okay, more chapter 10, more advice on idea roles. From that, I would say that uh, uh, you make an idea role and you're like, oh God, I, comp I completely forgot you know, about this, that, or the other. And that's why we have this key. you know. Or if you fail it, you're like, I don't know, man. Let's just keep trying stuff. Ow, 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 ow. <laughs> oh, okay, I got it. Fire you know, hot. Like fire hot. <laughs> yeah, fire hot, right? Yeah, you just got you just you just you stumble onto eventual right answer, but you're going to take detriments along the way. Okay, I can get behind that too. Either way, the game is no longer stalled. Mm -hmm. Knowledge roll. All people know bits of information about different topics. The knowledge role represents what's stored in the brain's intellectual attic, calculated as the percentage chance that the investigator's education supplied the information. Roll equal to or under the character's education value to determine the success of a no role. This is great. I've always loved this about Call of Cthulhu because 
again, your character has lived their life just like you. And your brain is full of what you deem to be useless nonsense. Stuff that you don't need in your life, but you, for some reason, your brain still has card catalog. Your investigator is no different. Your investigator may have this knowledge that is just sitting around. You remembered for some reason, but is now useful. There you go. I love it. I love it. The investigator might know it is dangerous to pour water into sulfuric acid without studying chemistry or be able to remember the geography of Tibet without a navigation role or know how many legs arachnids have and possess only the one percentile in biology. Again, yeah, a lot of people without being entomologists or whatever it is that uh, that deals with insects and stuff like that know the difference between insects and arachnids. Insects have six legs. Arachnids have eight. Am I an expert or trained in anything to do with insects and arachnids? No, I just know that because I know it. That's all. I learned it somewhere and it's stuck. Stuff like that. Okay, let's move on to opposed skill. Oh, we actually do have opposed roles. Okay. Oh, player versus player and melee combat. Okay. Player versus player. That is different. That ah, stop it. There we go. There may be times, such as when two investigators are opposing one another, when you wish for both sides to roll dice to determine a victor. Opposed roles are the standard for melee combat. Outside of combat, however, the keeper should avoid using opposed roles between non-player characters and investigators. Remember, the idea is that for most of the time, 90% of the time, the player is making all the die rolls. The keeper is determining the difficulty. Average, hard, extreme, or impossible. But if two players are opposing, well, if the idea is that players get to roll, then both players get to roll, right? Well, how do they adjudicate that? Let's find out. To make an opposed roll, both sides will declare a mutually exclusive goal. One will win, one will lose. Each side selects a skill or characteristic to use, not necessarily the same one, both of which must be approved by the keeper. You're like, wait a minute, how does that work? Hang on, let's see it. Let's see if they give an example. Both sides roll dice to determine level of success by comparing their roles with the chosen skill or characteristic. The keeper should be aware that the characteristics are usually higher than skills, so when one side uses a characteristic, the other side should be given the choice of whether to use a characteristic or a skill. Opposed skill roles cannot be pushed. Oh, okay, so when, when it's PvP, there's no pushed roles. You just win or you lose. So let's see if they give examples and whatnot. A skill roll can yield one of six results. Oh my God, it's getting complicated. Fumble, the roll is 100. If the roll required for success is less than 50, a roll of 96 or over is a fumble. Failure, regular success, hard success, extreme success, critical success, comparing results. Well, how do you determine comparing results? A critical success beats an extreme success. An extreme success beats a hard success. A hard success beats a regular success. Oh, interesting. A a regular success beats a fumble or a failure. Okay, okay, I get it now. This is getting to the point where it's a little too complicated. I would have gone to make it easy. Whoever beats their 
their skill by the most wins. Yeah. That's I what I would you. do. I, Cause at oh. first, when, when I first saw that, I was like, there aren't six, there aren't six. You have success, failure, fumble. Like what else is here? There's but four. if they're comparing it like that. Yeah. Okay. But There's I a hundred percent agree with you that yeah. uh, it should just be who, who beats it by the most, but then I have to do math. No, well, no, you don't have to do math here. You just compare your level of success. For example, let's say you and I both have a 49 in arm wrestling mm -hmm. and we have the same strength. Okay. And the same, it happens to be less than 49. So we're not rolling a characteristic. We're rolling the skill, whatever. All right. We roll. You roll a 40. I roll a 10. You got an average success. I got a hard success. I win. Your success level determines victory in opposed roles. But remember, so, opposed roles only happens player versus player. No NPCs are involved. I mean, that sounds about right. I suck at arm wrestling. so Yeah, fair. In the case of a tie, the side with the higher skill or characteristic wins. If it's still tied, either an impasse has been reached or both sides should re-roll. Well, in the case of arm wrestling, you just keep rolling, right? Yeah, it's That's still awesome. going on. The contest is exciting. Yeah. Contest still going on. That's great. Bonus dice and penalty dice. Primarily used with opposed die roll. Okay, now we're, I think we may, may be going into overcomplication here. Let's find out. Sometimes the prevailing conditions, environment, and available time can hinder or benefit a skill or characteristic role. Certain conditions mean the keeper may grant a bonus die or a penalty die to a roll. I don't with, with the I don't think it's necessary with the average, hard, extreme, and impossible. Is this different than fifth edition? Yes. Okay. Bonus dice and penalty dice are not trifling small additions or subtractions of a few percentage points and should not be used without good cause. If a factor is so small that it would only modify a roll by a few percentage points, then don't bother with it. Driving in light rain should not inflict a penalty die, but torrential rain so thick you can barely see, even with the wipers on full speed, now's your penalty. See, again. Why can't that just be hard? Or Exactly. You've already covered that. Yeah. This is This so far is ridiculous. Okay. Let's see about more. Here we go. Wow. In most cases, the keeper would boost or penalize a roll with a single bonus or penalty die. But where the conditions are highly advantageous or dire, a second bonus die or penalty die should be applied. One bonus die and one penalty die cancel each other out. For each bonus die, roll an additional tens percentage die along with the usual percentage dice when making a skill roll. You are now rolling three separate dice. One unit die for ten for ones and two for tens. You should have a bonus die. You should use the tens die that yields the better or lower result, depending if it was bonus or penalty. I get it. I would not use this. I don't. I like would it not either. use this mechanic. Yep, it's I agree with you. Completely unnecessary, and it it's just it's just fuel for a player to get pissed off. What if they roll all all tens? I don't normally put stuff right away, but this is topical. They're making comparison of results more worthy. Yeah, exactly. This this is yeah. A, a, an opponent rolls a zero zero one. A zero on the tens. I'm sorry. A, a, a zero on the tens. A one on the tens, and a zero on the ones. If it's a bonus die, 
you rolled a hundred. If it's a penalty die, you rolled a 10. That's too much of a swing. It's too much of a swing. I like the average, hard, extreme, impossible. I like those better. You can just, you can just use that. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to read that. <laughs> then don't. I'm not going to. <laughs> For each penalty die, it's the same thing, but reversed. Difficulty levels versus bonus. And, oh, no. Now you're adding on. Now it's difficulty levels and bonus and penalty. Shut well, let's, let's see what it says. I mean, this is a deep dive. Let's deep dive into this let's nonsense. Deep it. Deep it. In the majority of cases, only one person, usually the player, makes a skill roll. Any factors that provide an advantage or disadvantage for the investigator should be factored into the difficulty level set by the keeper. Bonus die and penalty dice may be awarded in conjunction with difficulty levels at the keeper's discretion, but doing so should be the exception rather than a rule. Okay, it doesn't work. <laughs> in the case of an opposed roll, where both sides are rolling in opposition, player versus player usually, uh, the level of success achieved by one side is, in effect, the level of difficulty that the other side must compete against. If there are factors that provide a distinct advantage or disadvantage for one of the characters involved, the keeper should grant a bonus die or penalty die to that player. No. I will not. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for playing. I will not do it. Okay, here's the thing. If you are at a significant advantage, I'm going to lower the difficulty level. But you're already at average. There's the only, the only time I would even consider giving you a bonus dice. You're already at average. And yet you still have a significant advantage. For example, there of the, the whole holding the door closed thing. You have one guy holding the door closed and one guy breaking the door down. If you have, if you have a police battering ram and you're banging on the door with that battering ram, you have a significant advantage to your role. Now, your the, the opposing person's strength is not above 50. Therefore, it's already at an average difficulty to break it down. But you gave yourself a significant technological advantage on this. I would give you a bonus die. Okay, on the I can flip see that. Side, on the flip side, the person bracing the door shut has one of those things you put on a door to make sure people can't break in. You know, you see them as seen on TV stuff. You're the holding the door doors, closed yeah. and have a mechanical advantage in bracing the door. You're going to get a disadvantage dice in breaking the door open. But only, only if you're already at extreme difficulty. <laughs> right. In any other case, in any other case, I would up the difficulty level. Average yep. to hard. Hard to extreme. I'm not going to say extreme to impossible in this case, but extreme and penalty dice. To, to crazy unlikely. <laughs> yeah, super unlikely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's how I would do it. And I'm glad they worded it that all bonus dice are given or taken away by the adjudication of the keeper. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to use bonus dice, your answer is no bonus dice or penalty dice on this roll. Right. And there you go. You're done. Combined skill roles. Some situations allow or demand the use of more than one skill. Only one die roll is made and the result then compared with each of the skills named. The oh, keeper wow. will specify whether a success is required for both skills or if only one of the skills need be successful. 
Note the importance of using a single die roll in the latter example. Harvey has only 10% skill in both mechanical repair and electrical repair. The chance of success when making one die roll and comparing it to both skills Hey, there's your guy busting in the door. Yeah, there he is. Ah, no, get out of here. Simultaneously is 10%. If two separate rolls are made, first against the mechanical repair and then against electrical repair, the chance of succeeding in both would be 1%. The keeper must decide whether a situation calls for sequential skill rolls or a combined skill roll. It all really depends on why you're making the skill roll. Why is it? Is it a technical thing? You know, like, is it like steps, like disarming a bomb? You might, you might need, uh, if you don't have the demolition skill or something equivalent to disarming a bomb, then you might need consecutive skill roles of electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, or a simultaneous skill role of both and both must succeed. It's up to the gate. It's up to the keeper to adjudicate that, but this is a possibility in your life. Let's see what the example is. A deranged cultist suddenly moves to draw a gun on Harvey. A successful spot hidden roll would allow Harvey to see the cultist's hand moving toward the gun, while a successful psychology roll would allow him to anticipate the action through the cultist's demeanor. The keeper asks for a combined spot hidden and psychology roll. A success on either skill would allow him to predict the attacker's actions. Later, Harvey attempts to repair an electrical turbine. The item is both mechanical and electrical, so the keeper asks for a combined mechanical repair and electrical repair. One roll is made, and the result is compared to both skills. In this case, both must be successful. Sure, you fix the gears, but you screwed up the wiring, or vice versa. Both must be successful. I like that because uh, it keeps the game moving without looking over a skill list 30 long. and Yeah, and you're only making one roll. You're only making one roll, which makes the game snappy, makes the game fast. Yeah. I like Rolling that. is important. Anybody who says that rolling slows down a game, well, guess what? It is a game still, so you're rolling LARPing. is part of it. At the same time, trying to look up, like, okay, first you roll your mechanics roll. Click, 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 click. Okay, now roll your electronics roll. Click, 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 click. Oh, you made that one a little better. Okay, now you want to make, no, just, just do it in one roll. I like that that concept. All right, moving on. Uh, this this is uh, turning those things into average, hard, and extreme successes, which obviously, depending on uh, what what you're doing and who's doing it against you. Uh oh, that's that's not good. No, that's, Harvey, that's... turn around, man. All right, and that is the end of your game system. Okay, so let's let's recap a little bit on what I like and what I didn't like. I liked the fact that you make as few rolls as possible, even when the rolls seem like they're going to be complicated. Mm -hmm. Multiple skills are involved. You still only make one roll. You either have to succeed in both skills or one or the other, depending on what the keeper says. I also like that you're not changing target numbers all the time because of difficulty. It's either average. Hard, extreme, or no roll. Mm -hmm. I like that. Now, the idea on the flip side, the idea of bonus and penalty die in this game system is abhorrent to me. It's absolutely foolish. You already have enough. 
you have enough with the difficulty step system. If you're already at extreme difficulty and something else makes it more difficult, guess what? It's impossible. It is no longer humanly possible. So you don't get a roll at all. But it's important. Well, then you should have planned better or gotten better, Scrub. Or the game as our keeper should have made that a possible action. Yeah, made it a possible action. What you're doing now is an impossible action. Try and think of another way to accomplish the same task. To make it possible. That's on the player. That is on you as the player to make your roles as easy as possible because you get to decide how you do it. All right. So I can't disagree with anything you said there. Like, like I'm 100% spot on with you. Uh, not a lot this time. So uh, kind of an off-topic question, but would you ever consider doing a special video series, Top 10 RPGs of the 80s, 90s, 2000s? I would not. Uh, I can explain why later, but the quick I can version... tell you the top one of the 80s right now. What's that? Mar Marvel superheroes. Bear might agree with you. Uh, I, I would agree. 84 or 86 or something like that. I, I would take Star Wars D6 over that one. But, no, I don't, I'm not a fan. But, but here's the thing. Uh, no, because... It, that would be more of a Friday show. Let's just put it that way. That'd be yeah, more of a yeah. Friday show. That'd be too much contention. It's it, it's too nuanced a topic to actually say anything definitively. So it would just cause strife. I do have some similar blog posts to that though on the legionmyth.tv site. Not not quite in that vein, but uh, I could do that. Uh, anyway, okay. So that rule alone make luck. Oh uh, yeah, makes luck. So he's talking about luck. Makes it not a dump step. You don't want to be the unlucky one. It could hurt. Yeah, exactly. It uh, having a low luck skill. You got to look around. It's, it's very much like a, a group of people being hunted by a tiger. You don't have to be the fastest. You just don't, you just don't want to be the slowest. <laughs> I don't have to outrun so, tiger. Got to outrun if heathen dog. luck skill is 20, as long as someone else has a 19, you're okay. <laughs> you're okay. That's, that's what everybody's passing on the character sheet. It's like, hey, what are your attributes? So I got this and strength cuts and this. Oh, yeah, you're pretty strong. What's your luck? <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Uh, Michael Mammoth says, I see that your character has the mechanic skill. I bought this two. What he's relating this to here is like the whole puzzle thing where it's like for some reason, like they make people like actually do puzzles at the table. But, you know, hey, uh, your character's mechanic skill. I bought this two stroke engine from the garage. Please rebuild it uh, to advance. I mean, it's the same concept of like you don't have that mechanic skill. Your character does. Your character does. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, in the game, that's fortunate for you. Because you get to draw upon your knowledge and your investigator's knowledge to make decisions. Notice, nowhere in this book so far has it said player knowledge not allowed. Nowhere has it said that, ever. You know why? Because this game's hard enough as it is. Okay? Don't want to make it harder. You must have highlighted this one because I don't remember. It says, uh, Heathen Dog, the problem is people cannot do this in other games. Seek the character sheet response. In Call of Cthulhu, people use their imagination to solve situations. I don't know what that was related to because I, I didn't highlight it. To. I, didn't, I didn't click on that. I didn't, I didn't star that. But let me, let me talk about that. Uh, they, the seek the character sheet response. What is the character sheet response? In Call of Cthulhu, people use their imagination to solve situations. That is, okay. Yes. Uh, in, a, in a lot of other games, they just look at their character sheet and go, they can do this, they can do that, they know this, they know that, and do nothing else. In Call of Cthulhu, you are, you are encouraged to use your own knowledge to try and win the day. Your, your knowledge and your investigator's knowledge together 
to win the day, to, to succeed in tasks, to get on the right track. You can do that. That's completely legit, completely fine. Other games frown on that. That's fine. That's other games. Not this one. All right, the one I did star on. <laughs> so raising difficulty is preferable to penalty dice? Yes. In, in this Absolutely. game. In this know. game, the way it's set up, yes. Now, uh, in uh, in Watsy uh, D&D, you have advantage and disadvantage. It's pretty much the same thing for, for your for your 10-sided on your percentile. You roll two, you take the highest one or the lowest one, depending if you're advantage or disadvantage. That's great. But they also don't have a difficulty level system built in. Well, a little bit of one plus two plus five, but it's just not used as often. Yeah, it's not used very much. This the the difficulty level system is used as the base to to set your your yeah. difficulty level to to set we need to roll. You've already got that, yep. and you can push it up past extreme to make sure they don't get a roll at all because it's not humanly possible. Why do you need to give and take away? Not, not give and take away, but what, why do you need to, to give and take away success with an extra die that can swing so much, so much? It's just, it's just crazy. Yeah, I, agree. I, I think it added something that wasn't needed. Not that the mechanic itself is broken, but it added something that is not needed to yeah, this it game. It wasn't necessary. They already, they already built a great system for this game. It works. It works even in extreme situations. Why do you need bonus and penalty die? It doesn't make any sense. The only saving grace is that every time they bring it up, it's keeper optional, which is great. All right. So what's the next episode? Next episode is about advancing your investigator. You've done your first couple of ventures. You've done all this. You've done all that. You've gained experience. You know more things now. How does that reflect on your character sheet? We're going to find out next time. Hey, we did get three segments out of this. <laughs> I don't have to change the web page. No. And it's right here. We're wards of experience, the investigator development phase. All right. So a uh, couple of seconds and whenever you're ready. Yeah. Page 94. We'll start there. Okay. All right, everyone, welcome back to Call of Cthulhu 7th edition. We've gone through most of the game system, how to roll dice, how to how to adjudicate uh, difficulty levels, opposing roles, non-opposed roles. We've even gone through some penalty and bonus dice stuff that a lot of us don't agree with. But now we're talking <laughs> about your investigator, making him stronger, making him better. He survived an adventure or two. Damn it, he is better. He is stronger, and we're going to find out how that works out on your character sheet right after this. Role-playing games thrive in fantastic worlds and at inclusive tables that embrace these core values for the most positive gaming experience. Donate to the Wounded Warrior Project via the link in the description below to help honor and empower our wounded heroes. On Thursdays and Saturdays, watch Heathen Dog's Dirty Casuals play multiplayer video games over on Twitch. On Sundays and Fridays, join us for tabletop role-playing game content on both YouTube and Rumble. Finally, please take a quick moment to like this video and share it with both your friends and on social media. If you have not done so, please subscribe to Legion of Myth and activate that bell icon to receive notifications of new content. All right, welcome back, everyone. And we are going to skip to the development 
There we go. Rewards of experience, the investigator development phase. Okay. When an investigator successfully uses a skill in play, the player should check the box beside that skill on the investigator sheet. This is no different than 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 uh, fifth edition. Uh, no tick is earned if the role is role used a bonus die, which would never happen for me. So whatever. In the case of an opposed role, both sides may achieve a, a level of success, but only the one will win. The winner gets the tick. Typically, the investigator development phase occurs at the end of a scenario or if playing through a campaign at the conclusion of a chapter. This may be after one session of play or several sessions. If the story continues beyond that, the keeper should look for a pause in the narrative to allow for an investigator development phase. Okay. You have to have a pause in the action. It could happen naturally or the players could take a break. Say, hey, I want to take a break. Get, get a breather. That's when the investigator development phase happens. You look at all your tick marks here. For example, here is a fifth edition character sheet, but it works the same. Next to the skills, there is a box. I don't know if you can see it. Right you want, you want to here? I'll, I'll zoom in on you. Give me a second. There we go. There is a box to, uh, I don't know if it's your left or uh, the it's left. left. Yep. Okay. The, the left of each skill. If you successfully use that skill, you tick that box and then move on. doesn't matter how many times you successfully use that skill. Only once does it matter. Once you have that ticked, when, you, when the next development phase happens, this is what's going to happen. Once an investigator development phase has been called, examine the investigator's sheet to see which skills have been checked. No matter how many times a skill is successfully used, only one check per skill is done. For each skill check, the player rolls a 1d100 or 2d10. Succeeding at something you are not good at is difficult. However, successfully using the skill probably means that the investigator learns from the experience. Conversely, being an expert at something guarantees success most of the time, yet that high skill means the investigator is unlikely to learn further. It gets progressively harder to add percentiles to a skill. Well, how do we do it? We haven't got... Oh, here it is. If the player rolls higher than the current skill number or the result is over 95, then the investigator improves that skill. Roll a D10 and add the result to the current percentage. Wow, D10? Skills may rise above 100% by this method. What? So in 5th edition, could you did you roll D? Because uh, I might just I be misremembering. No, I don't. But I played I, Stormbringer. I, I don't think it was a D10. Stormbringer back in the day, I thought it was a D4 if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was crazy. If the player rolls equal to or less than the investigator's current skill level, then you haven't learned anything from the experience and your skill doesn't change. Mm -hmm. Repeat the procedure for all skills that have been checked. Then erase all skill checks from the character sheet. Skills can be checked again during the next game sessions as they are used successfully. Okay, so here's an example. All right, we're going back to the arm wrestling match between me and Max. We both have 49s. And uh, let's see, I rolled, I rolled a 40 and you rolled a 10 last time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Uh, you roll a 40. I roll a 10. Technically, both of us, both of us succeeded in a skill, but I was the one who won. Yep. So I get the check and he doesn't. Yeah, My skill is 49. So at the end, of when, when the development phase happens, I roll 36. I didn't learn anything from that experience because it's ha, less than ha, my current right. 49. Yeah, it's less than my current 49, which means I don't get an extra D10 to add to that skill permanently. I don't get that. 
and I erase my check and I got to wait to do it again. Note, the mythos and credit rating skills never receive a skill check and no box for such exists on the character sheet. Not improving a skill has no other consequence. So what, what they mean is uh, credit rating and mythos skill are increased in game through role-playing, through circumstance. You increase the mythos skill by learning about the Cthulhu mythos, reading books, losing sanity, all that good stuff. You increase <laughs> your credit rating by gathering money, winning money, earning money, stealing money, whatever. Business venture. Stealing money. Stealing money. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Skills above 90 or more. When an investigator attains a 90% or more ability in a skill during investigator development phase, add 2d6 points to their current sanity. This represents the, the discipline and self-esteem required for reaching this level of skill. You are cool. an expert at something. That is going to make you harder. That is going to make you more resilient. That's going to make you more confident. Makes sense. What if it's 90 in Cthulhu Mythos? Then your maximum sanity is 10 and you're having troubles. I'm sorry, <laughs> nine. Your maximum sanity is nine. Other activities during the investigator development phase. You gain sanity points through their investigators spending time with an aspect of their own backstory. Again, we're, we, we talked about that earlier, but uh, we're going to see it again later on when we, when we talk about, uh, you know, more in depth on, on sanity. I kind of pushed through it earlier. Check the credit rating and review their finances. This is, we're going to come to that exactly in a minute. Reduce all sanity, all sanity limits by one, getting used to awfulness. Okay. We're, we're going to get to that later, but as a, as a sum up here, the more you are exposed to something horrible, exposure therapy, human beings, their brains tend to get used to it and are not as shocked. There's only so much sanity you can lose from seeing a ghoul or seeing 10 ghouls or seeing a hundred ghouls after a while. Ah, oh crap. It's another ghoul. Your brain gets callous to these things. Just like your hands would digging a ditch. So bear that in mind. You you will you you're not more resilient. You're just numb to similar problems, similar issues. Altering an investigator's backstory. If you looked at our character creation, you know what this backstory is. A player is free to alter or add background entries to their investigator sheet as and when they please, subject to certain limitations. The player may not erase or alter entries listed under injuries and scars, phobias and manias, encounters with strange entities, or anything that has been amended or added by the keeper without the keeper's permission. Phobias and manias may only be erased through the use of treatment. Duh. The investigator's key connection, see page 45, may be altered only during the investigator development phase and only by the player. Guidance on using, losing, and replacing key connection is found under self-help. We're going to get to that again later on. But in the back of your sheet, you have a whole bunch of stuff that defines your investigator's life experience. Now, after seeing 100 ghouls and becoming callous, you can add a background trait. Ghoul hunter, whatever. You know, you are no longer affected by ghouls or whatever. That, that's, ghouls. Great. that's great. That's <laughs> great. Or if you if you lost an arm during this one, you now have an injury. It's written on the back of your thing. Now, 
if you get a bionic arm or a magic arm or whatever, you, you may erase that or amend it or whatever. But until then, that is now a core trait that you have. So changing these is tricky. You're going to have to talk with the keeper about it, but it is doable. Is there a version of Call of Cthulhu that goes into the future like, you know, Hellraiser did? No, I, I haven't seen any official printings beyond 2000s. But, you know, whatever. Credit rating and investigator expenditure. Here we go. Attempting to track personal finances in a manner similar to real life within the game would introduce unnecessary complexity. No kidding. Like bonus dice. Yeah, un bonus dice is an unnecessary complexity. Uh, ha having to itemize my character's taxes in-game is also an unnecessary <laughs> complexity. So we're not doing that. An investigator's starting credit rating is determined during character creation based on the investigator's chosen profession and their use of skill points during creation. Day-to-day -day expenses and general living standards. There is no requirement to make any account of accommodation, food, or incidental travel expenses so long as the investigator's expenditure falls within the bounds of his or her living standard. Eat Whatever your credit rating score is, that's how much uh, petty cash you have that doesn't affect anything or how much money you could possibly bring up at once or how much money, if you liquidated everything you own, possibly have. And we saw that in the character creation video. Yes, in the character creation video, we saw all of that. So please check that out. The combination of, uh, it's likely that money will only occasionally become an issue in play when large amounts are being spent. Or if you're dumb and you decided, oh, I want a credit rating of one. Well, then you can't even afford food. Place to live, that, that bridge over there. I live under <laughs> it. That's it. As long as you have a credit rating of around, I think it was 40 your average middle or lower middle class, you can afford food. You can, you have a, you have a car. It's not great. It's a to B car and you have a place to stay. That's safe. And you have a little bit of spending cash every day. Not a lot, a little bit. The combination of being allowed to spend freely within the bounds of their living standard and the freedom of not being required to record expenditure below a certain spending level is intended to minimize bookkeeping. The use of this system may lead to areas of uncertainty as to exactly what is within the bounds of individual's living standard. That's up to the keeper. The keeper is the arbiter of such matters and is advised to intervene only when an investigator has clearly exceeded their spending limit. Like if if it says by the by the book, you can spend one thousand dollars a month and not have to make a roll. You spent a thousand and ten dollars. No one's gonna make you make a roll. No one's gonna do that. You spend $2,000, however, well, now you've affected your credit rating. Now it may go down because you've overextended. So you hope you spent that on investments. I hope so. Uh, spending beyond one spending limit. Okay, let's see what happens when you do that. When an investigator spends an amount beyond their spending limit, the player must reduce their cash by the full amount spent. If the cash is insufficient, the investigator may seek out to use their assets. Converting assets into cash can make can take time, however long is up to the keeper. Mortgaging a property, selling antiques, gaining loans, so on. If the investigator is away from their hometown, this is likely to take even longer. If multiple purchases of less than the investigator's spending threshold are made in the same day, the keeper may insist on combining the total purchases for comparison on your spending level and demand that a cash spend is exceeding the limit. 
Well, what happens when you do? Harvey has a spending limit of $10 per day. Harvey is probably in 1890s or 1920s. One day he makes us numerous spends. Camera, telegram, taking a contact out to dinner at a plush restaurant. He then wishes to attend a show at the music hall. At this point, the keeper decides that Harvey spent $15, exceeding his $10 spending limit. Harvey reduces his cash by $15. But wait, I'm minus five now. Well, guess what? You got to come up with that five. You got to sell some stuff. But but I love my baseball cards. Yep. I have family members. You need $5, man. You better figure it out. Money coming in. During the game, a character may receive a large sum of monetary of money, perhaps as a reward. Such a sum can be added to cash in the short term or be invested in time as part of their assets. Going into debt. How debt is taken on and repaid is all part of your story. Perhaps an investigator's car must be sold or money must be sought, bought from a bank. Sought from a bank, sorry. While financial transactions are not intended to be the focus of play, the steady decline of a character's sanity may well go hand in hand with physical and material decline. Same thing that happened to Lovecraft himself. As, as he grew up, he got more and more poor. Toward the end, to travel to places to where he wanted to go, he had to, hit, uh, he had to be you know, a hobo. He had to jump on trains, sneak on trains and stuff. So that happens. Employment and credit rating. Ill health, physical or more likely mental, or continued absence from work may lead to loss of employment and fall in income. Some professions do not require the investigator to be actively employed to derive income, such as dilettante, and so are not prone to loss of employment. However, a stock market crash will have a major effect on such individuals' finances. An event should be dealt with at the keeper's discretion. Conversely, credit rating may be raised when an investigator acquires a higher paying job. A person can be rich one day and on the street the next, but gradual decline is much more common. If an investigator loses their employment, they lose their income and their credit rating will fall. A loss of assets does not necessarily indicate a loss of credit rating if one still has reliable income. Where the investigator's fi oops, financial situation is undergone significant change there it is the keeper should decide on one of the following options the following list of conditions ranges from good to bad and should generally be applied during the investigator development phase okay let's see what they are i'm rich i want that that sounds good when an investigator comes into money, they should check to see if their assets are equal to those of a higher living standard bracket. If this is the case, the player should increase their investigator's credit rating in steps of 1D10 until their credit rating is within the new bracket. Okay, now, if you look back at our character creation video, there is destitute, poor, fine, well-off, rich, and super rich, or around there. And each has a designated uh, range of credit rating. But it also has, if you liquidated all your assets, this is how much money you have. So let's say you have a credit rating of 10. You are poor. You are dirt poor. But you save some rich stockbroker millionaire's daughter from a burning building. He decides to give you $100,000 as a reward. You now look at the at the credit rating chart and see that a hundred thousand 
gives you this range of credit rating. You keep rolling D10s and adding those to your credit rating until you are within that range. That's your new credit rating. Or you could be a brokey and just burn it all on cars and women and Every lottery winner and lottery and lottery scratchers, whatever. All right. Don't do that. By the way, don't, don't do that. Invest the money. Harvey invests the money, that hundred grand. And now he's got a place to live. He's got a car. He's got food guaranteed to him because of his assets are making him money. That's great. I love it. I want more of it. Things are looking up. If the investigator has been promoted, their credit rating should rise accordingly. Add 1D6 to your credit rating. If your credit rating is based mostly on your job and you get a promotion in your job, well, your credit rating goes up by a D6. Tightening one's belt. The investigator is demoted or takes a period of unpaid leave. Decrease credit rating by 1D10. Notice it's far worse than the upside. Sold the family silver. The investigator has spent the vast majority of their assets. If their investigator's total worth, cash plus assets, now equals the asset value of a lower income level, decrease the credit rating by D10. Bad luck and troubles. The investigator loses their main source of income, usually their job, decreased credit rating by 2D10 with each following investigator development phase. If there is a state state safety net, the minimum credit rating will be 1D10 minus 1. If you lived in Sweden, then you could never have a credit rating of less than 9. Okay. But we don't live in Sweden. So, unless you get if another you job... If you live in Sweden, play vase and not call it Cthulhu. Exactly. Now, what this means is, every time an, a development phase comes up, and you still don't have a job, you lose 2D10 credit rating. This is you depleting your savings, keeping your lifestyle intact until it comes to the point where your lifestyle no longer intact. You've, you've slipped. It's like when I had to sell all my transformers back in the early 2000s. Exactly right. Crash. The sudden loss of all income and or debts being called in, such as stock market crash, led to a dramatic decline in the character's fortune. The investigator must reduce his or her credit rating by 1D100. If an investigator's credit rating withstands the loss, it indicates that either investigator is offered another job immediately or that they secreted money away somewhere safe. Note the lowest credit rating is zero. Negative numbers are ignored. During the investigator development phase, following the review of credit rating, the investigator's cash should be refreshed, adding the amount of cash indicated on their chart for their present credit rating to any remaining cash they possess. Assets can change in one or two ways. First, the investigator's credit rating can rise or fall, depending on the result of employment, for example, in which case their asset value should be recalculated to fit the new credit rating score. Second, an investigator may may spend or accrue a large sum of money that will affect their asset value total, if sufficient, also affect their credit rating. For example, you are allowed, let's say, $1,000, no, $100 a day in your current credit rating in usable cash that does not affect your credit rating or your assets at all. But you purposefully save $50 of that every single day. After a year, you now have enough 
cash to dump into your credit rating, as in buying assets, to increase your overall credit rating to another bracket. Now you are richer. You've gone from middle class to upper middle class or lower upper class, whatever. I you took advantage a of the crash and all the people around me. Exactly. You've saved your money. You've invested wisely during play. And now your credit score has increased. You now have a higher standard of living. You have a better car. You have a better house. You eat better food. You, you're, you have a better drug dealer. No more, no more of that cocaine cut with powdered milk. No, 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 no. You get, you get pure Columbo now. Yeah. <laughs> you're good. Right, let's move along. Uh, oh, this is all done with with the keeper. You you and the keeper, pre game, post game, whatever. So development phase is is uh, in between games. So that's that's I'm gonna make this clear. Contact. During the game, investigators may wish to make use of their personal and professional contacts. We, again, we talked about this in character creation. The keeper can either simply allow for the existence of a contact or ask for a die roll. Players may make roles to establish contacts for their investigators using whichever skill or characteristic seems most appropriate. Chemistry to know a chemist, medicine to know a surgeon, and so on. A successful role when establishing a contact means that either the non-player character has heard of the investigator by reputation, or the investigator has previously met the contact. Apply modifiers to the role as appropriate. Like, if you have a 10% in chemistry, the odds of an actual professional chemist knowing you is so negligible that that is going to be a hard or extreme difficulty level. Or at least admitting to know you. Yeah, or admitting to know you, like, to your face. You know, that's not going to happen. So, yeah, it's going to be hard depending on who you are and what you do. Establishing a contact does not automatically mean that the contact will do as the investigator wishes. Some persuasion, fast talk, charm, or intimidation may be required and should be role-played. Or give him money. If he's a professional, he works for money. How hard is that? That's not hard. My services cost $1,000. Here you go. Now you have my services. Great. The player, If the player wishes to push the role to establish a contact, remember, this is a skill role. You're rolling your chemistry skill to contact a chemist. You're rolling your boxing skill to contact a boxer, whatever. So you can push it because it's a skill roll. The keeper should make the push roll out of the player's sight, a concealed die roll. So the player does not know the outcome. A suggested consequence for failing the pushed roll is to allow the investigator to unwittingly meet an antagonist or unreliable contact. Hmm. Such a contact may appear helpful to the investigator, but will double cross or deceive him in some kind of manner. A concealed role is used in this instance since the knowledge of the outcome of the die would inform the player as to the contact's disposition or knowledge. That makes sense. It's really hard to take away player knowledge at that point when you fail to push roll because you know you're getting boned. You fail to push roll. We've talked about this before. You're getting boned. Real bad things going to happen to you. You got you to take away player agency in that one because they're going to try and mitigate it and they're not allowed because it's a failed push roll. They get screwed. No mitigation allowed. All right. What do we have here? Uh, training. Oops. Given enough time and money, given enough money, someone will teach anything. The existence of training makes some sense in, makes sense in some campaigns where the same investigators meet regularly to engage in an ongoing mystery. 
One should not go to school and learn more than 1d10 points in a skill per four months of game time without good reason. The keeper decides if multiple courses can be taken and how to judge the investigator's class participation is satisfactory. An experience check comes automatically upon successfully completing a segment of training. However, too many adventures in a semester will invalidate classroom work or practice for that term. Okay, this basically is another way to get your check mark. Instead of doing archaeology successfully, you can go to an archaeology class Ghoul for a school. semester. Yeah, school. Well, no, ghoul school. Okay, whatever, whatever. <laughs> you you go to an archaeology class for a semester. You pay for it. You do it. You succeed it. You pass it. Now you get to get that check mark on your skill. So when the next development phase comes up, you get to roll to increase that skill. Uh, but this one says it's 1d10, not one. And, uh, and uh, well, it's, is, is it 1d10? For, yeah, whatever. It's, it's 1d10. At the keeper's option, the learning rate for a skill may be increased or the learning interval shortened as the investigator has access to a renowned teacher. Such access should come as a reward for an outstanding deed or after great perseverance since many compete for the favor of the famous. Player and keeper may arrange self-study for any academic subject. The investigator must study for four months, after which the player rolls as if he had a tick and the skill will go up 1d10 if successful. Combat skills specialisms such as sword are so little used that schools and personal trainers represent the only way to learn. Of course, learning by doing is always is always acceptable, but a classroom or personal teaching is the deal. Aging. There are various modifiers applied during an investigator creation to reflect the investigator's age. In the rare instances that an investigator ages significantly in play, <laughs> see how it says rare? Because usually you're insane or dead. Uh, <laughs> modifiers should be applied to reflect the change in age. This is unlikely to be a factor in many games, but it may come into play in a campaign or when jumping decades and picking up investigator story later in life. Aging may also occur suddenly because of some spell or magical effect or some ghoul sucking your life force or whatever. I don't know. Aging effects are cumulative. So if aging two decades from 30s to 50s applies modifiers for turning 30, turning to 40, and then turning to 50. Example, you turn 20. Make an improvement check for education. You're learning things. That's good. Add five points to strength and size. You got bigger. That's good. Turning 40. Make another improvement check for education. Great. You learn more. Deduct five points from strength con or dex. Not Church. all of them. One of them. And reduce appearance by five. Reduce movement by one. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What about yes. this, this sexy, grizzled, you know, veteran actor, whatever? Like, look at him. Well, no, he's still reduced, but he was so good looking to start with that you don't notice. That's how that works. Okay. And 50 is even more severe, 60, 70, 80, and each decade thereafter. My character turned 80. I'm still playing Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. You, you turn 80 years old as an investigator, reduce 40 points from among strength con or decks, 40 from among them. So you can spread it out. Reduce appearance by five more and movement by one more. And obviously everything is cumulative. Keep doing it over. Now, remember, you stop learning after 60. Your brain does not learn new things. That's not real. Shut up. Shut up. 
it's absolutely real. There are statistical outliers, sure. But most people after turning after turning 60, they stop learning stuff because their brain is full. <laughs> That's just how it works, man. You want to fight it? Fine. Scream it in the wind. That's great. You do that. I'm not I'm not going to play that game with you. Optional rules. Okay, here's the deal I want to get to because luck has changed since fifth edition, since my edition. Spending luck. You couldn't spend it, by the way. After the player has made a skill roll using a skill or characteristic, luck points may be spent to alter the result. The player can use luck points to alter a roll on a one-for-one -one basis. The points spent are deducted from the investigator's luck score, which will reduce the chance of passing a future luck roll. Now, before you roll your luck, it's a 3d6 times 5. So let's say you roll average and it's 55. And you roll a 48 on a skill roll. You need a 50. You spend two luck points to get two percentage points in your skill roll and you succeed. But your luck went from 55 down to 53. And that's a permanent hit, right? No. Oh. No, it's not. Uh... I know. I know. Let me move on. Luck points may not be spent on luck rolls, damage rolls, sanity rolls, or to determine the amount of sanity points lost. A player may spend any amount of luck points up to their current luck value at a time on a roll. A player may only spend luck to alter one of their own die rolls. When a skill roll is failed, the player has the option to push the roll or spend luck. Luck points may not be spent to alter the result of a pushed roll. If you decide to push a roll, that's it. Criticals, fumbles, and uh, firearm malfunctions always apply and cannot be bought off with luck. Also, no skill improvement check is earned if luck points were used to alter the die roll. You Ooh. don't get the check mark. Because luck, you didn't learn anything. You just got lucky. In play, an investigator's luck will fall through, spends, and rise through recovery. Recovering luck points. After each session of play, each player may make an improvement check for their luck. This is rolled in the same way as for skill improvement. The player rolls 1d100, and if the roll is is above their present luck score, they add 1d10. If the roll is equal or less, they get nothing. Will not exceed 99. That makes sense. All, All right. right. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, it is. Okay, I got a problem with luck. I'm glad it's an optional rule. I really am. We already have pushing your roll. We already have a way to try again. Again, this is the same idea as the bonus and penalty dice. You already have a mechanic in place. You don't need another one. Stop it. It's an optional rule. Me as keeper, I would never use it. I don't mind I the spending of luck. I don't like the regaining. of. I think it should be a permanent hit to your character. Well, nothing in this game is a permanent hit. You, you lose sanity, you can get it back. You know, you, you lose magic, you can get it back. You can increase your education. You know, by, by learning things. You can decrease your, educa your education by getting, you know, head trauma. So these are optional rules, right? I choose this, the first, this is I, an optional rule, yes. I choose the first option, not the second option. Okay. You know, if, <laughs> if, if because it's optional, you as the keeper 
can cherry pick. But you, you must tell the players beforehand. Okay. Tell the players beforehand. Yes, luck is used, but you will never regain it. Yep. Your luck score will be permanently changed every time you use your luck. And then leave it up to them. All right. So that is the game system. Everything you need to know as a <laughs> player to play in the game. You've just learned with these you know, with, with the, with these three, uh, last videos playing and, and, uh, advancing your investigator. So what do we have for some questions? Uh, there's a scenario written for call of Cthulhu that's in space and sometime in our future. And he okay. labeled, he labeled it another one. Like, okay, cool. Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Bob used to be rich. Now he's an insane hobo riding the rails with his school friend. Yeah, and insanity has a lot to do with losing wealth. The more insane you get, the more you don't care about showing up to work. The 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 more you don't you don't care that your financial advisor is saying that you're bleeding money. You don't care. So you become destitute. And can sanity loss age you? No. There is no hard mechanic for sanity loss to age you, but Losing too much sanity at once. We we went over sanity uh, two weeks ago, last week, something like that. And uh, uh, you can become indefinite or permanently insane and physical issues could happen to you. Like you've seen people, you've heard of people getting scared and their hair turning white. Things like that can happen to you. So there's no hard rule for aging, but you can look older than you are. Okay. Do you know what you're covering next week? Next week, obviously, we're going to go right to combat. Okay. There we go. That's the next one. Yeah. Chapter six, combat. So next week, we finally get to hurt some people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get rid of this. Oh, now it's my turn to make everybody angry. Uh, and by the way, I appreciate you moving about- the What's that? That took about what two hours? Uh, yeah, yeah. So divided by three. Okay, that's still like forty it's minutes to- per one. I don't like that, but all tolerable. Right. I, I will again. You're doing deep dives, not overviews. It's yeah, okay. I know. I know. Your chapters are gonna be longer. You're gonna have more things to talk about. It's all good. Um, no, but I appreciate you moving the windows around because I always forget until like halfway through and be oh shit, I gotta move on to oh he's already on top. Good. Yeah. Okay, I gotta go pee. I'll be back. <laughs> not a problem. Actually, so do I. So I'll wait till you come back and then. So, um, yeah, I'm, I don't know if you guys are learning a lot with Call of Cthulhu. I am. Uh, it's, I, I've never played Call of Cthulhu. It's not my type of game, but like when he was talking about the character uh, improvement, uh, it reminds me a lot of when I played Stormbringer. It's a game that uh, I did enjoy. I didn't get to play it long enough, but uh, I still have my character. It's from like 1988 or 89. I still have my character and up there written on yellow notepad when I was working at Tom Thumb in high school. <laughs> Uh, some nuanced learning yeah yeah and you know a lot of it's going to be also what what uh edition you like i had somebody make a comment on one of our older videos on battle lords of the 23rd century talking about uh aspects of battle lords of the 23rd century and i was like well that's seventh edition you won't find that in the previous editions things like that and let me tell you i i'll tell you i'm saying this without heathen dog here although he's probably hearing me um that book is definitely written by two authors and one author drives me 
not supposed to cuss drives me crazy because he'll read through one section a couple paragraphs whatever and it'll be written like an adult uh and then he'll go to the next section and it's got when and when an investigator does this they get this and puts it on there blah blah it's like oh my god and then he'll go to the next one uh, next little section and it'll be written like an adult again now i'm not saying use he in the singular which you should do not they but uh it will be removed like pronouns will be gone and I'm like somebody learned to write and another person is trying to put creative writing in a book and it's driving me crazy. I, it's the same thing that happened with um, Castles and Crusades, seventh printing. It's like we could obviously tell that there are two different writers in there. And for me, it's distracting. Okay. But, uh, okay, I'm going to step away and, and do my, I'm going to go tinkle. Go for it. <laughs> Does anyone have any questions on uh the Call of Cthulhu I covered today, the game mechanics and a, a character advancement. Because I'll, I'll just go ahead and look it up to make sure. Uh, Darth Theek says, uh, from a lot of what I've read and seen about this game system, is that some parts may seem stupid, but once you use them in a game, it makes more sense and flows well. That is possible. Perhaps the luck skill or the, the, the now usable luck and the bonus and penalty die, perhaps that works seamlessly. Perhaps it does. But reading it, I'm not I'm not seeing the usefulness. It's redundant. You already have mechanics to to do it again. And with the with the spendable luck, I mean, dude, what are you doing? Are you going to be looking at any supplemental material in the future, like the module accessory books or different themes? of adventures if if uh if people like my deep dives enough to want me to keep going i'll keep going i can't promise call of cthulhu i the next one max bought me the mongoose traveler second edition update the 2022 update i'm gonna do that one next if i do another deep dive but after that it's up to what people want uh he's dog why do you think penalty rolls were added with difficulty already there you know what I think that players, this is, this is my opinion and guess. All right. I have no facts to back this up just past experience and anecdotal bullshit. Okay. So I am not speaking with any type of knowledge here, but I think that players thought it was too hard and, uh, chaosium decided to throw him a bone with the bonus dice and the usable luck. That's what I think, but I don't know. Uh, Mar Hawkman says, uh, it's, it's not something you need to worry about though. That's right. It's all optional. Yeah. L likes my deep dives. Well, that's nice. A ask a, a few people out there who say L likes nothing. <laughs> Where is it? There it is. Pulp Cthulhu, Trail of Cthulhu, good things to look into. It like again, if uh you know, after the Mongoose Traveler, <laughs> if uh if you guys still want me to do deep dives and Max still wants me to do deep dives, then maybe I'll go back to a call of Cthulhu, uh, a thematic Cthulhu. You know, like Western Cthulhu, because there there's all kinds of books out there for thematic Cthulhu. Paul, we haven't been going through com, uh, con, uh, oh my God, comments on videos, but there are a lot of people that are saying, bring back riffs. <laughs> I, 
I don't I don't think it's the the difference between the deep dives and the overviews. It's just they want riffs and they know they're not gonna get that from me. So. Yeah. But all right. So just a heads up. I've got a because I have to actually go through my notes in front of me. Not a lot of I, talking. Well, I'm literally not gonna be able to see the screen. Yes, I because... will be the one starring all kinds of things. And if if a comment is important enough to interrupt, I will use my judgment and do so. Okay. But if I think it's important but not important enough, I will star it and we'll get it to at the end. So don't if, freak out. This also means that I can't put up my whole orange thingy and so forth as well or run the commercial. So uh, like I, I have to bury this, unfortunately. Because so, that's going to be the screen that the slides are on. So you tell me... Um, well, here, I, I can set up this portion of it at least. I can run the commercial. Okay. Uh, let me get this full screen. All right. You tell me when you're ready for me to start. <clears throat> get ready. Okay, go ahead. All right. For segment two today, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to talk to you about combat how to do fisticuffs combat unarmed combat in uh palladium in the palladium system and i focused on heroes unlimited i did that because first of all i don't do riffs that's not i don't have any animosity towards it it's just it's not game i do and i felt it was the most robust book hopefully you guys can see this as i put it up here i felt that i mean this book is probably the most robust book of the sdc system anybody who knows me knows that i'm uh I, i'm an after the bomb guy but i felt that this book was actually more appropriate it would cover more things and do things we want now with that said this is the palladium combat system and not everybody's gonna like what i have to say but i'm doing it by the book so please for the love of god keep your well actuallys and your homebrews out because it took me four days <laughs> to go through this and verify all the information in there. And uh, I'll catch you all on the other side of the little commercial break. Role-playing games thrive in fantastic worlds and at inclusive tables that embrace these core values for the most positive gaming experience. Donate to the Wounded Warrior Project via the link in the description below to help honor and empower our wounded heroes. On Thursdays and Saturdays, watch Heathen Dog's Dirty Casuals play multiplayer video games over on Twitch. On Sundays and Fridays, join us for tabletop role-playing game content on both YouTube and Rumble. Finally, please take a quick moment to like this video and share it with both your friends and on social media. If you have not done so, please subscribe to Legion of Myth and activate that bell icon to receive notifications of new content. Ow. Well, I'm a big liar. What's that? Why is that purple? Why is what purple? What's purple? That's, every, everyone tell me what color this this is. What What do you see, Max? It's blue. It's the exact... The only thing I changed was the font. Okay. I see purple. Heroes okay. Unlimited is barely visible. Uh... Black to purple. I, I'm seeing on both of my monitors here, I'm seeing black to blue. Okay. Well, the, this uh, Darthik sees blue as well, but I see purple and Timothy Ferrelli sees purple and Walter sees blue. Okay. Maybe it's just a couple folk. All right. 
Yeah, orange text on a blue-black gradient. That's perfect. That's exactly what it is. All right. So, well, I kind of lied because apparently there's no present option over here when I uh, when I shrink it down. So I've just got yeah, my screens are foobard, but that's fine. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna cover this. So it's Heroes Unlimited Combat in the Palladium Books Megaverse. Uh, going, I probably can do this with the no. So again, as I said, I'm gonna cover simple. 1v1 hand-to-hand -hand combat. And if you see me looking over there, that's actually where I have my slides. I have my notes in front of me. We have two characters. They're entering a ring. It's like an octagon, almost like an uh, MMA fight. And that's right, we have Tank McMuscles. Oh, he's ready. He's a big guy. Think of like the Hulk, just, you know, not in steroids um, or radiation. I... I I tried to make things as baseline as possible for this. So if you can see, all his attributes are 11s with the exception of 224s, one in physical endurance and physical strength. That was important for this test. I wanted to have two disparate characters. And so I, I went there. They're both fourth level. Uh, his special skills are he has hand-to-hand -hand basic, wrestling, athletics, and bodybuilding. So those added to that. I did not do the bonuses to the uh, to the attributes, but I did do the bonuses to hit points, SDC, and things like that. So what are his attacks? He's got uh, five attacks per round. Why? Because he's level four with hand-to-hand -hand basic. He has a plus four to roll. I should have actually uh, completed that, roll with punch fall. Uh, he has plus three to parry and plus three to dodge from hand-to-hand -hand basic. And because of his wrestling, he has body block tackle, crush squeeze, pin and capacity, and karate style kick. Johnny Quicksilver. That's right, Johnny Quicksilver. He's going to be his opponent. This is a little Bruce Lee-looking dude or something, right? So again, now with him, I went with physical prowess and speed. Speed really doesn't matter, to be honest with you. But uh, I went physical prowess and speed. Uh, so with that physical prowess, naturally, just with his own fisty cuffs, just with his own natural ability, he gets plus five to strike, parry, and dodge. He's also level four, but he has hand-to-hand -hand martial arts and boxing. And gymnastics, because why not? So, you know, he's a, he's a little ninja dude that uh, gets in the ring and does some, you know, junior bouts out there. Uh, he has six attacks per round, plus two to his initiative roll, plus six to his uh, uh, roll punch paw, uh, fall impact, plus seven to strike, plus eight to parry, and plus eight to dodge. Kind of better, isn't yeah. he? He's got auto knockout on natural 20, and this is from boxing. He's got karate kick that does 2d4 damage, a roundhouse kick that does 3d6 damage. Martial arts is your friend, and he's got a knee attack and a wheel kick that he can use as well. Now, one of the things I want to say is that knee, for example, is one of those things that I never see people use in the game. Why? Because it takes an action, does 1d6 damage, and that's it. A good game master is going to say something like, well, you want to do a wheel kick, but you don't have the room for it. That's when the knee attack comes into play. All right? But it takes a game master to do something. So, again, MMA-style fight. We are in the octagon. It is one versus one. They're squared up. There are no surprises, no long-distance attacks or anything like that. Now, one of the things I want to mention, um, I have it in the description. And if this is a video later on, I'll have it in the description there. GM Cody ran through a very quick scenario for Palladium Fantasy with Bear the Gen X GM, where they just went through some very basic, uh, a very basic combat uh, round with some goblins. If you want to check that out, I will put the link to, to his video in the description below because he did a very good job. Now, his is more organic. Mine's more scripted out. His is more organic, but it just kind of shows how simple Palladium combat really can be if you let it be. So let's get to uh, round one. We have initiative. So since this is our inductory 
combat uh, to get used to the basic of the Palladium system, this fight isn't going to include a lot of imagination. It is two unarmed men in a ring ready to duke it out. Oops, whoa. Hey, there, stay. Shh, shh, stay there. Uh, since it's a stand-up fight between two prepared participants, no long shots or sneak attacks, we'll start with step one on page 63 of Heroes Unlimited, second edition. That's right. This book right here. Bop. Uh, and we're going to determine initiative. Tank McMuscles rolls his d20 because you roll a d20 for initiative and gets a 19. Johnny Quicksilver rolls a d20 and gets a 3. However, if you remember, we talked before about he has a plus 2 to his roll, so he gets a total of 5. Still doesn't mean 19. So, Tank acts first. So let's go to round 1. Tank knows he's fighting a skilled opponent, so he works to his strength and charges low and forward in uh, to attempt to tackle Johnny with what is known as a body block tackle attack. Tank rolls his strike, which is a d20. Now, when you roll to strike in Palladium, you roll a d20, and he gets a 13. Any roll to strike greater than a 4, so a 5 or better, results in a hit. So, let's uh, get to the first uh, inconsistency with the writing. <laughs> to paraphrase and simplify, the body block tackle attack inflicts 1d4 damage and has a 60% chance to knock a target down. Question is, can the target parry, dodge, or either? Ethan dog. I would say dodging is appropriate because parrying wouldn't work because he's throwing his entire body at you unless you are so significantly stronger than, than his body weight. Blocking is just going to knock you down. All right, you are right, and you are wrong. Of course. <laughs> so the answer is, it depends on which page you read. Read On page 67, in the body block tackle description, it only refers to dodge. However, on page 56, under the wrestling skill, it mentions parry or dodge. And since I know football players have the stiff arm ability, and I was taught how to change someone's momentum in kung fu, Johnny has martial arts, I'll go with parry as an allowable option. But really? Did you read page 57, 67 or 56? Eh. <laughs> Welcome to Palladium Books. But don't quibble over these inconsistencies. Don't be a rules lawyer. Simply do what makes sense for your table and situation at hand. In the end, like when uh, Heathen Dog was covering uh, the Call of Cthulhu and the Keeper's decision is final, well, the GM is right. Now, since Tank rolled a 13, Johnny Quicksilver needs a parry or dodge, or he's going to take damage and is probably going to be knocked down. Johnny knows he's faster, and he's the arrogant type. And it's early in the fight, so he decides to be a douche nozzle and uh, use one of his actions to perform a cool-looking backflip to dodge Tank's body attack. Now, why can he do this? So let's back up. He's got the choice. Once Tank attacks, he's got the option to dodge, parry, or entangle. Well, he's, this is basically just a dodge to start. He's like, I'm going to dodge this. But he's got the gymnastics skill. And gymnastics allows you to do a backflip dodge. So he's, again, being his arrogant type, he's going to do that. Now, also the difference between parry and dodge is that parry does not take an action because he has a hand-to-hand -hand skill. We're not going to have two weirdo Mortimer snurds going out there like this. No, we've got people who know how to fight, so they can do automatic parry. But he wants to dodge. He's using the action to dodge, so he, so he decides to do a backflip. Well, Johnny rolls and 18 to his backflip. 18 is higher than 13, so his gamble pays off. Johnny dodges Tank's attempt to tackle him. Now, you might be saying, hey, Max, you forgot to add in his bonus to dodge. I did not. When you roll a backflip, you don't get the bonuses. You roll naturally. 
So uh, for his own attack, Johnny follows up this maneuver with a quick snap kick. So we're now, this is the fluidity of the action in Palladium. Tank's attack. Johnny has done his uh, defensive maneuver and now gets his attack. All right. So he decides to do just a quick snap kick. This is a low damage kick used in tight quarters. So there we go. We were talking about that a little bit earlier. He could have need him, whatever. He does this to make the tank think twice about, you know, staying within grappling range. Tank knows he's stronger than Johnny and can probably take more punishment. So instead of dodging or parrying, he elects to make a simultaneous body block tackle. I've had people tell me you can't do a simultaneous attack that's body block tackle. I couldn't find that in the rules to say, no, you can't. Now, does it kind of make sense that you can't? Sure. But the rules don't say you cannot. It just says you make a simultaneous attack. And this is a by-the-book step-by-step analysis, not a house ruled. We'll do that in the next video. The next video is going to talk about inconsistencies, continuity issues, house rules, other takes, we'll just say. But this is straight by the book. So, Do you have a slide that shows the simultaneous attack? Yeah, yeah in just a moment. Uh, so this means, but the, with the simultaneous attack, this means that Tank makes no attempt to avoid Johnny's attack or damage. So he's taking the kick right to the noggin or wherever in order to get in there and grab Johnny. All right. So it makes his attack indefensible by taking the automatic damage. It makes his attack indefensible. He will grab Johnny as long as he rolls a five or higher. So he's going to soak the kick in order to use his big body to ruin Johnny's day. Ooh, there we go. So Johnny rolls his d20 and gets a two, which normally indicate a miss. However, Johnny's high physical prowess and martial arts training provides him a plus seven bonus to the roll, which means his total is nine. Remember, five or higher hits, so nine hits, right? because tank declared a simultaneous attack he cannot parry or dodge so there's no defensive roll here johnny rolls a d6 and gets a four so his snap kick hits for four points of damage to tank's structural damage capacity so tank takes four points of damage tank barely feels the kick while he charges at johnny to tackle him that should replace that does replace good tank rolls a 17 and that's gonna hurt Again, because of a simultaneous attack, Johnny cannot dodge or parry. Tank is a big, strong guy. He only rolls a D4 uh, damage for, uh, die damage, right? Sure. For body block tackle. But he adds nine to the roll because of his strength. Tank rolls a one on the D4 and adds nine for a total of 10 points of damage to Johnny's structural damage capacity or SDC. Johnny's feeling that blow. Oh, but wait, we're not done yet. Body block tackle has the additional effect beyond just damage. Since Johnny couldn't dodge or parry the attack, there is the possibility he's knocked down. Luckily for Johnny, he's a gymnast who's good at staying on his feet. As a level four gymnast, Johnny has sense of balance skill at 62%. He needs to roll 62 or less on percentile dice to remain standing. Johnny rolls percentile dice and gets a 0-4. He easily remains standing. With that said, he did take 10 points of SDC damage and still loses an attack. That's the other part of body block tackle. Can damage you, knock you down, and make you lose an attack. And yes, I looked it up. Even if you resist it, you still lose an attack. So let's move on. So we're at the end of round one phase. When Heathendag and I talked about this, uh, he's not a fan of the term phase, but everywhere I look, that's what people call it. I'm going to go with it since that's kind of just what's out in the public uh, public sphere. 
Um, a phase is basically a one round around the table because melee round is 15 seconds and you have multiple attacks per round. A phase is kind of one uh, one turn around the table. But let's see what happened because a bunch of things happened during that. So that was one set of, of attacks and reaction rolls. And again, we talked about the phase thing. Uh, Tank started the melee round with five attacks. He used two of them. Both were attempts to tackle Johnny. This means he has three attacks remaining this melee round. Johnny started the round with six attacks. He used one to backflip away from Tank's first attack, one to kick, and lost one due to the secondary effect of Tank's successful second attempt to body block tackle. This means Johnny also has three attacks remaining this round. The most notable feature to me is that in terms of Palladium melee rounds, this was only one attack followed by another attack, yet the characters used up three of their attacks. Uh, well, the other, I'm sorry, three and two. This this is uh, how the reaction, the action-reaction sequence of Palladium works. You know, I used to have a problem with Palladium with that whole a five or better hits, really. You're never going to miss. But when you consider you're supposed to be parrying, which does not take an action, and let, let me say this louder because I want I want the hate crowd to get out there. Parry, if you have a hand-to-hand -hand skill, does not take an action. Period, exclamation point, end of story. And we'll talk about that in the next video. Uh, dodging does take an action. So you have to give and take. What, what does you want to do? You can't dodge. You can't dodge a bullet, and you probably don't want to try. I'm sorry, you can't uh, parry a bullet, and you probably don't want to try to parry a sword with your arm. That's that's called taking damage. So uh, so both our fighters still have attacks available to them this round. So we're still in round one. And since the simultaneous attack is a defensive action that replaces parry dodge, we're back to the top of the initiative order with Tank McMuscles. Tank knows that because of Johnny's agility and training, his chance of winning a striking fight with a smaller man is dicey. So once again, he elects to try to fight in a manner that's advantageous to him. He declares a grapple or a body hold attack, something anyone with the wrestling skill can do. Now, do you see why I gave them gymnastics and wrestling? Mm -hmm. I wanted to show off what some of those abilities are. We're still keeping it a basic one-on-one -on -one fight. John, uh, sorry, uh, Tank rolls a 19, which, again, will hit Johnny if he doesn't defend. Johnny elects to parry Tank's attempt to grab him. This does not cost Johnny one of his attacks because anyone with a hand-to-hand -hand skill, such as his martial arts, can parry automatically. Johnny's physical prowess and martial arts training provides him a plus eight bonus to his roll to parry. He rolls a six. Ooh. Plus an eight. Equals 14. Unfortunately, by the way, I did actually roll all this stuff. Uh, unfortunately, 14 is not equal to or greater than 19, so Johnny's attempt to parry fails. Additionally, because Tank has the wrestling skill and his d20 roll is a natural 18, 19, or 20, Tank can choose to incapa incapacitate. I can never say that word. I always say incapacitate. What the fuck is, what the heck is wrong with me? Uh, incapacitate Johnny. Now, let me stop right here. I want to say that sentence again, again to get people spun up. Tank can choose to incapacitate Johnny. This, yes, is a house-ish rule that I will... And it's because of how the language of the game is written. I've had people argue with me over the last two weeks while I've been putting this together. Next video will go into why my rationale says those exact words. If you play it differently, you play it differently, okay? <laughs> so just bear with me until the next video. Tank declines 
the incapacitation, but does have Johnny in a hold as he prepares to squeeze the smaller man. And that's a nuanced difference in the language that I'm going to again talk about in the next video. The incapacitation versus a body hold versus a pin versus a grapple versus yada yada. Okay. Before Tank McMuscle starts to squeeze, Johnny gets his action to try to break free. I mean, again, you get a defensive action. To break free, both men roll a d20 and add their physical prowess, not strength, prowess, so this is effectively your dexterity. For Johnny, this is a plus five, while Tank gets, well, nothing. Oops, uh, there we go. Johnny rolls a three for a total of an eight. Tank rolls 14. Unfortunately, Johnny remains in the body hold. Bad so, news for Johnny. What's that? Bad news for Johnny. Bad news for Johnny. You've basically got the Hulk holding on to you. All right, so we're at the end of phase two, round one, phase two. What do we at? The end of phase two, each combatant has used one more attack, which reduces both of them to two attacks remaining for the melee round. And we'll go back to the top of the order again. Uh, hey, slide. Since Tank still has Johnny in the body hold, he decides to squeeze the life out of Johnny. It's pretty much an automatic. I mean, Johnny was not able to get away, right? Sure. So Tank gets to deal damage. Tank rolls 1d4 and gets a 2. After adding a strength bonus of 9, that's 11 SDC points of damage to Johnny. Johnny is not feeling comfortable right now. Now, one of the things about the Palladium combat system or the, or the Palladium characters, they have SDC, which is structural damage capacity, and hit points. SDC is like vitality, luck. It's kind of like the old school D&D hit point system. When you get into actual hit points, then you're taking serious like life-threatening wounds. So at this point, Johnny isn't suffering broken bones necessarily, but he's certainly not comfortable. He's probably short of breath. Uh, he, he doesn't like <laughs> doesn't like what's going on. That's for sure. Uh, muscles are hurting as he's trying to twist himself out, etc. Now, unfortunately for Johnny, he can't do anything but try to break the hold. That's literally the only option he has available to him because he's in a hold. So once again, he tries to break the hold. He just took a lot of damage. He does not want to do this again. So they both roll their, two D, their D20s. This time, Tank rolls a 3, and Johnny rolls an 18, plus his physical prowess bonus, a plus 5 for a total of 23. After initially being crushed by the larger man, Johnny slips free. And he's very thankful for that. That's what it looks like when a wrestler fights a, a kicker. Uh, so, once again, at the end of round one, phase three, each combatant used one more attack, which leaves them both with one attack remaining in melee round number one. Once again, let's go back to the top of the initiative order for tanks. Next attack. And... Johnny just broke free from, from uh, Tank's hold, so he just decides to lunge at Johnny with a big old fist to punch him. Tank rolls his d20. Again, this is how you roll a punch. You roll a d20, add in your modifiers. Tank has none. Johnny attempts to defend the punch by parrying it, which does not use up one of his attacks. Parrying is free. Johnny rolls a 5, but he gets a plus 8 bonus because of his martial arts skill and his physical prowess which matches tanks 13 ties go to defenders so tank gets a 13 he's like yeah gotcha johnny also gets a 13 johnny's like no you don't and he parries it johnny follows up his parry with a karate punch remember tank attacked johnny reacted now johnny attacks as we're going in the circle 
and Tank gets to react. So Johnny decides to attack with a karate punch. Johnny rolls an eight. And he gets a plus seven for a total of 15. Now, Tank would love to attempt another simultaneous attack, but he's out of attacks. But yeah, he only had one attack remaining. And he used it up uh, just a moment ago to punch, try to punch Johnny. So the only thing he can do is try to parry. Because why? Why can he parry, Heathen Dog? Because if you have a hand-to-hand skill, parrying is free. There you go. Tank rolls a five plus his parry bonus. Oh, do I have that on there? I don't have that on there. Sorry. Tank rolls a five plus his bonus of three from his hand to hand skill and total becomes eight. And eight does not meet a 15. So Tank does not parry Johnny's attack. Johnny rolls 2d4 for a total of seven points of SDC damage to Tank. All right. So that's the end of round one. Yes, it is. So and let's. Johnny is not looking good. Oh, um, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Here's what I'll tell you, in case you like want to skip to the end, this round goes into the third round, but only into the first action of the third round. So you have okay. one full round left, and then something after that, and then it's over. Um, so, and if you know anything about uh, uh, Palladium books, each melee round is 15 seconds. This is about a 35-second fight. <laughs> and it's not even a full MMA round. And it's over. Um, so... At the end of phase four, neither fighter has any attacks remaining. That's how you know it's the end of the round. Tank McMuscles took 11 points of SDC damage from a kick and a punch, while Johnny Quicksilver took 21 points of damage from a body block and from being squeezed. Almost double. Almost double, yep. So we're 15 seconds in. Uh, how, how long is, a, is an M? It's three minutes for an MMA round, right? Uh, I anyway. don't know. Yeah. So let's hit round two. Wait. Stop it around. So the first thing we want to do is roll initiative again. Tank rolls his d20, gets a four. Johnny rolls a three, but remember he gets a plus two to his initiative, so his total is five. Sorry, Tank. Johnny goes before you. Johnny decides it's time to stop showboating and start fighting like he knows how and wants to land a devastating <clears throat> blow on Tank. So he opts for a roundhouse kick. One of the stipulations of performing a roundhouse kick is that the character cannot perform any other kicks during this melee round, so he better make it count. On the other hand, cheese ball time. Tank realizes his greatest assets are his strength and his ability to take damage. He knows that Johnny is a better toe-to-toe -to -toe fighter, with more attacks, higher bonuses, initiative, martial art training, and so forth, plus boxing, right? But he believes he can overpower Johnny with pure brutality if he can hit Johnny. So he decides his best chance is to weather all of Johnny's attacks, his fists of fury, so to speak, and continue to cheese ball, uh, use simultaneous attack option. So Johnny does the roundhouse kick, rolls a 16 with his plus seven bonus strike. This totals 23. Well, Tank feels reassured in his decision to be a cheese ball because he only has a plus three to parry. That means he would need a natural 20 in order to parry or dodge Johnny's roundhouse kick. So as Johnny lands his roundhouse, Tank reciprocates with a standard karate kick of his own. It's a kick for kick. For a simultaneous attack, Tank rolls an eight. Eight is equal to or higher than five, which is good enough to hit. Remember, Johnny cannot defend because it's technically Tank's defensive move, although it does use an action. Uh, he's just using his defensive move as an attack during Johnny's roundhouse kick attack. It's simultaneous. It's literally simultaneous. So let's look at the damage these two fighters do to each other now. Johnny rolls 3d6 for his roundhouse damage and gets a 10. That's pretty darn good. 
I mean, yeah. it's, it's in the average range, but I mean, 10 damage with no strength bonuses, that's a pretty good damage uh, attack, right? Well, Tank rolls 2d4 for his karate kick and gets a 3. Plus his 9, <laughs> he pounds Johnny back with a 12. So, <laughs> ouch. <laughs> so Johnny knows that Tank's massive hit a massive hit hit him like a freight train, so he decides to spend one of his attacks and attempt to roll with the kick to reduce the damage. Since, and this is a feature of Palladium, what you can do, what you do is you, well, initiative, then you attack, try to dodge, or parry. Then, if, the, if you don't, you take the damage, but then you can possibly, depending on the type of attack, and, and Fisty Cuffs is one of the types of attack you can do, you can choose to roll with that attack, basically soak up some of the damage, use the leverage against it, you know, avert it, and only take half of it. So Johnny uh, needs to roll an eight or better to successfully roll against a kick. Uh, do I have it on there? Yes, I do. Johnny rolls a 15, add the plus six bonus from his physical skills and hand-to-hand -hand martial arts for a total of 21. Well, guess what? 21 is greater than eight. So we reduce tank's damage from 12 to six, and Johnny's going to need that because <laughs> 12 is a lot. So, uh, now we're at the end of round two, phase one. Any comments so far, Heathen Dog? On yeah. I mean, without getting into rules adjudications. Like, no, no. I mean, it's 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 going well so far. But I, I don't like Johnny's chances at the moment. But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah doesn't look good because yep. of that cheesy simultaneous attack nonsense. Yes. Yep. Oh man, the the people when I was talking about that that argue that it makes sense, and I'm just like. I get it makes sense in nuanced circumstances, but as I'm using it here, I would be angry. So, yeah. All right, so uh, Tank is clearly in command of this fight at this point, and since he's going to continue to exploit the game rules, I'm just foreshadowing for you here. He's going to continue to exploit the game rules to cheese the simultaneous attack option. Johnny's going to need some serious luck to win this. So let's keep going through. I'm going to show you some different types of attacks and so forth. That's why we're going to continue on here. So Johnny has four attacks remaining in round two. He's stuck in a ring with a monster of a man and needs to find a way to mitigate the simultaneous attack option. Well, it wouldn't be fun to have the scenario of them just two dancing around. You know, like, it, we're not going to do that, so we're going to just continue on with the fight and have them just duke it out until the, uh, until the end. So let's see, let's see how this shakes up. Johnny cannot perform another kick, uh, another kick this melee round because I did the roundhouse kick, and we're still in round two. So he simply attempts to karate punch Tank. Of course, because it's to his advantage, Tank will just, you know, simultaneous attack. It's boring rote nonsense. Johnny rolls, oops, uh, yeah, I have it there. Johnny rolls to strike and gets a 14 plus 7 equals 21. He then rolls 2d4 to deliver a whole two points of damage. One and one, baby. That's right. I rolled those dice. <laughs> two points of damage he went to Tank. Tank rolls to strike with a 17. His damage roll is also a 2. Sounds good, right? Hey. Nope. Plus Wait, nine. Nope. Plus nine. Yeah, forgot about that. Yep, <laughs> Plus yep. nine to his strength. 11 <laughs> points of damage to Johnny. Once again, Johnny decides to use one of his actions to roll. Remember, that rolling with punch, fall, impact, or rolling with kick, as I did it last time, takes an action. You have to kind of focus on, I don't want this to hurt me. Um, so he decides to use one of his actions to roll with Tank's punch. Johnny rolls a d20 with a result of seven. Even with his uh, plus six bonus, total of 13, Johnny fails to roll with the punch. I, there we go. Sorry, I didn't have that side up on the screen. Um, fails to roll with the punch, so he takes the full 11 points of damage. So looking at the screen, just to make sure we recap there, Tank decides to simultaneous punch, uh, simultaneous attack with a punch. He rolls a 17, 
He rolls his damage of two plus nine, which is 11. And then Johnny tries to roll, but he needed to beat Tank's roll to strike of 17 and did not do it. He only got a 13. So he is reduced from 21 to 10 SDC. How many more punches do you think he can take? Not a lot. One. I mean, remember, Tank's damage bonus is plus nine. Yeah. So as long as Tank rolls one point of damage. <laughs> well, he's also got, what, 11 hit points? Oh, no, 11 well, plus 3d6. Yeah, uh, I, would, I would have to uh, scroll back up to the top. We'll, yeah. we'll see it at the end. We'll see it at the end. So now Johnny has an even bigger problem because Tank has more attacks remaining this round. Uh, says he has more attacks remaining and I just end the round. <laughs> Hold on. What happened? Did I screw up again? Four days. Four days to get this right and I may have had a screw up. Well, we're going to go to the top of the round. If I missed an attack, I apologize. It usually tells me here. Uh, so end of round two, one attack for the karate punch, one attack for the roll of punch, two attacks remain. Oh no, we're in fa we're in phase. Two. I'm sorry, this is phase two. I'm not reading my own writing here. So, uh, so Johnny's obvious advantage of six attacks per round is meaningless when he fails his roll with punchfall impact, because remember he's attacking, and then he doesn't want to get hurt. That's two. That's two actions or two attacks right there. Tank is just simultaneous attacking for one at a pop. Not waste an attack on dodge or parry or anything else. So my apology for the mix up there, but we're on. We're actually right here. So knowing that Tank won't waste an attack against Johnny, that Johnny can easily dodge or parry, and knowing that he's stuck in the ring with a larger man, Johnny just recklessly decides to be aggressive and hope for the best. He's just going to go, Aah. no, he's not. He's going to do it in a, Mar in a Bruce Lee style, but he's just like, I'm done. I'm just going to, we got to end this soon. I'm not going to throw in the white. Uh, white towel because if i did that then uh, this video would be over and we're not going to do that so with a roll of six plus seven for a total of 13 johnny punches tank once more this time dealing eight points of damage there you go johnny you went from the two last time this time you figured out how to punch right tank's simultaneous punch is another 17 <laughs> he rolls three for his damage so that's another 12 points how much sdc did we say that johnny had an 11 plus 10 10, 10. Yeah, 10 there you go yeah. so he takes 12 points of damage well johnny knows this will put him into hit point damage so he uses his last attack this melee round to roll with the punch again johnny rolls a 10 adding in his plus six bonus total 16 once again he uses an action but is unable to roll with the punch he takes all 12 points of damage this is this is bad news for johnny he has 10 SDC remaining, but he took 12 points of damage. This means his SDC is reduced to zero, and the final two points are subtracted from his hit points. Now he's suffering real wounds and real damage. All right, end of phase three. This rate, Johnny isn't going to make it, right? He's starting sure. to suffer vital hit point damage. And part of the reason why I wanted to continue on with this is because I wanted to show what it means to suffer hit point damage, uh, which can cause life-threatening injuries. He needs to turn the fight around or he's going to soon be in some dire straits. I think you can, you know, know where this is going to go. So let's go back. Oops. Uh, oh, I didn't have. Oh, no, we're in phase four. Why am I doing that? We're in phase four. It's back to Johnny's turn in the initiative order, but he has no attacks remaining. So what do you do in Palladium when you don't have attacks, but your enemy still has attacks? Go down the initiative order. Yep, so we just bounce right back to Tank. Johnny's just SOL. On the other hand, Tank still has two attacks remaining, knowing he has Johnny 
on the ropes, he uses his next attack to perform a karate kick. Even though he has no attacks remaining, Johnny can what? Parry. He can still parry because it doesn't cost an attack. Johnny rolls a five with his plus eight bonus is only a 13. Johnny is not good at this. Actually, Tank rolled really, really well. Let's be honest. Tank is rolling 17s and 19s, right? So Johnny does not parry the attack, and with no attacks remaining, he cannot roll with the kick to mitigate the damage. He's taking it all. Which could be his death. It could be his death. Tank rolls a four. Plus, is that on the yes, it is. Uh, Tank rolls a four plus nine for a total of 13 damage. At this point, there are optional damage rules on page 19 of the Heroes Unlimited 2 ebook that I like to employ, so we're going to do that. Since Johnny took more than 10% of his base hit point total, which is like, what, three? <laughs> uh, in damage from one attack, Johnny rolls percentile dice and refers to the minor injury table. Well, he rolled a 67. Which uh, states damage hand and or wrist, minus one to physical prowess, minus two to physical strength, and cannot lift more than 10 pounds with that hand. The character is minus 10 on all skills that require the hand. Well, right now, we don't do skill rolls. We don't do percentile skill rolls in the ring. So really, the only thing that he has to worry about is minus one to physical prowess and minus two to physical strength. Which doesn't matter for our purposes. Um, I rolled left hand and the injury is going to last for a D4 and he rolled a one, one day. So, I mean, it's, it's hurt, you know, tomorrow it'll, it'll kind of heal itself if he gets it wrapped up, but you know, so, but you can see that he's starting to suffer meaningful, but still minor in the, in the grand scheme of things, uh, true internal damage. Okay. So we're at the end of uh, round two, phase four, and let's move on to. Round two, phase five. Once again, Johnny can't do anything, so Tank is just going to keep trying to, to beat on him. Tank is ready to finish this fight and makes one more kick for his last attack in the melee round. Hey, look at this. Johnny got lucky. Tank rolls a one. Hey, uh, Heathen Dog, um, are there fumbles in Palladium? Not that I'm aware of. They are not. You are correct, sir. You are right. There are no fumbles in Palladium, but Tank does not have a bonus to his roll since a roll of one to four is a miss. Johnny survives round two. <laughs> Amazingly so. Pure luck. Pure luck. Well, there no, no. Go. He had 20% chance, right? He, well, 18, something like that. He had a he had a double digit percent chance to survive because any any successful hit would have killed him. Yep. So we're not 30 seconds into this fight, and Johnny isn't looking good. He has a mangled hand. If he continues to take damage, especially from someone as massive as Tank, Johnny risks severe injury. Look at that. Tank still has 29 SDC. That's SDC available. Johnny has zero SDC and only has 10 hit points. All right. Well, I told you we're only going into the first uh, first phase of uh, round uh, three. Round three. So let's uh, let's do this. All right. Let's move to round three and roll some initiative. Tank rolls a one. That's a double one in a row for Tank. Johnny rolls a 10, but he receives a plus two, so his total is 12. Johnny goes first this round. All right, all right, hold on. Before I put anything on the screen here, because I've already rolled the dice, and I know the outcome of the phase one actions to avoid confusion and to keep these events organized and coherent for the presentation here, I'm going to discuss all of Johnny's actions first. Then I'm going to switch over to all of Tank's actions. Just understand he's still cheeseballing. It's still simultaneous attack, but there's a lot that's going to happen here, and I don't want to bounce back and forth. I hope you all understand that, all right? Normally, you'd be rolling this and then that and then coming back to this and coming back to that, but let's let's organize it. So 
Johnny's pretty sure uh, this is his last attack before uh, Tank puts him out of commission. There's no saved by the bell when you're only 30 seconds into the match, and he knows that Tank will simply wait and wait and make that time simultaneous attack. Again, it's a cheese ball maneuver. With, the, uh, with that in mind, he chooses to a power karate punch. A power punch is an all-out, put everything into this, I've got it, punch. The benefit is you double the number of damage dice, not total. And that was a distinction I had to look up and I found it. A power attack damages the number of dice. The drawback is that it uses two of the character's actions, so make it count. And this is something Heathen Dog and I are going to talk in the next video, because we both have a different way of handling attacks that cost two actions. And we'll talk about them there as to what our rationales are or why or whatever. So, uh, and yeah. So, Power Karate Punch is a single attack that costs two actions, so let's roll the dice. Johnny rolls a natural 20. And when this happened, I had to contact Heathen Dog. Because remember, we had, that, we, we, we had that conversation. I was like, okay, hold on. There's a lot of stuff going on here because I actually rolled that die. Uh, in Palladium Games, a natural 20 is an automatic critical strike. I stress the word automatic because it's going to come up when you guys start arguing with me later. Critical strikes double the damage of attack, both dice and bonuses. Notice that the power attack is just dice, but the critical attack is both dice and bonuses. At your table, do what you want. I'm just, I'm, everything here is, is as by the book as I could find in here, okay? <laughs> so... Johnny doesn't have any bonuses, so he simply rolls double dice. A karate punch is normally 2d4 damage, so a power karate punch is 4d4 damage. Johnny rolls 9. Oh, that comes into something I just realized I didn't do. So, well, you, I did a power... You double the dice again? Well, right, but you know the rule on that. You don't actually double the dice again. Mm. You add one more die to it. That should have been 5d4 damage. So wh why is that? Let, let's let's back up. Not now. I'm I'm off bullet points here, off script. But uh, so he does two d four damage, right? Well, a power attack does forty four. Well, when you get a power attack and a critical, well, you you, you do all. Oh, well, that's a good point. When no, you no, the, when the, you stack the way, criticals, mm -hmm. the, the way palladium goes mm -hmm. is that if you have if you have multiple multiples, like if you have yep. times two and times three, or times yep. three and times four. You know, you don't add them together and get times seven. Right. You add, you you uh, you take the highest multiple and add one. Yes. So so with this one, it would be times two and then times two. Well, that would be two plus one is times three. Yeah. Technically, it should be that. So it should be three times the dice, not an extra die. So Instead 60, of, 60. Okay, 64. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 64. Yeah. Okay. So I, I did that wrong. Yeah. Um, anyways, we'll, we'll pretend I didn't. We'll just okay. give him his power punch damage. <laughs> um, and so we'll say that he got... No, see, this is why the knockout worked. No, no, um, anyway, I'm telling you, four days, people. Four days, and I still made a mistake in here. Hey, you know what? I, I, I suffered through uh, character creation in... Uh, in Champions. Uh, Champions. <laughs> All right, so this is, this, is your, this is your medal, right? This is your test. So... Uh, all right, so the uh, karate punch normally two. So we're gonna go with the damage that I put here. Just know it should have been sixty-four, not not forty-four. So, uh, so additionally, Johnny better be happy I screwed up because I forgot he could kick again this round. 
Because honestly, I would have opted for another roundhouse kick. Why not? It's his strongest attack, right? Sure. Had I remembered, though, then he wouldn't have got the knockout. Why does this matter? Because Johnny has the boxing skill. And he used his fists for the power punch. The boxing skill on page 55 states, skilled boxers will automatically knock out opponents on a roll of a natural 20 when fighting with their fists. The victim of a knockout will remain unconscious for 1d6 melees, so 1d6 melee rounds. Tank has nothing to lose at this point, so he decides to roll with the punch to lessen the damage, because there's also something he can get from that. Uh, successfully rolling with a knockout punch means the character takes double damage, but is not knocked out or, or stunned. Tank would win. Right now, you see it, he's knocked out, right? He would lose. But if all he has to do is stay on his feet, and he wins. Yeah. Since Johnny rolled a strike with a natural 20, Tank must also roll a natural 20. Doesn't matter what your modifiers are. If you roll a natural 20 on the attack, you have to roll a natural 20 in order to resist. Tank rolls a 15 with his plus 4 bonus that totals 19. However, the bonus doesn't even matter because he needed a natural 20. This means Tank is automatically knocked out for 1d6 melee rounds. He rolls a 6, therefore he's knocked out for 6 rounds. Minute 30 seconds. That's... That's the end of the round. Ding, ding. That's, that's a KO. Well, no, it's not. Because that's all well and good. But remember, Tank's attack happens simultaneously with Johnny's. It could be a double KO? It could be a double KO. Okay. So Tank, this is why I said I'm separating the two, because there's all of that for Johnny. Tank, so we now know Tank's fate. Yes. Tank is going down. He's going to be counted out. And that's going to be it. Johnny's going to win. Although... Because of the cheese ball simultaneous attack nonsense, it could be a double KO yep. fight. So let's see if Johnny can survive the onslaught. Tank's attack. He decides he wants to do, you know, he's got hand-to-hand -hand basic. He can do a karate kick at level four. Sure. All right. So uh, he, he rolls an 11 for a simultaneous karate kick. He then rolls 14 points a day. He rolls a five on 2d4 plus nine, 14 points of damage. This will put Johnny in a coma-like state if he does not successfully roll with Punchfall Impact. It has, well, he hasn't been what? lucky with that so far. Yeah, he's not been lucky with that, but we're in a new round. He at least has actions to try. That's true. That's true. Of course, Johnny is going to use one of his attacks to roll with the kick to reduce the damage. He rolls a 12 plus his bonus of six for a total of 18. Good job, Johnny. He successfully rolls and only takes seven points of damage. However, once again, this is more per than 10% of his base hit points. So it causes him another minor injury. He rolls an ot one this time on percentile oh, no. dice. Minor bruises and lacerations. Minus two to speed, minus one to dodge. And this will last... happening now. <laughs> well, yeah, right? Uh, this will last 1d4 days. So I'm sorry, two days for him. He rolled a two. So he's going to have a wrist problem for, uh, for two days. And this kick kind of messed him up a little bit. Uh, and it's problem. Yep. For, for, for two got his bell rung also since johnny now has less than 25 percent of his total hit points remaining he suffers a more serious injury of course he rolled a 76 which states puncture is that on here uh oh no let's get that on here there we go punctured lung oh my god <laughs> minus four to physical endurance reduce attacks for melee by half and speed by 80 percent furthermore okay, now anyone's cry crying a punctured lung foul no one needs a weapon no uh, he's into hit point damage, which yep. means a rib broke and punctured yep. his lung. That's exactly what happened. It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens. 
And if you don't think that things like this can happen, uh, remember, this is MMA fight, and these are two very disparate. I mean, look, the one guy had supernatural, is it called supernatural strength when it's 24? Yeah, exceptional strength. Okay. I mean, the dude is a much, he's at the literal peak of the human condition in terms of strength. So, uh, Johnny, Johnny is not. Also, uh, you look historically, Ray Boom Boom Mancini killed a North Korean boxer. Is it North Korean? No, South Korean boxer. I'm sorry. Uh, killed a Korean boxer. Uh, so things like that can happen. And, you know, when you keep fighting after, after getting your bell rung, oh, here you go. And this injury is going to last a week. So, ouch! Uh, Johnny may have lessened the damage from Tank's kick, but it still messed him up. But who's standing? Well, who's swaying? <laughs> fair, fair, fair enough. So let's now, take a look. How many points does Johnny have left at the end of this thing? Well, let's take a look at this right here, and I'll and I'll have a I'll show the character sheets at the end too. Johnny Quicksilver uh, has five hit points remaining. If you look on there, all right. So and I put zero attacks per melee run because he's knocked out. He doesn't get to attack. <laughs> but Johnny's down to three. Remember, he had six. He's down to three. All right, so Tank McMuscles. Do you see all the orange on there? <laughs> that one hole? He's down to 20 SDC. Not even into hit points. Nope. This dude is doing fine, except for he got, he got that glass jar where he just got hit. and Got hit in the temple just in yep. the wrong way. Or an upper, or, a, or that, that uh, what was that? Uh, it was a regular punch, right? Or it was a karate kick? Whatever. He, he, got, he got hit in just the right way. Yep. Turned his neck just the right way. And he went out like a light. Johnny. <laughs> Johnny's well, going to the hospital. <laughs> Johnny's going to the hospital. Physical strength down by two. Physical prowess down by one. Physical endurance down by four. Speed down by 19. Uh, wait, a minute, hit... wait a minute. His PE is down by four? That's from the punctured lung. Now, does that affect his total hit points? I didn't do that. Uh, and honestly, it would have only reduced would would him down either. to one. It would have reduced him do down. Either. It's still yeah. down to one? Okay. All right. yeah, he'd still be up, but it would have reduced him down to one. Um, uh, and yeah, speed. So his hit points, he's at five hit points, zero SDC. And over here, you look, he's got three attacks per round. His dodge is down to seven. Yep. So technically, Johnny won, but did he? That was a Pyrrhic victory in my book. <laughs> oh, yeah. I hope you weren't playing in another tournament. Um, so our next video, I'm going to go through all the people yelling at me in this video, but I don't care. I'm telling you, I, I looked all this stuff up and you're not going to win this fight. Um, but next, the next video, we're, then we're going to talk, we're really going to dive into the stuff where people disagree. We're going to talk about the knockout versus the critical hit. We're going to talk about the wrestling moves because I, I indicated I had to do something with that because um, the write-ups are just ridiculous. Um, simultaneous attacks, why it's stupid. Multi-action attacks is something the Heathen Dog and I disagree on on how to handle them. And even on the on the uh, the Palladium Gilded server, there's even more options over there that people have. How to handle movement before the new TMNT comes out, because that's actually going to clarify it. And parrying. There, there's a misnomer out there where people seem to think that there's something written somewhere that says you only get a number of parries per round uh, up to the maximum of your number of attacks. It doesn't take an attack, but if you have seven attacks per round, you can parry seven times per round. And I'm, to this day... I'm still going to say, I challenge you to find that. And one source not to cite, the Palladium Fact. And we're going to explain why in the next video also. So let's okay. give me my quest. Tell me. So let's give you, give you stuff. First off, L says, this is WWF versus MMA. It yeah. is. But yeah. 
when when he posited this scenario to me, the the thing I thought of was Hulk Hogan versus Sylvester Stallone in what was it, Rocky Three? Three. Yeah. The the beginning fight in Rocky Three. That's the thing I pictured. Timothy Frehley, I did cover dodge. It was the first thing that uh, that Johnny Quicksilver did. He just did it in a different way. He did the backflip dodge. Yep, backflip dodge. Then we have uh, Kokushuko says wrestlers get more options. Yes, if you have the wrestling skill, you get a whole lot more options at the level you get the wrestling skill. Now, you can get many of them in time through levels, through hand-to-hand combat. But with wrestlers, you get, you get all start. of the grapples and holds and all that stuff to start right off the bat. So it's it's highly advantageous at lower levels. Now, what is but boxing has its own advantage, extra attack, <laughs> like like. Tell me knockout. that isn't important. Yeah, and knockout. Yep, and absolutely. Knockout. All right. Uh, Law Dog says Johnny Dodge doesn't he lose his next attack? It should be Tank's attack after the Dodge. No, the the way Palladium is, if you use a reactionary, uh, if you use action as a reaction, you don't lose your next initiative. You lose yeah. from the total number of actions right. you have in that melee. Yeah, you don't. It doesn't take up your next attack. You no, simply no, no. use an attack to do your it. Total. Yep. It uses it takes from your total. So it t- basically it takes from the end. Yep. All right. Let's go to the next it? one. Timothy Ferelli says, "Question: Wouldn't tanks hold be 30, 19 plus eleven PP?" His physical. I, pro- here, let me let me see. let me bring it back up. I'll show you. Um, I have to go. Actually, I can do it right here. Um, if you look at Tank, Tank has a PP of 11. So he had no bonus. His physical yeah, he strength... He had the bonus. He, you know, it, it looks like Timothy is talking about adding his stat. No, 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 no. It's the bonus. It's the bonus for it. Bonus. Bonus only, and he had none. So go next one. Kokushuko comes up again and said, no fumble for a one? Nope. Not officially. Nope. nope. Under the rules, there is no fumble on a natural one, and the only... And uh, the only overall benefit to a natural 20 the 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 double damage is optional un, unless it says so in your uh it in does your say, martial it, arts or in whatever but the 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 only real real benefit base benefit you have for a natural 20 is that to beat that the defender has to also get a natural 20 to parry or dodge or whatever that's that's the real benefit now, if you have a higher level hand-to-hand, which natural 20s give you this, or you have boxing, which natural 20s give you this, then that's that's added on. But you have to have the proper skills for that to happen. And we're going to talk about holds in the next video. Yes. Then uh, Carver666-1313, I think this is his first time posting, thank you very much. If someone is simultaneously attacking and it's working for them, it's not cheeseballing. It's the one that's still not learning. There's, no, it's cheeseball. That's bullshit. Okay, no, you know what? No, it's by the rules, so I'm not crying foul, all right? I'm not crying foul. I'm not whining about this, all right? It's a tactic, it's legal, and he's using it in a legal way. I got nothing to say except, yeah, I, I think you're a bitch. That, that's that's all I can do. You're not wrong, but I I, I think you're a bitch. It absolutely, it absolutely is cheeseballing in in the spirit of combat. No, no, I'm not saying that every single instance of it is. I'm saying that I'm just going to stand here and do the same thing over and over again. Yawn. Uh, that is no that it, abs. It's, it's legit, but it's just being being a little bitch. Yeah. And then we have Walter saying a uh, power attack is called critical. 
is a called critical strike, so it does damage times two, and the 20 criticals it again, so it does the damage again. A critical power strike does time. That's what yeah, I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes from times two yeah. to times three. So instead of being of uh 44 or 54 it should have been 64 yeah that was my mix up because i was focused already that it had doubled the damage i, I remember yeah. what i was thinking because like i said i talked to him about yes. what was going on during that time i completely forgot to add in the extra step because long story short i i doubled it knowing that i needed to double it i forgot to do it again you can say it's because of the power attack or the critical or whatever it's just right i forgot that step 100 yeah, and we, we we caught it during the thing so that that's good that's good yep and that is it. Okay. So there we go. I wanted to keep this on the screen because of that last, uh, that bottom thing. Uh, the Platinum system is not an encyclopedia of rigid rules. It is a framework that allows GMs to tailor the game to their vision. And that's going to be important as we go in the next one. Uh, as, as all the pedants are going to come out and try to explain to me where I'm wrong. And I'm going to tell them that they're idiots in the next, uh, <laughs> in the next video. So Stan, if you want something a little more cantankerous and emotional... Kind of like the old days of RPG Digest. Uh, come, come by for the next video. All right. Um, I'm going to keep this up uh, because this is what we're going to be talking about. Okay. Um, maybe I won't. I'll have it at the start and then I'll get rid of it. How about that? There we go. That's what I'll do. Okay. Um, Hang on one sec. Hang on one sec. Yep. Uh, getting ready, getting ready. You want the long or the short commercial break? Uh, do, do, what did you do last time? Best. Okay, yeah, do short. Okay. It's actually longer than best, which is weird, but okay. All right, for the second part of segment two, this is where we're going to start talking about um, inconsistencies and rules uh, where there's not as much clarity, where people house rule where people argue where people say things like you have to buy this fourth book or this rifter or somebody's house rule written on a forum somewhere or something and try to try to discover get to the meat of what palladium is now i say that like it's a problem but here's the thing about palladium and this is why i want to tell all the pedants out there all the pathfinder players who have to have a little rule and, and clarification for everything every table runs it differently and that's a good thing. It provides you a framework of how to run your game. Because Heathen Dog and I run games differently does not make him wrong or me wrong. It gives us a way to run our table more effectively for our players. And we'll come back here in just a moment and we're going to look over some of these rules. The best tabletop RPG groups follow these core values to respect the campaign setting, the game, and the people at the table. Refer to the URL in the video's description to donate to the charity we support, The Wounded Warrior Project. Sunday on Rumble and YouTube, we provide tabletop RPG game, system, and setting overviews. Then on Friday, a panel of guests editorialize on the TTRPG hobby as a whole. Thursdays and Saturdays are when Heathen Dog leads his Dirty Casuals video game squad on twitch.tv slash legionofmyth. Please like and share this video with your friends and on social media, and subscribe to Legion of Myth for more tabletop RPG content. And I already see some wrong answers in chat as it we'll is. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> so we're we're gonna start. Uh, we're gonna now. It could be fair. It could be different books because I just made a Palladium Fantasy character yesterday, and what the Chill Gamer said about uh, 
attacks is completely wrong. But that could just be for Palladium Fantasy. So let's start off. I'm not going to keep this up on the screen because it'd be boring, but this is what we're going to talk about. And how, what the format for this is going to be is I'm going to go through my, my take, then Heathen Dog will go through his take, and then we'll discuss it, and then we'll move on to the next one. Okay. So that, that's how we're going to do it. So we're going to talk about knockout versus critical hit because people told me that those don't happen together. We're going to talk about wrestling moves. We're going to talk about simultaneous attacks and why it is cheese ball. Uh, multi-action attacks, movement, and parrying. And then if you guys have some things in the chat, uh, we'll bring some of those up as well. So, all right, let's stop sharing because I don't need that on the screen. So let's start off with knockout versus critical hit. So Keith Nog and I have different interpretations of the knockout rule, and I talked to him about this. And so I rule that... If you roll a natural 20 as a boxer, you get both the critical and the knockout. Might not seem like it because I forgot to add the critical in, <laughs> in that video, but but I do. I, I, I say you get both. And my reasons for this are twofold. Like an automatic critical strike, the automatic knockout is automatic. This isn't a declared action in lieu of the critical strike. Yes, I am fully aware of what it says for uh, for the knockout when you get a saving throw. If you declare a knockout, if it says, hey, you can declare a knockout and then somebody, if you roll a natural 20, you get it. That's not the same thing as an automatic knockout. So uh, the exact, and that's, uh, was it uh, definition on page 68 where it states it can be used in place of a critical strike. That's a declared action. These are automatic. And yes, I'm, I'm harping on the word automatic for that reason. Now, page 65 states successfully rolling a knockout punch means the character takes double damage, but is not knocked out or unconscious or stunned. I don't see this as an either or. I see this as a both or one. Again, I do not. Which is fine. Uh, so, uh, so when something is automatic to me, it's just automatic. You don't choose whether it happens or not. It happens. So these, these two reasons tell me that the KO is in addition to the normal result of the critical hit. Now, with that said, all right, Heathen Dog. All right, I have a different interpretation. Uh, in the in the hand to hand combat, when you get to a certain level and you do a natural a natural twenty, it's probably you know nineteen twenty, eighteen twenty, whatever. But you get a natural twenty, you get to choose. You have to choose critical or knockout. But if you also have boxing, it says you get you you have a knockout automatically. Now, what Max says is that you get that on top of your choice. And nobody wants to do a double knockout, so you'd get critical hit and a knockout. I say no. Your choice has now been automatically taken away. It is now a knockout. You have automatically been chosen for a knockout. Now, is that against the player? Yeah. But I do not like the idea of doing double damage and a knockout. Because of blind freaking luck. Because that's what a natural 20 is. Blind freaking luck. It's it's too much of advantage too quickly. And it, it can it can end combats just like it did with Max's example combat. It ended the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Johnny should have been turned into salsa. <laughs> yes, he should have. Johnny, Johnny should should have had the whole woman crying over his dead body scene at the end of that fight. That's what should have happened. Now, he, he's lucky he got a knockout, and that saved him. But even my interpretation of the rule would have still saved him. He still would have won the fight because yeah. Tanky Boy 
was knocked out. He lost. He got he got the 10 count. He's done. Right. I just I, I I just see it differently because of how it works in gameplay. You know, I don't he doesn't need double damage and an automatic knockout. It's too much advantage for one role. So I read it differently. And that's fair. Now now people keep pointing out that that page where it says right here for a knockout. That is a declared knockout, folks. Yeah, you have to say it before you roll. Right. A lot of times. But as you get later levels in hand-to-hand combat, depending on which one you get, you'll get it sooner. You will get you will get an automatic automatic critical at 20, 19, 20, 18 to 20, whatever. And Johnny was high enough level to get an automatic critical on a 20. Yeah, and, and to be fair, now so, so let's say it's automatic knockout on 18 through 20, and Johnny rolls an 18. Does he get the critical hit on top of that? No, because he didn't roll a 20. Yeah, he didn't roll a natural 20, and that activates the boxing skill. So, so only because he rolled a 20 is this even a problem. Right. Exactly. He, so it is. <laughs> yep. But the, that's our two ideas on the whole thing. And other people may have may have different ideas about that. And that and that's great. And if you have complete facts to back you, and again, Max's stipulation is not the Palladium FAQ. Don't bring that up. Yeah, that's nonsense. We're gonna have problems with that. We're gonna talk about that at the end, but there's problems with it. And, and I, I have and a problem. I have a problem with having to buy all these other books to clarify a rule that wasn't clarified in the book it was originally written in. I yep. have a real problem with that, and you should as well. Why should I have to spend 20, 40, 60 dollars when I already spent 20 to clarify a rule when I spent should have got it in the first 20? Well, my favorite's gonna be when we come up to Perry, man. <laughs> oh my god. Uh so yeah, so so it's very simple. In, in here, again, this is what I was using for this. You guys know I would use after the bomb if it was up to me, but I was using this because this is the most I think it's the most robust rule system because it's gonna incorporate superheroes and so forth. Uh, boxing is Fairly clear in what it says, and there are a couple areas that the the KO being one area of interpretation. And like I said, I focus on the word automatic. It's automatic for both the knockout. It's not knockout from behind. It's not. It says knockout on a roll, automatic knockout on a natural twenty, critical hit. If you have any hand to hand skill, automatic critical hit on a natural twenty. Two automatics mean both happen get not saying he's wrong i'm just explaining to you how i'm interpreting because i'm seeing the walls of text coming out here but the box i don't care what knockout says it says automatic that trumps everything else because it's special with just that skill now if you play it differently you play it differently that's that's the cool thing do i have to put this back up on the screen where it says the palladium system is not an encyclopedia of rigid rules is a framework that allows game masters to tailor the game to their vision we're fine. We can move on yep. to the next one. Yep. Now, wrestling moves. Now, this one I did address in that last video. So, once again, because of the lack of rules clarity within pin incapacitate and crush squeeze, the following is how I handle those moves in my game. I've had people that agreed with me, people that disagreed with me, people like, mm, that's actually interesting. Let's try that. And for their various reasons. And this has a lot more flexibility into it than worrying about what one word might translate to. So, I've already, uh, so yeah, like I said, I've already received some agreement and pushback on this. And my rationale for this is you have holds, 
you have grappling, you have all these concepts and these different words, wrestlings, holds, grapples, pin, each should have their own purpose. So one, this, again, this is my, my personal house rule interpretation, being very clear about that. This is not necessarily rules as written. If the attacker declares any type of hold or tackle attack, and you can find that on page 68 of the Heroes Unlimited second edition book, if the hold attack is successful, but the roll is not a natural 18, 19, or 20, the target is held per the hold rules because it's a successful attack, but is not incapacitated. My rationale for that is otherwise I can roll a five or better. But what happens if I roll a 17? What happens if I if I roll my pin incapacitate and I get a 17? Nothing happens? That's BS. Okay. So if you declare a hold type attack, then a five through seventeen is you hold natural. By the way, these are natural numbers. This doesn't include your bonuses. Natural five through seventeen means you get your hold off because there are body holds, leg holds, arm holds, yada yada in there. But if you get that 18, 19, or 20, the target is incapacitated. Now, what does that mean? If the attack is successful and the roll is a natural 18, 19, or 20 targets, incapacitate can not take any actions though neither can the attacker remember in the last video where i said that tank chose not to do the incapacitation that's because he wanted his next action to be the crush squeeze mm -hmm. he wanted to deal damage so what what's the benefit why would you ever say i want to incapa incapacitate somebody it's because as i'm holding him now heathen dog comes in and punches him or shoots him or handcuffs him or whatever or or if if tank just wanted to win this mma fight that would that that'd be considered a pin yeah, if it's like wrestling, yeah. Yeah, that would be yeah. considered a pin. And and uh the uh the opponent would either be pinned or tapped out, you know, like that's how it worked because there's no way he's getting out. He, sure. he lost his ability to win. Because yep. he, he can't he can't do anything. If this was a standard wrestling match, I, I would have zero issues with that whatsoever. I was doing more of an MMA thing, but right. I understand. Right. But yeah. yeah, he would have to tap out because there's no way to out. There's no way out. Un unless the person who successfully incapacitated him lets him go. There's there's no way out. So, um, so basically the choice is this, do I want to just hold where neither of us can do anything from now on until I release him? Cause that's what it is. You can't even try to break the hold. You no. are stuck. Yes. You are pin incapacitated or do I want to do damage? So if the attacker wishes to perform the crush squeeze attack, the incapacitation converts to a body hold. So it's kind of downgrading it. And the defender can now attempt to get out of the hold. If you remember the, the, the dual D twenties. Yeah. Johnny failed once and succeeded uh, succeeded yep. the next time, I thought. Yeah. Right. So using incapac pin incapacitate, the attacker cannot inflict damage, but the target cannot get away. Using a hold, the attacker can inflict damage, but the target can attempt to break the hold. Again, that is my house rule interpretation of that in order to make pin incapacitate holds and just wrestling as a whole, grappling, a little bit more dynamic than... And, and it also allows that 18, 19, or 20 to mean something other than, well, you missed, you didn't get a, you didn't get a, a 18, natural 18. What the hell is the point? Like the chance of me, 15% chance to do something that I'm highly skilled at wrestling. So I, that's why I combined it with the body holds. All right, Heathen Dog, what are your thoughts? No, I'm, I'm completely on board with that. I really am. Uh, the, the holding incapacitate is, uh, is amazingly powerful. So I understand why it's a 15% all or nothing. I understand why it was written specifically that way. I get it. 
But to even get that attack option, you either have to be super OJT, like martial arts level 15 or some other nonsense like that, super high level, or be highly trained in the art of wrestling. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that it's an all or nothing attack, I just miss. It may be realistic, but it's not cinematic. And so, doesn't fit with anything else that Palladium exactly, does. Exactly. You should get something for rolling a 17. Yes. And especially if you have like, oh, I also have plus five. So I actually got a 23. Well, a, a 23 should be something, right? It should be something, you know? So, so yeah, I get it. I understand. And I, if it was, if it was in a game at the table I was playing, I'd be like, okay, I understand that. I get it. So that's good. I like it. All right. You ready for the fun one? Oh, yeah. Simultaneous attacks. I so, never use this, by the way. I never. Yeah, uh, uh, I, well, my rule previous to this has always been I don't allow it in the games. I just don't. And it isn't for any realism or simulations or anything like that. It's just I don't want to deal with I like the action reaction. So simultaneous attacks has never been in my games. And when I've been a player at a table and I've seen it done, I've seen it cheese ball to the point of it being uninteresting. So I'm not a fan of it. And everybody under the sun can try to make rules. Dude, when I was looking these rules up because I wanted to see what people say, there are people out there who say you can make simultaneous ranged attacks. No, that is unless you're the flash. Now I could see that. Honestly, I could see that maybe as a juicer with auto dodge or something or the flash. Maybe in that case, I could see uh simultaneous range attacks other no no you're not making simultaneous range attacks that's that's I, just... I, I i said this before but i would only allow it in very cinematic purposes like dueling snipers i would allow it then because that is very cool looking very cinematic Who, whoever puts a round through the through the uh range finder wins right and you can fire at the same time so technically you could both die I, I, I like the cinematic view of that, but other than that, I can't think of a reason. I would only allow that if the initiative rolls were, were, were timed. Like uh, that would be the only way I would allow that. But again, we, we handle some of these things differently and you might handle them differently as well. And that's not necessarily a problem. Um, so as I said, so, but I get, I get like 101 Dalmatians. I mean, reasons as to why people have excuses boxers do it all the time plate mail stops swords so i'll take the hit to strike an unarmored lightly armed opponent or someone though this somebody put this on if you're watching sorry but i'm gonna call you out <laughs> someone even told me that a zombie would use simultaneous attacks no, no no zombies are too stupid to use simultaneous attack they attack when they can attack they don't wait they don't strategize they don't i'm gonna wait till he punches me till i punch him no you've got half a brain literally the rest of it's garbage so yeah, you don't you don't have the wherewithal to time your attack like that. Sorry. No. Now, there are niche situations where I can see it being useful. I and and I don't I, you know after looking at it again, I don't want to take it away completely because I honestly can see somebody taking a punch or if you're in armor, maybe risking that sword hit and hope it doesn't break the the armor rating in order to to do something what i frown upon is its use every single attack so once for melee round okay once per combat or so i don't know I, I don't know what the answer is but just as a well i know i have more hit points than him the problem with that is that stems from a game that doesn't have insta kill insta death you wouldn't do this in earth dawn 
You wouldn't do this in Star Wars 2D, uh, uh, D6. You wouldn't do this in a game that has the possibility of killing you with one strike. And that exemplifies the point that I think you're about to make. I'm going to steal it from you. You are using player knowledge to game the system because you know that the maximum possible damage can't hurt you. You decide to take it. When a real human being, when, when a sword is coming at them, 99 times out of 10, they're not going to go, eh, I'll take it. And he said that right. 99 times out of 10. Yeah, because most of the time you're going to get killed by that. So you wouldn't do that under any kind of normal circumstance. You know what? Cinematically, you have to win no matter what, because if this guy kills you, your family's right behind you or little children on a bus. And you might take the hit because you're a hero. You're playing Heroes Unlimited, by the way. So, yeah, so you would take it in that instance. But in a normal fight, the the psychological just strength you have to have to take a possibly deadly hit and not care is too is is too much to think about in a normal circumstance, too much. I'm not going to dive into any more nuance of this because believe me, you all out there can find reasons that simultaneous attack can work. Yeah. My problem and why I call it cheese ball is because what will happen is people will rely simply on the game numbers of I have 100 SDC. This person has 40 SDC. I'm going to let him beat me up. Now, if that sword could kill you in one blow, you, I guarantee you, you would not you would not let that happen. No. Or you'd be definite some risk reward. Now, that could really make the idea cool. And actually, simultaneous attack can be part of the reason why tank boy lost that fight because if he realized or if he thought about it for a second johnny has the boxing skill he can actually end this fight in a single hit why would i want to let him hit me yeah think about it he did he ended the fight in a single hit a fight he should have lost all because tank boy decided he didn't care about getting hit well, the, so the main crux of it was that he had one less attack than Johnny, and he couldn't let Johnny have that extra attack. That that's no, what I, it came I get down it, to. I get it. Yeah, there, there's pros and cons. You know, the, the whole the whole uh, sweet science strategicry of this is is real, but it was a single hit that that decided this match, and it could have happened any time, especially with simultaneous attacks, because he's giving up. Tank is giving up his ability to parry, and he paid for it. Now, right. a lot of you will say, well, that's what you do for a simultaneous attack. Yeah, but that is like Lame. so rare and it, it's it, it's a it's a it's a possible penalty with very little possibility. So, you know, I understand why Tank didn't care. I get it. And it's lame no matter how you look at it. And if you want to be a lame player, be a lame player at your table, not at mine. <laughs> there we go. Um, Multi-action attacks. All right. So if an attack, say a power punch, takes two actions. Now this one, um, let, let me get through this uh, first and then we'll, we'll go back and forth again. Um, if, if a power attack takes two actions, how do you resolve this at your table? Does the character start to throw a punch as the first action then after every other character performs their actions? We get back to him for his second action. He finally completes the punch. It's kind of a build up. The wind and up, then. Yeah. Then, then the second, yeah, wind up. There you go. Then with the second action, after everybody goes, he makes his roll to strike and inflicts damage. Or 
Does the character throw the punch? Make the roll to strike and inflict damage on the first action, then skip a second action as like a form of recovery or follow through to account for the two action attack. Or, or just lose an extra attack at the end. Yeah. Just so this like is, dodging. Yeah, so that's how I do it. So the, does the character throw the punch, make the roll to strike, inflict damage, and sick, simply count this as two of his actions with no delay? So when we get back to him after every other character has performed one action, this person has done or character has done two actions. Sure. So now the book does not give you an answer to this, and that is a good thing because it allows Heathen Dog and I to do this differently. Because personally, I do the third option. It's the easiest, doesn't bring up any questions about defending or movement or yada yada. And when you're out of actions, you're simply out of actions. If you use up all of your actions in two attacks, well, you're done for the round. The character, the characters who still have actions get to take them while you wait. Now, as a side note, Anyone who says that Palladium actions are not done in a round-robin format needs to read page 65 of the Heroes Unlimited 2nd Edition book. It details the order of operations for a melee run. I've actually run across people, and I think we have one on our Gilded, who talks about, like, no, 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 everybody, the role initiative, they take all their actions at one time, then we move on to the next one. They save actions, and I've heard of this for a few yeah, years I, now. I've seen it done that way. I've even tried doing that once, but it wasn't for me. Well, I can tell you that, at least in this book, page 65 will tell you that's wrong. Yeah, exactly. And by wrong, I mean not rules as written. Let's, let's say right. it that way, because how you do it at your table is your business. Now, Heathen Dog, please explain why you do it your, what your method is and why you do it in your method. My method is, is number one out of the three options you gave. If you're doing a power attack that, that takes two actions, your first round, the, the, the first round of initiative, when everyone goes, is you winding up. And then when your initiative comes back again in the next round is you rolling to strike. And during that time you're winding up, if you dodge, if you parry, you will lose that action. You still spent two, but you don't get to strike. That's what I do. Okay. Because you were winding up and then, oh crap, you blocked or you dodged. You lost all that power from the windup. You may be able to say, well, can I do a regular attack next round? And I and I may concede, but most of the time you lost the whole thing because you're, you're no longer, you're no longer in the windup. All of your, all of your power has been pivoted away in your parry or dodge and you lost, you lost your power attack. You lost it. That's what I do. Power mm -hmm. attacks are, are very damaging, especially if you already have extraordinary superhuman or supernatural strength. They're very damaging. So this is the penalty I give. There's a big windup and you see it in movies, cartoons, TV shows all the time. You, you have a, you have an ax two handed. The person comes up, winds up and then gets stuck in the gut by a quick little stiletto attack. Why? Because he couldn't dodge or parry. He was in the middle of an attack doing it. It's a simultaneous attack where the attacker and the, and the defender have, have different rules now. The attacker cannot dodge, cannot dodge or defend without losing his entire attack, but the defender can still has many options. And the option was to attack while the windup was happening. Now, that, that would be a good place for a simultaneous attack. That would. That would. But we don't need to do that because that, that attack is not going to happen for another, another 15 seconds or around thereof. I got you. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, 
and, and I'm looking at the comments here and, you know, some people, you know, have their own ways. Darthik does it my way. I just make it cost two actions. Keep moving. There's reasons. Heathen Dog's method is not bad. I find it a little too simulationist for my taste for a Palladium sure. game, but I don't have any issues with it. And I've been in his games before and that's how we do it. We move on. I'm not complaining about his style. I just do it differently. I just want to keep going around the circle. Are you out? Oh, you're out of actions. Okay. You're, you're not. Okay. Go. What's up? No. Okay. Nerdy Ogre said, dude, Heathen Dog, you just described simultaneous attack almost because <laughs> if he wants to to dodge or parry in when he's when he's at the apex of his windup he can but he loses the attack in a simultaneous attack dodging and parrying is not allowed right but he it can replace it he can forfeit all that cool damage he's gonna do next round by dodging or parrying now so that's where it differs All right, let's uh, let's go on here. Movement questions. This is another one that brings up people with a lot of opinions. <laughs> so, what about movement? Let me get through this one. So, does movement use an action, multiple actions? Currently, until the new TMNT Redux is in our hands, there are no written rules, and don't go. Well, it's in Rifter number four. That's not an official rule book. That's a Rifter. Okay. Uh, there are no written rules with regards to the intricacies of movements and actions. Telling me it's times five per melee round. So, okay, so I know how far I can move in 15 seconds. Doesn't tell me what does it cost an action. You can even do the math and divide blah, 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 and tell me this is how far you can move. But does it cost an action? So, yes, it tells you your maximum uh, per melee round per minute. And what about per action? Is that even a thing? I've played in games where the game master divides the character's movement rate by the character's number of actions. And this, I've got an example here that tells you why that's a bad idea. Or is this the example or is it later? Uh, so uh, Tank McMuscles, for example, oh no, this is just the two characters in the, in the one I did in the last video. Um, Tank McMuscles speed is 11 means he can move 55 yards per melee round. Divide by four actions, he can run 13.75, just 14 yards per action. Okay. Does it cost an action? Johnny Quicksilver, on the other hand, is a speed of 24. Remember, I maxed that out. So times five is 120 yards per melee round. Divided by five, he can run 24 yards per action. So is that 24 yards and stop, you're done? Uh, uh, that move is your action. You make it your attack. When we come back for your next round, is that 24 yard move? And now you can also attack as one combined move and action. It's a 24 yard move and now you can attack, but it costs two actions. One for the move, one for the attack. The book does not give you the answer to this. And that again is a good thing. Stop complaining. Because it allows Heathen Dog and I to run our tables as cinematically or as simulation as we want. So for me, worrying about this, I'm going to get to the math here in a second. But for me, worrying about this is too much simulation and pedantry. There's a reason I don't like to use gridded battle maps. They, they belong in Warhammer and Battletech, not in role-playing games, especially not in Palladium games. With ranges that stretch from feet to miles. Good luck with that battle map. Additionally, it causes a secondary problem. This is the one nobody ever wants to listen to when they like to do that, all that division. This, what I'm about to do is going to end up overcomplicating everything, which is why I don't do this in my games. So let's say you have a speed of 15, which is 75 melee yards per 15 second melee round. And you have seven attacks per round because, you know, you're higher level martial arts, boxing, whatever, right? Sure. Now, your body has a speed of 12. So speed of 15 versus speed of 12 which is 60 yards per melee round and four attacks. Because you just have hand-to-hand -hand basic. You didn't get the other stuff. 
If you were to divide, divide that number by the number of yards, by the number of actions, sorry. If you divide the number of yards by the number of actions, you would find that 60 divided by 4 is 15 yards per action. Well, 75 divided by 7 is 10.7, or we'll go to 11 yards per action. This means the slower character is actually faster until the faster character gets to use his extra actions. Wait, what? So you're telling me that if something is 25 yards away, the slower character gets there first? Yeah, don't do this. Now, uh, people have workarounds for this, and I get that, but that just adds extra complication that is unnecessary. If you want to do that at your table, do it. I don't care. But that adds extra complication. Uh, it's unnecessary. Now, somebody's going to point out, Max, Max, page 281 of Riff's Ultimate Edition. Not talking about that. I'm talking about this. And as Heathen Dog already said before, what is it we don't want to do? Buy a whole bunch of extra books to clarify a rule in the first book. Right. So I'm glad we're not talking about riffs here because that is a dumb, dumb, dumb rule. So seriously, stop worrying about the mathematical pedantry. I, 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 don't, I don't get people that concern themselves with this. So, so what is it that I do? Let's just get to the way I handle it. So the way I handle movement and pass palladium games is that you can move your full... Yes. That doesn't make sense. Just hear me out. Your full running movement in the melee round, whether you do it all at once or split between your actions... I don't care. Do it all or none. Split it up. Whatever. Once you've reached your maximum movement for the round, you're done. If you have any actions remaining, you can take them, even if all of your actions remain and you just can't move any further. Yes, it's not exactly the most realistic, and there are minor circumstances where I'll say, no, you only get one attack. Very rare. But, the, but those can come to play if necessary. Is it realistic? No, but it keeps the game moving without worrying about unnecessary math and allows a certain cinematic flair. A new movement rule I'm considering is uh, the next time I run Palladium, I'm considering this one is you can move up to half your movement without an attack cost. Anything over half the character's movement simply just costs one attack, just takes one attack away because you're focused on the movement. I haven't decided, but I, I'm thinking I like the sound of that. It's still simple. I have, I have a it has meaning. Thing. Yep. I have yep a go ahead. Thing. Now, uh, it's, it's, mo it's mostly your first one where you can choose. How much? How many rounds you want to? I mean, how many yards you want to move? In in uh, in the beginning of of your particular action, in the issue of order of your action, up to your maximum, that's fine. But you cannot split your movement, meaning you cannot say, "I want to move forty yards this round." The enemy is twenty yards away. I want to move twenty yards. Attack. Move twenty more yards. That's my round. No, that's bullshit. Stop it. What's going to happen is you can attack move or move attack. The moment you spend your main action, you're 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 basically done. You're 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 either you're moving or you're not. That, that's it. So if you want to hit that guy 20 yards away, you move 20 yards attack. You stop your movement in that in that initiative, which means you're done moving in that initiative. If you want to strike someone and then run 40 yards, that's completely cool. You didn't split your movement. You can't split your movement. You must take all your movement in that in that initiative at one time. Okay. That's what I do. Pers I, I personally don't like that, but I get it. And it does make the game. It makes the game comprehensible. You can, you don't, you're yeah. doing, you know, so, yeah. so I, I, I didn't I, want to add complication by yep. adding the ability to attack, move, attack, move, attack, move. No, I didn't want that. That's it slows down the game. It, at the point at that point it almost requires a grid map so and, and, I, and I, I, I see, 
I see people putting into chat the what speed. I know what speed movement is, but it never says if it costs an action. No, it doesn't. I've never no. seen it. Not, apparently, not, not in the main rule book. No, I haven't seen it. Right. Apparently, the TMNT Redux is going to actually uh, uh, bring that up. So we'll look forward to that when it comes out. So go ahead and start ordering your TMNT books right now because you're going to need another another Palladium book to get the rules done. Um, okay, last one. Last one. And then we'll see if uh, people in, in chat have uh, <laughs> how mad they are at us. And this is the Perry one. So how many times can you parry in a melee round? Dragon Without, Ball Z number of times. Dragon Ball Z number, there you go. Without a hand-to-hand -hand skill, this is pretty easy. It costs one attack per attempt. Yep. If you're out of attacks, you're not parrying. Nope. With a hand-to-hand -hand skill, for some any, reason... Any, any hand-to-hand yes. hand skill. Hand-to-hand yep. -hand skill, uh, uh, karate school at a strip mall. Yep. You still get Dragon Ball Z level of, of parries which is infinite so um with a hand hand skill this becomes a little controversial ask me how i know <laughs> by the book which book well here's unlimited 2e characters with any hand to hand skill can automatically parry an attack unlike dodge parry does not use up one of the character's attacks this means the character can parry an unlimited number of times even if the character is out of attacks I am going to do something verboten right now simply because I did get a page number for this. I know we're not talking about it. And yes, you're free to put in chat. You said we weren't looking at other books. I get it. I get it. Um, I will tell you that it is spelled out clearly on page 142 of After the Bomb. It says, full sentence, blah, blah, blah. An unlimited number of times. It specifically says those words on page 142 of After the Bomb, which is similar to uh, Here's Unlimited. What I haven't found yet is well we'll get to that in a moment let, let, let me let me stay on my notes or i'll get disjointed here yeah. the only limitations to parry are you cannot parry a weapon with your flesh cannot parry a bullet with your arm unless you're wonder woman must be in your line of sight and you can parry three attacks at one time the fourth cannot be parried basically you can parry shit in front of you. stuff sorry in front of you so what's the controversy well some people seem to think that doesn't make any sense and i get it if you've got seven attacks per round and three people are attack, or if you've got four attacks per round and three people are attacking with seven attacks per round, you get to parry 21 times in that round. Yes. Yeah. That like is said, the answer. Dragon Ball Z level. Now, there are people who think there needs to be a limit on the number of times you can attack, especially if you're out of attacks. Things can get ridiculous. And actually, this is something that I somewhat agree with. I agree with it philosophically. Uh, that it can get ridiculous. So yes, you can parry 21 times and make seven attacks. Again, I don't really have a problem with this. If parry seems to get out of hand, just have an NPC pull out a gun and start shooting. <laughs> or a knife, uh, huh? a dagger, something. And oh, you're okay. well, you can you can parry a dagger with another weapon. I, I get it with with your arm, yeah. But with another weapon, you can right. still parry it with a, with another weapon. But you, but I get what you're saying, yeah. Um, maybe in in fantasy these get cumbersome because everybody's doing knife fights or maybe ninja uh, yeah, ninjas and super spies everybody's you know trying to whack each other with swords but uh, i don't remember it being that bad when i played so with that said apparently i had multiple people send me this message and i saw it on reddit and i saw it on another forum apparently in ninjas and super spies now folks i posted this on the gilded and everybody gave me every answer except for the question that i asked so hear me clearly Apparently, in Ninjas and Super Spies, there is a rule that limits the number of parries a character can perform in a melee round to the number of attacks the character has per melee round. 
The parry does not use up an attack, but if you have six attacks per round, you can parry six times per round. I have not found, my book does not have that. You, you have to show me the page number on that. Uh, the page number in the paragraph. Tell me where that is. And one other caveat. It has to be under the basic parry. I'm not looking at circular parry or ninja parry or uh, jaw parry or whatever the hell. I'm Those basic. are specialized things, not your basic parry. Right. So I have not found the rule yet. If somebody can cite it, let me know. Because uh, everything that I've seen says there are no limits. And again... For the people who want to say, but the Palladium fact, the Palladium combat fact. Well, first of all, before I let Heathen Dog go here, the Palladium combat fact looks like it's just copied from forum posts because if Kevin or Sean wrote any of that, they should feel embarrassed because it is horrible, horrible, horrible writing. Like the, the, the fact left more questions than answers. Okay. That's the first thing. Secondly, I have book citation that says literally the word unlimited. So. After the bomb is what, 2000 and what year is after the bomb? 2006? I don't know. Anyway, um, so it's more recent than, say, 1980 something, you know, the original TMNT. Uh, it's not in here. And here very much implies implicit versus explicit very much implies that Perry is unlimited. So if you can't find it in the Ninja Super Spies book, it doesn't freaking exist. Okay. I'm not trying to sound grumpy. It's just these people it's like, it's there. Yeah, it's right, right. Okay, give me the damn page. Well, I read it somewhere else. I don't care. I was told it's in Ninja Super Spies. Now, if it's in the Rifts book, show me in the Rifts book. Every parry is considered automatic if you have a hand to hand skill. That's just the way it is. It is automatic. Going back to the first thing we talked about. So, Heathen Dog, how do you handle parry in your game? Just, just like you said. I mean, that's that's pretty much how it is. I never put uh, a, a, a maximum amount of parries you can do per round if it's that automatic. That's uh, you automatic parry. OK, that's fine. Do it. Now, I also didn't use the three times in the same initiative round maximum. Yeah, I don't know a lot of people that use that. That's that is purely by the book stuff. OK, yeah, I don't use that one. But you know, I'm, I'm usually playing riffs or heroes unlimited or whatever, which is a super heroic campaign, more than human level of skill and ability. So I don't use that, but I, I, I get it. It's a, it's a rules is written. I understand, but, uh, we see in chat, um, where is it? I, I start it page 63 paragraph three. Oh, I started that too. I started yeah. that too. Don't, don't look, that, don't do it that's yet. In, it's not in this book. <laughs> Uh, I don't know where it went, but uh, if if you had your example was three people mm -hmm. who have seven attacks each mm -hmm. attacking one guy, that's four who has four. Mm -hmm. They can attack me three times per round. Yep, that means I can parry each of their attacks. Yep, every single initiative, every every time initiative comes up, I can parry all their attacks. Yep, without without penalty at all. I keep all of my attacks and I can parry all of theirs. If there was a fourth person by the rules, I would have to spend an action to parry the fourth and subsequent. Oh, uh, what it says here is you actually can't parry. Oh, can't. Okay. Yeah. Then, then, oh, I, I, then one guy would get through. Yep. I'd have yep. to choose the guy. Probably yep. the littlest guy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the littlest guy. I I'd choose him to get through, but I can parry all three guys. Dragon Ball Z style. 
bop, 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 all day long, and it won't matter. Yeah, that's that's how I do it. I want that. I want that last sentence there read again. I'll let you read it this time. I can't read it. I uh, wish that twenty eight would get off the screen. There we go. Uh, Palladium system is not an encyclopedia of rigid rules. It is a framework that allows game masters tailored game to their vision. If you think that twenty one parries for a character that has four attacks per round is too much, I'm not going to argue with you. No, just make I sure agree. that you just make sure your players know up front. Do you agree with me or what? What or what? No, I, I I agree that it's it's absolutely ridiculous for a normal human to 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 parry three attacks per round for, for for seven rounds. It's ridiculous. But this is Heroes Unlimited. You're not a normal dude. You're not. Ninjas and Super Spies, you're not a normal dude. Riffs, not a normal dude. So I take off the restriction of the title normal dude. And in a in a high power setting, it is possible. See, and then you got Longshot pulling out a whole different book. <laughs> yep, stop doing other books. No, but but that is part of the issue with this is people find the favorite book that they have. Uh, and yes, Palladium Fantasy, because somebody posted something earlier, and we'll probably get to it when we do the star chat, about uh, paired weapons. Well, I can tell you that I, simp I read paired weapon yesterday because my character has paired weapons in Palladium Fantasy 2nd Edition, and it doesn't match with that person type. But that person might be completely right when it comes to TMNT or Heroes Unlimited or Ninja Super Spice or whatever. For this run through, for that last video, for that previous video, I was doing Heroes Unlimited. I want to stress something, though, and I have to say this over and over again. There are probably some people right now beating their head like, why would you ever play Palladium with all these problems? Hear me out. I don't want to have to keep saying this. It's not an encyclopedia of rigid rules. It's a framework that allows game masters tailored game to their vision. Don't complain about it. Just because somebody, uh, what, what's the recent uh, kerfuffle on our Discord? Oh, just because somebody says you can't dodge when your pylons are activated in a glitter boy and another person says you, you do get to dodge? Doesn't mean that those two groups are playing wrong. They're still playing within the spirit of the game. One game master says, huh, these pylons have to go down. And then you go kaboom, and it's got to stabilize you. And then it's got to come back up. Yeah, it kind of makes sense that you don't get to dodge. Another one says, doesn't say you can't. And why can't they go shaboom, you know, like that? Whatever. Whatever. It's okay. Stop arguing with the other person and stop telling people, yep, you've played Palladium wrong, unless you're going specifically for. What is the rule and what page is it on in here? Like I'm trying to get from those people that say it's a ninja super spies that it's not. Oh. Okay. So we can look at all of our starred comments oh, now. Please go. <laughs> go okay. Kokoshuko starts off with uh, you wrong because paired weapons answer simultaneous attack. How? You have to you have to say how you can't just say that you have to say how because I read paired weapons yesterday and it actually added so for Palladium Fantasy RPG Second Edition and it actually added a little bit of uh, confusion because it says you can attack and parry in the same round I'm like or same action I'm like right I could already do that you already so, can do that yeah then L says Palladium is cinematic yes 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 that that's why the that's well it's not why but it's one reason that these rules are not cemented across all genres because all genres have a different cinematic presence that is something that i completely accept and this is why yes. when somebody points out was it a long shot pointed out like palladium fantasy rule versus a heroes unlimited rule i could understand them being different yeah because because palladium fantasy is a much grittier 
much more uh, bloody. It's 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 supposed to be harder. It's supposed to be you know it's supposed to be all that stuff. Whereas Heroes Unlimited is supposed to be a little more comic book, a little more you know, uh, heroes the good guy, the good guy should always win type stuff. You know, so it's a different cinematic feel. So you're you're gonna have differences. I get it. I get it. Then we have the Chill Gamer says paired weapons just means you can attack with two weapons. It doesn't give you a parry in simultaneous attack when you are the attacker. It doesn't play it in Fantasy 2nd Edition. Just, but we are using Heroes Unlimited rules. That is right. That is right. So you, you are correct for the for the system we're in. You're absolutely correct. I, I didn't read it. To be fair, I didn't read it here because that's going to be the next video. <laughs> if I see, Do you see why I don't want to do the next video now? Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah, we already answered that one. We'll go to this one. Nerdy Ogre says there are three columns of rules. Raw, rules is written, book done. Two, rulings. It's a rule in a book that's unclear, must be called by the GM. Three, house rules. Rules that are made by the GM. Absolutely true. Yep. Absolutely true. In, in, the, in the previous video, we were going for raw as much as possible. Unless there was just dichotomous confusion, we had to choose one. Or he had to choose one. Yeah, yeah exactly. It. And that's why the wrestling thing came up because there had to be something there. But right. I, I'm not saying that the way I did the example in the last video is how I run the game. I did well, that, that is, as close. That's the rules. Yeah. Yeah. That's I did the, it as close to this as I could research and find. And I want to stress this again. It took four full days, uh, about six days of my life, because again, four of them were half days and two of them were full days just to verify some of these rules. I had a long time. I told him to say, I think I got like a five minute conversation with you. Like two hours later, he was like, I got to go. Uh, you know, uh, I've got forum posts. I've got uh, me. We, I was reaching out to there. I was, I was, I was trying to get answers to these rules to make sure I was doing it right per this book. And uh, Carver's back. Okay. And uh, I'm going to answer this one. It says without boxing, you have the, you have to choose to do a KO and some hand to hand gives automatic ko or crit from behind that just means not having to like to declare trying to ko no it means you get a choice critical hit or a knockout you get to choose which event you want to happen my problem with boxing is that it says you automatically do a knockout to me that means your choice is gone now it's a knockout and you can't choose and my reasoning behind that is because you are a trained boxer. A trained boxer is not trained to kill his opponent. A trained boxer is trained to knock out his opponent to stop him from being able to fight. So your muscle memory will make you choose a knockout if you do a natural 20. It means that you landed your combo perfectly. And if you do that, you can knock out your opponent. That's what it means to me. So that's why... I say instead of both critical and knockout, it's knockout because your boxing training makes you go for the win rather than the kill. And there's but nothing inherently wrong with that rule. Like I said, I just focus on the word knockout or automatic critical and automatic knockout. If they're both automatic, you get both of them. There's six of one, half a dozen the other. Yeah, mine does more damage or whatever. But yep. the point is, is neither of us are inherently wrong. And if we were to ask Kevin, Kevin would be like, what works? Well, hey, guys, what works for you? <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, you say know, that. Yeah. You know, Non-committal he... old man. <laughs> <laughs> Carver comes again. Guns blazing. This is his second barrel. Surprisingly, boxing in the Heroes Limited book gets the extra line saying it must, I, th I think it says must, be done with the hands. Normal boxing skill doesn't. 
Mm, I can see someone trying it for ranged attacks and I would tell them they're full of crap. I mean, how, how do you how do you knock someone out with an arrow or a bullet? I could see him trying it with a kick, though, like a martial artist. I could. Yeah, yeah, boxing, yeah, yeah. I could if, see. Yeah. Yeah. If you have hand to hand combat that that gives you kicks and you have boxing, you know what? MMA is a real thing, right? You can you can knock someone yeah. out with a kick. I get it. So I will allow boxing with all hand to hand attacks, non-weapon melee attacks. I would allow it. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, to, be to be fair, so would I. Uh, uh, my game, I would allow it. I only didn't because it specifically said in this book, said, with just this. like Carver says in the Heroes Unlimited book, it says with the hands only. So, yes, I get it. And he's right. Completely right. Kokushuko comes. OK, the hold versus incapacitate versus crush clarify is good stuff Ooh, i agree hold on, too. hold on, hold on. Let, let me let me interrupt it's not a clarification that is a house rule yeah, that is that is a ruling based on based on evidence but not based on the rules themselves so it is a number three if, if we if we go back to uh to the rules as written yeah clear yep. uh, uh uh adjudication and house rule this is a house rule the actual rules as written is if you don't roll an 18 19 or 20 yeah, you're you're yeah, you're you're screwed, and that's it. You get nothing. All that training was for nothing. You have to hit perfectly every time, which I can I understand. I just can't get behind. All right, we got Timothy Ferelli saying, "How would your allies attack the opponent while being held? Advantage, disadvantage? No, no. They pretty much automatically yep. get to stab that that screwhead. Yep. Automatically, he can do nothing. Right. All they have to do is roll a five. I wouldn't even do that. I'd just give an automatic hit. No, no, no. If if they're doing hand to hand punching somebody, no, no. Have he's to, he's pin incapacitated. I like. know, I know. But a one through four is you screwed up. You missed. Okay. So it makes you know like you can follow the rules on that one. You can follow the rules. It's probably fine. If they roll a five or higher, your teammates roll a five or higher. They can just punch this guy with impunity. Kick punch, kick him, kick him in the nards. Wolfman's got nards. We learned that from Monster Squad. Here you go. <laughs> you can find out for yourself. All right. Yes, they're just gonna they're just gonna almost automatically hit this guy because he can do nothing. Well, he can cry, and he's going to. Yeah, but he's that's going. All to. he can do. All right, and now we have uh, L coming in. I'm guessing the hold to be a full Nelson then makes sense. A wrestling would a wrestler would suplex. Would that allow a break in chance? Okay, here's the thing. The reason why the hold would alter itself. I mean, the incapacitate would alter to a hold because when you're incapacitating someone, you literally cannot hurt them. You can't do anything that hurts them. You've got no movement. You've got nothing. You can do nothing else. The only way to cause damage to them is to relinquish your incapacitate, go to a hold, and then do a suplex or a pile driver or whatever you want to do kick to the nards, whatever, but doing so gives them now the chance to get away. Now I have to clarify one more time that I a hundred percent agree with heathen dog, but that is based on the house rule. In fact, it's the reason the that, rule, that, that this whole thing came up is because I asked the question. So um, how does crush squeeze work? Like, don't you theoretically have to actually grab them first? And I had somebody say, no, it doesn't say that in the rules. You have to grab them. So you could just roll a roll five or better. And now you're crushing and squeezing somebody. I'm like, I don't like that. No, I don't like either. But uh, crushing and squeezing does not, uh, does not stop your opponent from trying to get away. Right. It does not. I mean, you've seen it in movies all the time. 
You know, someone, someone's got someone behind, lift them off the ground. They do a reverse headbutt thing and then they get dropped. Oh, and they get dropped. It happens. And now, you know, in, in the rules of palladium, that would have to do no damage. It would, it would just be a cinematic effect of you slipping out of their grasp, but still it happens all the time. And then we move on to oh, one other thing to add to that. Um, there are holds listen listed in the uh, the hold section of the book. Like there are arm bars, leg bars, and and so forth. So, sure. And Elk uh, Law Dog comes up with uh, you get a saving throw versus knockout stun in in Heroes Unlimited. It's in combat terms and definitions under Except knockout stun. Except for the automatic knockout. You are right. And that's where I would say you make the choice. If you declare the knockout and you get it, and then you roll that that uh, save then yes, your choice is to knock out or do the critical. I'm with Heathen Dog on that one. My only exception to that is the Boxer's Natural 20 automatic. It says automatic. I think it's in capital letters, if I remember correctly. Autom- it's in better italics, but yeah. Yeah, automatically knocks out. So it avoids that entire. And it's also a different duration. The knockout is a different duration than that yes. knockout as well. Yes, that is true. All right, we'll go to, to Kokushuko comes Almost up with. Done. You have to make a spot hidden and psychology check to make a simultaneous ranged attack. I don't know where you found that. I would love <laughs> you to. I would love for you to put that the page number in Heroes Limited that comes in. That would be great. Uh, Carver comes in again. Your psychology changes when you know you can take the hit. If I fight someone who's five five, I'm not attempting to dodge. You either. would. You would if it was me fifteen years ago. <laughs> yeah. The thing is. The thing is. Uh, tank didn't understand the skill level of Johnny. If Tank understood that Johnny could win with a single hit, he would not want to do a simultaneous attack. Because of his boxing skill, and that's what won the day. So don't tell me it's, it's, it's only a 1 in 20 chance. Yeah, but it happened. Yep, that All is right? true. And that was rolled. I had to it get was... a hold of him because I was like, oh, crap. Yeah, something just happened. Immediately. I said, oh, shit. <laughs> What do I do? You know? So yeah, it, it happens. If tank truly understood that Johnny could end the fight in one hit, why would you allow yourself to get hit? It wouldn't make any sense at that point. Again, I can see nuances as yeah, to why yeah. you allow you just not every single attack. And if that's the type of game you want to play, just don't sit at my table, do it at your if table, you want- but don't sit at mine. If you want to roll your dice and say, hey, he's got a 5% chance to win this fight if, if I let him hit, but I have a 15% chance to win by depleting him of his hit points if I just take, if I absorb this hit. One time you do it, fine. I believe it. I believe mm-hmm. it. Tactical, strategic thinking, but doing it every time, rolling that die that I'm going to lose and I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose. Uh, no, no, that it, it doesn't make sense. Uh, poly robotics. I don't, I don't recall you ever posting here. Thank you very much. Uh, in the previous segment, simultaneous attack makes sense. It does make sense. It does, but it's still a bitch move doing it over and over and over again. Makes perfect sense. As long as you understand that Johnny can end it in one hit, that hit that I decide to take could be my last hit. Well, one be. of the arguments that people make for the simultaneous takes, so you know, there's just so many other things you could do. You could just shoot them. You could I, right. That was in a ring. And, yeah. and here's the thing: like somebody posted a moment ago that uh, it, uh, you know I'm not afraid of somebody who's five five. Well, I'm not five five. I'm five nine. But uh, um, when I was in my uh, 
younger days and I could move more. <laughs> um, I don't think that's the smartest move ever because somebody who is six three, I could spar. Like yeah. now, well, if he hit me, it might have been all. It would have hurt a lot more. Yeah, but it I was quick, and nobody yeah. was, uh, as far as I know, nobody could make a simultaneous attack of me. Now, here's the here's one of the other things to that. I never fought a pure boxer, so no, a pure boxer. Yeah, I wouldn't want you. Probably, <laughs> I wouldn't want yeah, to. But uh, but I did get in a few scraps in my in my life. Luckily, not a lot. And you know, well, I I wouldn't take that chance because I know that heathen dog doesn't even need to be lucky necessarily. Just a good hit. Wrong. I'm leaning forward. He's cocked back. Whatever. I'm I'm out or I'm hurt for real. He you know that punch doesn't land here. It lands here. Now all of a sudden I've got a problem. You know what? He's either he's either got a broken nose and he can't see through the blood and tears, yep. or I hit him in the neck and he can't breathe. He's stunned, and that just makes me win the fight because I go next. Yeah, I don't want to take hits from anybody. Exactly. You don't want to take hits. And the the answer to to uh, tanky tanky Mc, Mc, McFisticuffs here uh, doing simultaneous attack every single time. Johnny's perfect answer would be to not attack. Right, but he couldn't. He was in a ring. And I, no, and I did no, mention that. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I don't attack. I sacrifice my attack this initiative. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I did. I mentioned that also in, but I said. Because I can't he has that. more attacks than Tank does. So yeah. Tank can exhaust himself like a rope-a-dope. Yep. Just exhaust himself trying to trying to attack. And I'm going to parry, parry, parry. And at the end, I get one attack that he cannot simultaneously attack me on. All he can do is try and parry. He can't you know, even die. You know how long that segment roll. would have been if I had done that? <laughs> it would have been boring as hell. So I understand yeah. why you didn't do it. But that's the answer. Yeah. That, that's the answer to a one-on-one -on -one fight with a guy who's bigger than you. He's trying simultaneous attacks all the time. Don't attack. Give up your attack. Don't attack. No, um, L actually hitting me in the face was a sign. It was a way to lose a fight against me. Uh, it was it was if you like stepped on my toe or you know flicked my finger or something like that. That I'd be okay. It's over. Anybody who punched me in the face it went red and regretted it. I it might sound weird, but that's how that worked. <laughs> what, what, if you punched him in the face and didn't do significant damage, like knock him on the ground, then yeah, he was just going to get madder. Kokushuko comes up. The more you think, the further you go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. 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 There's no doubt about that. Malakay coming up with, but buying books helps Palladium. <laughs> this is the idea that you need multiple <laughs> books to answer the first one. Yeah. Yeah, it does, but it also loses customers. So that's how it works. Nerdy Ogre, page 15, sub, sub speed, says it outright. Okay. Says what? Go, go, go to Heroes Unlimited, page 15. Look at speed. Swear to God, if he pulled out a Riffs book, I'm going to send somebody up to freaking kneecap him. Speed. Um, specifically, the character's maximum running speed. Speed is 20 times the number of yards meters character can run one minute. Speed times five is number of yards 15 seconds. Dividing distance covered in melee rounds. Number of attacks indicate... Wait. No, dividing the distance covered in a melee round by the character's number of attacks indicates how far the character can move on each attack. Okay, it doesn't say if it takes an attack. That's just how far the character can move. That's how far the character can go. And he could be answering that part of, of what we were talking about, which is great. That's fine. But that that's what brings in the problem of the, uh, the character with four attacks per round and the character with eight. They both have to move 50 yards. The problem is that the character with four attacks per round is going to cross the Effectively finish move twice as fast, twice as far. Yeah is going to cross the finish line first. Why? He's slower. 
They have the same speed, but I get this many attacks. But it, it, no, no, uh, it, it doesn't really matter because uh, uh, he he takes two actions and goes the fifty yards. The guy with eight has to take four actions to go the same fifty yards. Even if they have the same speed, it should be equal. It should be equal. They should. Or you have to start doing it. Time. You get two actions to your one action, but that's not how combat works. That would get really confusing in combat. You've got four actions, you've got six actions, you've got eight. So every time we go around once, uh, so you get it's almost like having two attacks every three rounds in D and D. You know, you start yeah, going weird. like, yeah, it would just get weird. Again, they're easy workarounds for this, guys. I completely understand that. You just say, well, the faster dude is just faster. Deal with it, right? I under yes, going by the book doesn't say anything about actions and i was clearly talking about what i do as a house rule in my game because i don't want to think it through just move your i don't care as long as you move your total and don't go past your total i don't care doesn't take an action yeah okay we have elk and palladium can make the ultimate guide to palladium megaversal combat everyone buys it and everyone would still <laughs> argue about all of it sure. yeah there's that meme here hold on let me see if i can find it it's hilarious Oh crap! If I can't find it quickly, it sucked. But oh, there it is. Let me put this on the screen. Open in browser. Uh, this is great. Apparently, Walter MC made this meme. So if he did, good on him. Uh, window. Ooh, I do that. No, I'll just do it here. The Ground Council of Palladium GMs debating which interpretation of Kevin's rules is the correct one. That that looks like a, an Italian Parliament meeting. It is uh, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's basically what it, what it is. Yeah, that's true. All right, and then Kokushuka comes back with, if 21 attacks don't come in all at the same time, that's true. If you're facing 21 people, you can only parry the first three or three total. The rest of them you're going to take or dodge or get hit. That's pretty much it. You're absolutely right. Uh, Nerdy Hero, page 63, step three, parrying. Heroes Unlimited book. Oops. Well, we were talking about ninjas and super spies at the time, but yeah, okay. If it's in ninjas and super spies, I think I have. No, I put it up. Damn it. Okay, so uh, step three, parrying. Yep. Parrying can be done automatically by anyone trained in any form of hand-to-hand -hand combat. Parry blocks the attacker's strike, preventing damage from being inflicted. For example, a punch can be blocked by a character's hands and arms. Weapon attack can be parried, blocked by a shield, sword, or other weapon object, blah, blah, blah. Weapons should only be parried. Okay, I don't care. Um, trying to parry a weapon. I don't care. Inflicted. A parry can be performed without wasting a melee attack action. Characters with no hand-to-hand -hand combat training will lose the, uh, the next action, depending on dodge. That doesn't answer the question definitively. I know what you're trying to say. It says a parry can be performed without wasting a melee attack, but there's indication out there where people have said that uh, that you get a maximum number of your total uh, actions. I don't see that in here. It, does, it doesn't say that. This right here just says it's automatic and you can continue to do it no matter what. So have a nice life. 21 times, you've got four attacks per round. You want to parry 21 times, go for it. Good on you. I'm not trying to, by the way, I'm not trying to argue with, with, no, no, uh, no, just... with Nerdy Ogre, but I want to be very clear with Nerdy Ogre and everybody. Else. I'm looking for exact verbiage. If it doesn't say it, then it doesn't count. It's up for interpretation, and right. we're in we're in section two instead just of section a, one. Oh my god. Just Long shot. Under multiple attackers in Palladium Fantasy. Stop. <laughs> in Palladium Fantasy second edition, page 46, yep. the lone defender can parry all attacks that are within his line of vision. Yeah, it says it there. 
that he can parry all attacks with that there's no limit at that point there's no three per round at that point that says all all is very definitive all i i think there is a i don't remember what the rule was and i don't remember what book it was in the one that i saw that said the three the fourth one gets i thought it was playing fan maybe it was heroes unlimited remember i've been looking a lot of, i'm in different games too um so this this sentence here by the way anytime attacker rolls successful hit the defender can choose to parry dodge or entangle that tells me again that tells me it's unlimited i'm still going with that because it doesn't set a limit doesn't say up to or anything again he's probably trying to make that point as well but the for the folks that are like no no no, you have a limited number there is no limited unless you house wrote there is no limited number nope. that i have found and that's why i save this for last okay rulings yes. over rules yes that's exactly right long shot especially when when you're dealing with a cinematic combat framework you're going to have gray areas yep. it's going to happen because the combat was made to be exciting yep that is different from simulation combat simulation combat is meant to be realistic this is not cinematic not. It's cinematic yes. and fits within the concept of the game. Remember, one of the things that I say a lot, I haven't probably said a lot with uh, recently here, but I say that the rules of a, of a game are its universal constants. For example, in on Earth, 9.81 meters per second squared is the speed of gravity, right? Well, maybe in this world, and we have, what, 365.22 days per year, whatever it happens to be, um, well, maybe this world is 360 days per year because we want simpler math and we do 10 meters per second squared. That changes the constants of this universe. It's not Earth. It's a it's similar to Earth. So if this game acts differently where people can have speeds up to like my character in played in fantasy, I don't want to say this out loud, but has a speed of 33. That's crazy fast, guys. That's nutcase fast. And this isn't that isn't even a super heroic game. That's fine. That is the universal constant of that world. You play within the construct of the world, not this world. This world is set as a as a tone for things to understand, but this world trumps our world when you're playing this game. Yep. And on that note, we'll end with uh Adam Majors. Thank you very much for coming a YouTube member. <laughs> Really after all this, it. you became a member? You're a glutton, buddy. I know. You're you a... became a member after this nonsense? Well, <laughs> God <damn>. Masochist. <laughs> I appreciate you. that. Thank you. <laughs> wow. And and look, whether it's Carver or, or Nerdy or Longshot or whomever, you play the game at your table yeah. how you want. And exactly. if there is a rules clarification you think that somebody should follow, there's nothing wrong with pointing it out. Um, a few things that, that I'll always stress though is if I ask for a rule for TMNT and you give me Palladium Fantasy, I'm shaking my head. You might not see it, but I'm like, I didn't ask for that. <laughs> like, you know, now if you're saying, hey, I know this isn't TMNT, but this is the closest thing I could find, then I'll be okay. That's cool. Yeah, you, you, you caveated this whole thing with it's the same game system, just a different game. Okay, great. Not exactly what I was looking for, but if I find nothing else, that means what you gave me now has merit. Okay. Is it enough to affect the way I adjudicate my game? Maybe, maybe not. But it's it's something to it's something to add into my you know repertoire. Okay, got it. Absolutely. Now the next time I do a video like this, it's still gonna be Heroes Unlimited but it's going to be melee combat. So just for the people who are watching, when I start asking the questions, please don't hand me Beyond the Supernatural. Please, especially don't hand me Riffs or Robotech. I'm not looking for anything MDC. You know, Riffs and Robotech, nothing to do with me. That'll be him. Uh, <laughs> but 
if now if there's no other rule written elsewhere and be like well yeah there's nothing written in heroes unlimited but but heroes unlimited implies it's unlimited parries per round or unlimited play, parries total but beyond the supernatural sets a limit i'm open to the discussion but i would still go with this because this is the book i'm pulling everything from right and it it's a different kind of world a beyond the supernatural world is much more based on reality our world than heroes unlimited is then definitely on riffs or palladium fantasy definitely it's much more based in real life and people aren't physically superhuman so the three maximum per round and everyone after you just sol that makes more sense than in a heroic comic book game or in a fantasy magic game you know reality's bent because supernatural is much more common you know, pervasive out throughout the entire world so stuff's going to get real real different so i get that too um but we are at yeah i, I know i, I want to answer this last one and then, then we'll go uh you, you can think of your words of wisdom here uh yes play it the way you want but if it's a house rule don't say this is the way it works just like you ask for page numbers well um again asking for clarity Asking for the page numbers. If I ask for a page number out of Ninjas and Super Spies, don't give me the rule out of Palladium Fantasy. Okay? And I'm never, just to be upfront, I'm never, ever, ever going to use Ninjas and Super Spies as any of the rules I use here because that is such a special case and has so many weird nuances to it. Like, people are talking circular parry and, and all those different martial arts and finger holds and so forth. I'm ninjas and super spies is its own animal. That's, that's almost as verboten as riffs. Okay. So uh, everything I gave was as by the book as possible using the inference provided in the book as possible. It's a strength of palladium to have those gaps because it allows Carver and L and Kokushuko and whoever else I'm looking at here. Um, uh, no, that, that's fine that you agree, but I'm, I'm doing this for the broader audience. Okay, yeah, um, for everybody else. Yeah, uh, uh, where it allows us to run the games the way we want. Okay, and and I think Sean even said it. Palladium is an implicit game, not an explicit game, and I prefer that. I would much rather have Palladium rules and have these discussions with you guys than have a Pathfinder encyclopedia in front of me. And that's the last I'm going to say on this until the next time we do this. So thank you very much for putting up with our five and a half hour stream today. I know I'm going to be pissed off staying up late tonight, but hey, it is what it is. <laughs> oh, let's end the segment though. Hold on. We've got to end oh, the yeah. segment with, whew, that was a lot of stuff. And uh, whether you agree or disagree, let us know. Uh, be polite about it. You know, if your rules are different than our rules, or if you read something differently, if you found that one super secret thing that's supposedly in Ninja Super Spies, and stop telling me it's circular parry because that's not basic parry, please uh, let us know. And yeah, if you have a moment, take a look at the different combat rules in After the Bomb, Heroes Unlimited, Rifts, and uh, Palladium Fantasy. They're similar, but they are not the same. That's why it took me four days and I still violence sells everything gave me crap over in rumbles like four days of research fail. Nice. Yeah. I failed on one thing, dude. <laughs> one thing. <laughs> uh, uh, during my uh, uh, champions, making a character, making a base stuff like that. I failed on multiple levels just because I'm only one guy and that's a lot of damn math with a lot of fractions and, and a lot of multiplying and dividing and you mess up one little tiny part. It snowballs throughout the entire process until you're boned at the end hate it uh, 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to put the, the screen up here so we can get on out of here. Thank you very much. I really do appreciate it. Heathen Dog's going to give us some words of wisdom. I'm tired. I've got food sitting in front of me that's cold now, and uh, <laughs> we're going to head out. So you guys have a great week and hope to see you next week. All right. Now, when this comes out on video, some of you are going to come here and you're, you're going to put your comments in, uh, agreeing, disagreeing, whatever. The only thing I ask of you is do not get into a, a fight in the comments and be disrespectful do not attack the person attack the idea anyone i catch saying well you're stupid i might just ban but anyone saying that is stupid or that idea is the dumbest one i've ever heard okay that's fine i don't care you can hate on ideas all you want you can be disrespectful to ideas all you want just be respectful of the people. They have a different opinion than you. Even if you think you're completely right and they're completely retarded, don't attack them personally. And everyone's going to have a great time.